Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. This is episode 110. It is December 11th, 2022. We're moving to wrap up the year, but these people keep making more and more ludicrous stories for us. Twitter this week. You had Twitter files last week. You had Twitter files drop two and three this week, maybe four. I don't know. It's going on tonight. It was going on Friday, Saturday. Those are a lot. We're learning from that. The last last week's Twitter files were censored. Who censored them? The FBI. So uh, a guy named James Baker, lawyer for the FBI, happened to be general counsel at Twitter after Elon takes over. And Barry Weiss, to her credit, discovered this. And now there's new revelations about what was hidden, what was scrubbed, what was taken out of those alleged uh, leaks, emails, uh, snapshots into the Twitter history before Elon bought it. We'll be getting into that as well as the FTX story continues to get more and more absurd. You guys remember when Bertie Madoff went around and did interviews after he ripped everybody off, right? No, he he ran and hid as he kind of should have. Samuel Bankman Freed is chilling in the Bahamas. He's flying around. He's doing conference calls. He's doing interviews. He's a cause celeb. People still want to help him out. And uh, more and more like weird things. They're still spending the money in the Bahamas. Other people's money that's disappeared. They're buying non-fungible tokens, NFTs, all these sorts of things, and Ponzi scheme under Ponzi scheme. So there's a lot to get into that. Uh, we have a, a Whitney web piece. There's a couple other pieces we can throw in there to help you understand that FTX situation. But that's still not the weirdest news of the week. We had uh, the World Health Organization come out. And they they can predict the f- the future. They have a they have a crystal ball, and they can predict the future. And they can predict you're going to need masks. People are starting to mask up already for the winter, and they've got video promotions where they're going to show you the the future that they they want you to inhabit. And Jason Burmes is going to bring us that report later tonight. And I ask you the question: Is that the type of world we want to live in, or should we see these things as a warning sign and probably translate and communicate this to other people? Because Otherwise, they're going to find out after such things take place and are cemented into our society. So there's a lot to do on that front. And then Tony Fauci, we thought he retired and he's like Godfather three. Just when he thought he was out, they're going to drag him back in. I guess uh, the unredacted version of his emails make him look a little bit more like a criminal and not so much like America's doctor. So we're going to look into the analysis, the revelations, the apocalypse, the veil lifted on the Fauci uh, Collins, CDC emails going on during the pandemic. And maybe these people weren't telling you the truth from the beginning. And that would cause you to question maybe everything that's happened in the last two years. So we have big things on the front of politics and what happened two years ago in the election. But we also have big uncoverings in the past two years of what happened with the pandemic. And with that, we're going to kick off tonight's show with Luke Radowski with his report from earlier today. And if you pay attention, there's a ton of news just in this first clip tonight and that's going to set the tone for the pace for the rest of this episode okay guys just so we're clear cbc we are surrounded by police we don't know any of these people and we don't know what we've done, but we just left the United Nations and now the police have surrounded us. This is a group of ha- harmless indigenous youth 
Nobody is armed. Nobody has done anything illegal. But now we are surrounded by the police. So for now, ma'am, you are detained for injury. Okay, so I'm going to tell you your right. You have the right to remain silent. So you're not, you don't have to talk to us for now. Okay? You I mean, have the right to a lawyer. You, un you understand? Okay, so we're going to make some verifications. And we'll see what's going to happen. But right now, you're not allowed to leave this place right now. Oh, hey there, I'm just gonna try to exercise my civic duty and peacefully protest here. Nope! Not in Canada, where it's illegal, and now, uh, your bank account's frozen. Welcome to the New World Order. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name's Lukardowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we have a plethora of absolutely mind-boggling news to get into and break down today as there are some very surprising, shocking statements and stories that should have you thinking quite a bit, especially from the latest comments from the Merchant of Death. This, as the main focus of this video, will be the crazy, absolutely insane developments at Twitter because of Elon Musk. Lots to talk about here, and that's specifically what we're going to be focusing on in this independent media broadcast. If you like the shirt that I'm wearing right now, you can get it on the best politicalshirts.com and the clip we played in the beginning of this broadcast was originally shared by Concerned Canadian on Twitter showing a video of people trying to protest in Montreal when they of course were properly stopped by uh, police officers demanding of course their uh, freedom permissions and permits to be able to do so in that very so not free country. And uh, what did you think was going to happen when you ask the government to solve every one of your problems? They will eventually, of course, start creating all the problems. Something, of course, that the American people faced themselves not so long ago with America's doctor prioritizing political affiliation over, of course, his Hippocratic oath. That, of course, is duplicitous, hypocritical, contradictory Dr. Fauci that today the current owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, alluded to the importance of him, of course, being prosecuted. There's a lot more to talk about this. We're going to save this for the later portion of this broadcast. This, as a lot of the major policies that he has been flip-flopping on all the time, have still remained relevant in some people's lives, especially if they live in a place that has a lot of government, like in New York City, where now the government and, quote, health officials there are asking people to wear masks again in uh, a place that took a procedure in order not to be sick more than almost any other place in the United States. And now there's a lot of people getting sick. This as Dr. Fauci reemerged with the White House and Jill Biden, also a prominent doctor, reminding everyone to get this procedure again for some reason. Even though the places that did get it the most are getting sick the most. But yeah, listen to your government health officials as they know what's best for you. And you should always be listening, listening to them no matter what, because obviously the government always knows what's, what's best for everyone, right? All of this as the U.S. government is being now criticized for releasing a WNBA player instead of a U.S. Marine. This as now the corporate media still is not satisfied with this clear woke virtue signaling that has allowed Brittany Griner to have extreme privilege and be prioritized for release 
in a major Persian exchange that happened between the United States and Russia. But still, for the corporate media, that is not enough, as MSNBC wrote this latest article that was titled, quote, Brittany Griner is finally freed, but her pearl is that one of black women in America. Yes, you heard that correctly. MSNBC is worried about the safety and well-being of Brittany Griner in America because she's a black woman. Again, just absolutely ridiculous headline based on the circumstances of how everything here unfolded. All of this as the merchant of death that was traded for her has just come out and done an interview in Russia where he actually talked about having remorse and empathy for the United States and detailed how the American empire is in decline. Now, obviously I didn't agree with all of his comments, but I thought his comments were very thought provoking and definitely worth a listen to. They're losing their Christian values. They're losing their families. They're losing literally their countries. It's not anymore the same country. We knew America who used to be a model for entire world and lead and be an example, you know, like they say, a shiny town on the, you know, sparkling town on a hill. And this is, of course, pity. All of this as currently in the United States. Hashtag suitcase Sam is also trending on Twitter, where the first non-binary Biden nuke official has been caught once again stealing another woman's bag. This as this person still holds a high position in the U.S. government and uh, honestly, from my opinion, looks to be a troubled individual to say the least. Now you yourself could also be a troubled individual, especially if you get a shirt. So it looks like there's definitely an orchestrated campaign on social media to call the latest Twitter files that have been released by Elon Musk a quote, nothing burger. And that couldn't be further from the truth as of course now we have receipts of very illicit, immoral, and what some people think is very illegal behavior by a big tech social media company that interfered when it came to our political political discourse and the larger engineering of society. Brett Weinstein had a very interesting comment about this, saying that, quote, they say nothing burger, but they mean nothing new burger. It's a tactic to avoid natural consequences. What's new in the Twitter files is clear evidence of a government conspiracy to violate the First Amendment. And I would absolutely agree with Brett on his assessment of this all. This says, of course, the corporate media has been dedicating very little coverage to the Twitter files that are explosive, that are eye-opening, that are very important and very big. This says, of course, it's not just the, the corporate media either ignoring or attacking Elon Musk. It's also a lot of individuals that are causing frivolous lawsuits against him, like accusing him of firing more female employees than males because of some inherent bias, which, again, hasn't been proven as at all there's no evidence and it seems like a lot of these court cases are there just to drag resources away from elon musk this as deranged lunatic keith oberman is calling for senate hearing for what he calls terrorist or foreign influence of twitter by elon musk which shows you just how deranged this person is and needs more mental health care than anyone else that i could even imagine this specifically responding to elon musk saying that it is unequivocally true the evidence is clear responding to tom fitton that was specifically talking about election interference in the 2020 election now it's also important to note that a lot of the twitter files are being released very slowly but 
But with every new release, we get a lot of new information that is absolutely shocking, in my own personal opinion. This has one of the major issues that Elon Musk has been addressing at the platform is the reluctance of Twitter to previously take action on adult content related to children. Yes, a very serious matter that Elon Musk is accusing the previous staff, the previous people in charge of Twitter for not taking seriously. This as he was specifically responding to a New York Post article detailing how Twitter refused to remove adult content related to children because it quote didn't violate their policies. Elon Musk specifically responded to this. Jack Dorsey for some reason said this is false and then Elon Musk slapped back at him and essentially saying absolutely not and that he is finally making it a top priority immediately at the company. This as response to this he has received a lot of employees quitting after soon announcing this and one of those employees that quit right after this was of course Yoel Roth, the former head of trust and safety at Twitter that literally wrote a PhD thesis in arguing in favor of children having access to adult content online. Yes, you heard that correctly. Elon Musk actually brought this up when Eliza Blue brought it up, a human trafficker survivor talking about his thesis, which Elon Musk said, quote, this explains a lot, posting a, a short blurb of the thesis online for many people to see and then be quickly disgusted by these ideas professed by a man that, that was at the helm of Twitter working with the intelligence agencies censoring content that he didn't like. And this is the man that also failed to coincidentally also address the larger child adult content on their platform and was one of the people that refused to allegedly remove it from its platform. Yeah, it definitely seems like everything is lining up here as of course the corporate media is doing their best in order to protect this man that clearly wasn't doing his job right, clearly abused his position of power, clearly violated the First Amendment for many Americans for daring to express political ideas that he didn't like. And now Bloomberg is releasing an article trying to protect him and alleging that what Elon Musk is uncovering is attacks against him. And it's not attacks. This is people finding out who he really was and the decisions he was making that were absolutely horrible, especially for many children that were violated and had their private images spread on the platform with Yola Roth allowing it many times without even intervening and stopping it. And again, what, what Bloomberg is doing here is absolutely pathetic as we have evidence after evidence clearly showing that Yoel Roth had a very close relation with federal agencies and government intelligence that they were partnering up with when it came to making very tough decisions at Twitter that destroyed the First Amendment for many Americans. Glenn Greenwald said, quote, Yoel Roth meeting with FBI Weekly and his little censorship minions absolutely degraded Twitter into little more than a full-on Democratic Party activist machine. This is now we have the evidence clearly presented by Matt Taibbi, 
Barry Weiss that have been releasing the Twitter files and clearly highlighting a lot of very serious problems at the platform that now Elon Musk is fixing. As of course, it wasn't just a cozy relationship with Yola Roth, but also many top government, CIA, FBI officials that have been working at Twitter that even Elon Musk was not aware of until recently. This as Andy Nog just connected another CIA and FBI intelligence operative who's still at Twitter being, of course, one of many individuals who are larger PSYOPs operation soldiers working at the helm of big tech social media. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's an accident at all, especially when it comes to the larger partnership, officially and unofficially, that Twitter had with the government. And again, that power was routinely abused, not just by Twitter, but also, of course, the government, as people were routinely suspended, routinely had their accounts violated and deleted, shadow banned in many instances for just daring to agree with the current political consensus of the establishment. And again, time after time, we were told there is no shadow banning. It doesn't happen. It doesn't agree. Jack Dorsey specifically came out and responded, no, there's no shadow banning here. And now we found out that there was from the Twitter files released and all the documents that we found out. And this is not the beginning of it all, as of course, Elon Musk is also promising a major surprise for all the bots tomorrow, December 12th, 2022, which we're all gonna be here for, and it should be absolutely exciting, as of course, Elon Musk also tweeted moments ago, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci, which many people said that they will absolutely respect and affirm those pronouns for Elon Musk. And uh, from everything we know, from everything we covered within the last few years, uh, this is, I might just be getting behind all these pronouns. What about you? Is that enough for you to get behind them? If so, let me know down in the comment section below. I think in these cases where you hear about all this corruption going on, we should ask why? Why is this going on? Why is there no news coverage of the Twitter files? Because if you look at these Twitter files drops and what they actually mean to the continuity of a constitutional republic, you'd say, clearly, this is government interference with private corporations. I mean, those private corporations take a lot of government taxpayer money to get set up and become profitable and they become favored and they're almost an integral synthetic part of a government, but it's worse than Watergate. And then I thought, is it really worse than Watergate? I have a book called Worse Than Watergate. Let's see what that's about. And then we'll compare it to this situation. So I got it here for you. This is written by a guy named John W. Dean. And if you're not old enough to know who he is, he was the former counsel to the president named Nixon <laughs> who went down with Watergate. Watergate was a break into the Democratic National Committee headquarters in the Watergate Hotel and Apartment Complex in Washington, D.C. Worse than Watergate is the secret presidency of George W. Bush because. Let me just zoom in for you guys. And you guys can compare it to, like, is this worse today than what was going on back then for this to be called worse than Watergate? George W. Bush and Richard B. Cheney have created the most secretive presidency of my lifetime. Their secrecy is far worse than that of Watergate, and it bodes in even more, uh, even more serious consequences. Their secrecy is extreme. 
not merely unjustified and excessive, but obsessive. It has created a White House that hides its president's weaknesses as well as its vice president's strengths. It has given us a, a presidency that operates on a hidden agenda to protect their secrets. Bush and Cheney dissemble as a matter of policy. Dis uh, Dick Cheney, who runs his own secret governmental operations, openly declares that he wants to turn the clock back on the pregate uh, to the pregate Watergate years, a time of un uh, unaccountable and imperial presidency. To say that their secret presidency is undemocratic is an understatement. So those are powerful words from a former general counsel, lawyer to the president of the United States, John W. Dean. He's been around. He might have a political axe to grind, you know, something like that. I don't know, but. This was a, a presidency of secrecy and all sorts of Patriot Act, invasions of privacy of Americans, these sort of things. That was deemed worse than Watergate. And if you want to follow up, there's another book you could read. Tremendous Cruel and unusual. Bush Cheney's New World Order by Mark Crispin Miller. There's probably 20 other books like that. Now let's compare that to what's going on today because there was no child trafficking going on with Watergate. There was no uh, inside the media cover up with Watergate. They were actually talking about it. Like, you know, I don't I don't trust uh, Woodward and Bernstein as far as I can throw them. But the media was at least talking about the the thing that was going on. Whereas in the Twitter files, they just pretend to their audience of three million people that it doesn't exist. And these are the same people that covered up the Hunter Biden laptop for two years. And the FBI had it for a full year before that. So those are the cards on the table for this. Yeah, what's happened is, I mean, obviously the public has been more and more schooled through public education. Uh, the cybernetic dream of like the people that attended the Macy conferences in the late 40s and early 50s has become realized in the sense that people are aghast and appalled at what happened with Watergate. But as the years continue on and people have more access to technology, there's more of those closed system feedback. And you get the situation where instead of trying to contr control the narrative outright, you, you present so many false narratives, so many half-truths all over the place. People become so confused. They don't want to even deal with it in the first place. So that's why you get you know, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, who obviously had uh, ties to uh, very important military contracts that, you know, we the impetus they for going into wars. Afghanistan. Right. And in Iraq then. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's just and that's on a superficial level. We know deep, much more deep state connections with especially with his father. And the CIA, and like that was a super fit. That was like what I was the into Bush in dynasty. high school, like against when I was against Bush and Cheney. I was like, oh, they're warmongers, they're warhawks, they're for the 100 yeah. military industrial complex, you know, Halliburton and so forth and so on. And the that being oil. said, just because just quick intersect right sure. there, yeah, you're yeah. right. And when it changed to Democrat, Obama dropped more bombs exactly. than Bush. And that's my point. That's exactly right. That's why, because as it goes to Obama and now to, to to Trump to Biden, there's more and more less. There's less oversight, and there's more outrage and more people not paying attention to what is meaningful. Whereas people seem to at least there be there was more actual, somewhat realistic uh, journalism going on um, in regard investigative journalism in the '60s and '70s. And then as technology continued, as their ability to manipulate the narrative, present many different narratives, um, better technological control as we're seeing now through a lot of the sort of technocratic control grid, they've been able to control this more and more, and especially with the culture war that has fomented really beginning with Obama onwards. So everyone's so distracted in so many different rabbit holes. They're not seeing um, you know, the forest for the trees, the old cliche goes. Well, and I was trying to look up here. Uh, it was just a couple of years ago 
that these people were having meetings on the the killer robot conference. Hmm. I was trying to find the United oh, Nations. Interesting. Had the, they had the killer robot conference. It was like 2013, 2015, something like that. UN meeting on killer robots. Oh, right here. UN meeting targets killer robots. 2015. Uh, 2015. All right. Here it is. Okay. So they. Oh, it's verboten wow. now. Oh, it's verboten. <laughs> you can't look that up anymore, bro. So. Um, <laughs> Go to your go to your friendly internet archive and see what they're hiding from you. You can also see this referenced in the 2018 film The Minds of Men by Aaron and Melissa Dykes, mm. in which you can see all these juicy things that appears. But uh, the killer robots. So they had a conference and people were laughed at back then. They're like, no, we're not going to have killer robots. This isn't a Terminator movie. Well, guess what? Uh, San Francisco just approved killer robots for their city. So maybe it yeah. is RoboCop Terminator movie. Like who's writing the script in your life? Like what's going on over this in this place? We all seem to be encountering it. It's not me. Is it you? Who's writing it? I don't know. And can we it's, <laughs> it's interesting because Russell Brand has a, uh, he did a video this week. It's called, this is only the beginning. He's basically discussing now how robots can be used as lethal weaponry as far as, uh, insofar as uh, local police forces. Obama they set now that have precedent. the right. Yes, and Bush right. set it up for Obama to set that precedent. But so what I'm saying is Republicans or Democrats, that, exactly. that mentality, those are two legs attached to a body that is the globalist new world order. And no matter which is in the office, they're serving that body that's being taken to that goal. And this is this is known uh, back the in chimera. the 60s. Yeah, I mean, this is like this is not a, a new thing that the right and left quickly said it in tragedy. Yes. And hope. yes, exactly. But the. But to go back to the the greater absurdity with the cover up of these things and the public sort of unwittingly going along with it, I see that as part of the what Patrick Wood alluded to when it comes to technocracy is social engineering through the use of technology. As technology continues to roll out, people become more and more uh, distressed, more fast, more mass formation taking place, more cybernetic sort of theories implied and and uh, and manifesting itself, and it's becoming easier for them just to pull off the more absurd and obnoxious situations, especially with a younger generation that's completely sort of bogged down by extreme propaganda, identity, sort of politics, and all this sort of nonsense. It's unlike the 60s and 70s, where there's still muckraker journalism, investigative journalism, to a certain extent. That's largely gone completely. I mean, look at Whitney Webb. She's probably one of the greatest, if not the best in the world right now. And she's, it was, I was shocked to see her on Glenn Beck. You know, I mean, that's, that's where we're at. So Twitter files, you know, surprise 2020 election time magazine. And, and Glenn Beck their... didn't get canceled for having her on, but he did have to have the net and the Yahoo at the same time <laughs> on his show to, to patch it up. They should now, have pulled it, out their, the, was it the red, uh, what was it? The rifle from the Christmas story, Christmas story, know? the red rider. BB yeah. Gun? The red rider, BB guns. Like you gotta get BB on there. Yeah. BB. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the other aspect is in world war two. So world war two happened. And in the 50s, like late 40s, 50s, 60s, they're trying to figure out what happened. How did these Germans go so crazy? Hmm. What kind of uh, mass formation psychosis overcame those formerly good people? Right. And they did all these crazy atrocities. And then Hannah Arendt wrote a book called The Banality of Evil. And basically, they normalized evil in this little country called Germany back in the day. And then these fuckers came along they're like how did we do that how'd that go on let's let's globalize that shit and now we're living in the globalization format of the banality of evil where it can it's just going on and it's, it's so out of normalized. control it's out of control it's, it's absolutely like, out of control it's not it's of a order and magnitude much greater than even nazi germany because of information technology where we're at with information technology so that actually portends to a much more troubling future 
of what could possibly manifest unless we work our way out of it. And, you know, how do we know it's out of control? What was that? Oh, killer robots. There's one. And that was more years on a Biden laptop that changed an election. There's another people inside of Twitter that censored things that changed the election. Yeah, and with Pfizer, let's not forget about Pfizer as well. And I thought when you you mess with, you know, the the United States would do that as a foreign policy strategy to change elections in other countries to be favorable, but to do it to their own people. Hmm. It's almost like there was a plan. Was there a plan? What did what did George Soros donate that 18 billion dollars for? I forget. Something about a constitutional republic. No, no, no. Wait, it had democracy. It had mob rule. It had the banality of evil. There's funding. There's a plan, but you're not allowed to talk about it. That's right. That's exactly right. And you know what else you couldn't talk about in the gulag? How the camps ran. Because if you talk about how the camps ran, you might undermine the system of the camps. Well, then what would happen was the snitches that were paid off by the guards, or at least friendly with the guards and get kickbacks from the guards would snitch on you. And so they had to take out the snitches. And I think that comes from what the third volume of uh, Alexander Schultz and Neitzen. Yeah, I was just going to grab. I'm going to grab. Here's what I'm going to do for you guys. Special tonight at home. I'm going to go. I'm going to mess with this Jenga pile of books during this next clip. I'm going to pull out volume three of Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. I'm going to read to you an example of how like the Polish prisoners put up resistance beyond what anyone else could do. And they that started breaking their captors mentally. Exactly. How come? Why don't these people respond to punishment? They seem to be anti-fragile. These sort of concepts developed in the gulag cauldron. No, no, no. Melting pot. No, no, no. Crucible. In the gulag crucible. Oh, interesting. That right choice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, I just gave you a little preview for what's coming up. Let's go to Christy Lee with this week in media malfeasance and let's see what's on her radar. Twittergate continues. Friday night was another Twitter file dump with more promised over this weekend. The third installment focuses on the communication leading up to a sitting president's removal and shows just how cozy top tweeters were with the feds. One of Twitter's lead censors, Yoel Roth, even joking about FBI collusion. Elon Musk joined a Twitter spaces focused on increased efforts to remove child exploitation. John Podesta's niece quits Twitter just in time, according to Post millennial. Leslie Podesta, a woman who claimed to be the niece of John Podesta, resigned from Twitter's Trust and Safety Council on Thursday with two others, saying it is over concern about the well-being of Twitter's users. Cernovich responded they all belong in jail, linking to a New York Post article about Twitter refusing to remove child porn. Musk adds it is a crime that they refuse to take action on child exploitation for years. In Twitter Files Part 2, released Thursday night, blacklists and shadow banning by another name are revealed. Barry Weiss, founder of the Free Press, took the lead in this Twitter thread. She found libs of TikTok and others were put on trends blacklist, and podcaster Dan Bongino had multiple censorship tags applied, including being search blacklisted. She tweets all these activities against users were done in secret without informing users. 
One of the biggest Barry bombshells was exposing visibility filtering. Weiss pointed out Twitter had repeatedly denied shadow banning. She featured Vijaya Ghani, Twitter's former head of legal policy and trust, and Kayvon Bikpour, Twitter's former head of product, for these tweets. We don't shadow ban, Bikpour tweeted in 2018. Ghani quote tweeted him and added, favoring one specific ideology or belief goes against everything we stand for. And remember when former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey testified to House Commerce? Uh, are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. Now, you could say misleading, but let's be frank, they were all lying. It's all semantics. Visibility filtering is just shadow banning by another name. It's controlling user visibility and limiting what people see on the platform. It's a very powerful tool, one senior Twitter employee told Weiss. A whole team was tasked with deciding whether to curb the reach of certain users on the platform, typically dealing with up to 200 cases per day. And guess who was on those teams? The the same people who claimed shadow banning didn't exist. Ian Miles Chong asks if political candidates were shadow banned while running for office or seeking re-election. Musk simply responds with yes. You'd think all these revelations would be huge news. But the truth is, the MSM doesn't care. The corporate-controlled media has either downplayed or ignored the Twitter files. Is it because they were complicit in trying to interfere in an election? NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN spent just seven seconds on the Twitter files when first exposed, according to the Independent Sentinel. And when they were mentioned, here's CNN's take. But what it sort of shows is a real struggle at an important platform for how to deal with something so outrageous, so explosive, and, and what to actually do with it. Uh, what Pointer said, which is a, a media watchdog group, they said, um, file this one under, file the Twitter files under M for meh. And the Washington Post said there are no, no smoking gun here. We've known a lot of this. Tom Elliott reminds us where Pointer Institute's loyalties lie. The Pointer Institute for those who don't know, is in part funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, which is basically a front for the U.S. intel community. The New York Times refers to the release as so-called Twitter files and then falsely claims Hunter Biden's laptop was stolen. Breitbart, the laptop was never stolen. It was abandoned and the store took legal possession of it in accordance with documents that Hunter Biden signed himself when dropping off the laptop for repairs. He never reported it stolen or missing. It wasn't stolen. It wasn't hacked, and the complicit media dragged its feet in verifying the laptop. Oh, but surely that wouldn't have affected the 2020 election, right? Well, not according to the Media Research Center. A national survey of 1,000 general election voters shows of those who voted in the 2020 election, more than 13% said they would not have voted for Biden if they had been properly informed about the laptop. Enough of a margin when applied to the closest contestants states to have made a difference. Other polls show it would have made an even bigger difference. We also learned the same FBI agent who played a crucial role in conducting illegal surveillance on Donald Trump's 2016 campaign also played a part in censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story during the 2020 election, according to American Greatness. Yes, James Baker, who was investigated by the DOJ for sharing classified information with reporters and resigning in disgrace, ended up being hired 
by Twitter. Even uh, James Baker, who you just noted there, had been the FBI's general counsel, then was, then was at Twitter. Even he acknowledged, well, gosh, we don't have the evidence on this, but it doesn't matter. Let's block it anyway. And in fact, one, one of the exchanges back and forth, they, they reveal the reason, which is they say we want to avoid we want to avoid what happened in 2016. Donald Trump winning. This was all about weaponizing big tech. It is absolutely corrupt. And, and what is amazing is the Democrats were fully in on it. The corporate media was fully in on it. And Elon's released the receipts, which shows all of them are willing to abuse power to stay in power. We know the FBI was meeting weekly with Twitter, but somehow the documents released weren't showing a clear cut connection. Turns out that was ex FBI lawyer James Baker, too, according to Miranda Devine of The New York Post. He shows up at Twitter five months before the 2020 election. And lo and behold, one little element did come out in the Twitter files Friday night. It was this one email uh, that had the date and time removed from it very peculiarly. But it was from James Baker and it was uh, weighing in on the decision on the morning of October 14, 2020, a few hours after our story uh, came out. Um, and there was James Baker weighing in on the side of censorship. No surprise. Baker was fired on Tuesday for more censorship, this time of FBI involvement in the scandal. Elon Musk says some of the data was hidden and maybe even deleted. Also discovered in the Twitter files was alleged election meddling by then-Democrat candidate for Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs. Attorney Christina Bob revealed Hobbs' office was contacting Twitter to have opposition posts censored. Now that Carrie Lake has filed a lawsuit to throw out midterm election results based on fraud and voter suppression, her team is calling on Musk to release any Hobbs Twitter collusion. For as much criticism as Musk has gotten since buying Twitter, his free speech ideals used to be right in line with the American Civil Liberties Union. ACLU lawyer David Goldberger even defended literal Nazis' First Amendment rights in 1978. Goldberger wrote in 2020, Central to the ACLU's mission is the understanding that if the government can prevent lawful speech because it is offensive and hateful, then it can prevent any speech that it dislikes. In other words, the power to censor Nazis includes the power to censor protesters of all stripes and to prevent the press from publishing embarrassing facts and criticism that government officials label as fake news. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, misleading, or just plain false. That's your media malfeasance for the week, Twitter files edition. Like, share, and subscribe to Beat the Suppression and join my community on Locals, christyleetv.locals.com. For KLIM.news, I'm Christy Lee. So there's like an ominous undertone to this week's news, and they have a word. I don't remember what the word is. Maybe you guys can help me out. There's a word when a group of people all over the place collude on a single plan and lie about that to the public. Uh, it starts with, it starts with, with a, a, with a prefix, C? C-O-N, con, con, like something. Madoff Conspiration. Conspiration to. Oh, to breathe together. Conspiracy. To uh. breathe together. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm sure. There was was there any conspiracy when they did the Bolshevik Revolution and killed the Tsar's family? And then, you know, if you jump into that history after that conspiracy goes on, they, they set up the gulags. And I brought these artifacts. I successfully navigated the Jenga pile and reorganized some <laughs> stuff. 
Uh, here's <clears throat> something from 1973. It's a little hit by the one hit wonder Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Now he wrote many good books. Ivan Denisovich being uh, one of them, Cancer Ward. He wrote hmm. many, many great books. Yeah, but this is the Gulag that. Archipelago. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to have to move the book camp up a little bit because this book is big. And when I mean big, I mean it's a big, thick, how many page book. This is published first in 1963. It's a 700 page volume one. So this is 1973. This is the first edition. This is volume one of the Gulag Archipelago. An experiment in literary investigation from the author. For years, I have, with reluctant heart, withheld from publication this already completed book. My obligation to those still living outweighed my obligation to the dead. But now that the state security has seized the book anyway, I have no alternative but to publish it immediately. And he snuck it out. And this book got out, and he later uh, gets out of the gulag. He escapes to America. He lived in Vermont. He died in the early 2000s. Let's read from the inside jacket cover here. Let's see. That red that print doesn't show up. So great. Let's see if we turn on a light for you. Does that help if I do that? Yeah. Look, it does help a little bit, maybe. No, it's too shiny. All right. It's all right. Let's I mean, try, I, it. Let's it try look, it. Yeah, I'm zoom, reading it. So on Zoom, it doesn't look too bad. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. The Gulag Archipelago. Now, Archipelago is a grouping of islands. It's like a bunch of islands isolated from each other, but like little land masses existing. So 18, uh, 1918, that's when the Bolshevik Revolution and the coup goes on, to 1956. This went on for decades, kids. An experiment in literary investigation by Alexander I. Solzhenitsyn. It is a question if any work of literature in our era other than the Divine Comedy, is commensurate with the Gulag Archipelago in structure, scale, and multiplicity of incident and characters, emotional range, variety of inflection, and above all, in the staggering magnitude of its underlying concept. In this masterpiece, the author of One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich and the First Circle has orchestrated thousands of incidents in individual histories into one massive narrative unflagging of an unflagging power and momentum written in a tone that encompasses that olympian wrath bitter calm savage irony and sheer comedy it combines history autobiography documentary and political analysis as it examines in its totality the soviet apparatus of repression from its inception following the october revolution of 1917 the archipelago of which Mr. Solzhenitsyn's work is the network of secret police installations, camps, prisons, transit centers, communications facilities. Let's go let's see if we can zoom. And espionage organizations, which, in his view, honeycombs the length and breadth of the Soviet Union. It's like the biggest country in the world. Drawing on his own experience, material from the Soviet archives, cases collected during his 11 years of labor camps and exile, and the evidence of more than 200 fellow prisoners, Mr. Solzhenitsyn concludes that the secret police are the vital element of the Soviet regime and have, have been ever since its founding by Lenin. Secret police 
is the essence of communist socialist societies. Numerous studies of the Soviet system of control have been published in the West, but until now, nothing so complete, so carefully documented and assembled, and never before has a literary giant devoted his gifts of narrative and characterization to the enterprise. Solzhenitsyn has here created and peopled with brilliantly portrayed human beings a vast overarching fresco of that state within a state that is the Gulag Archipelago. So that's volume one. Volume one. Now, volume two. So uh, he gets arrested. He gets picked up. He gets uh, prosecuted. He gets sentenced. They go to labor camps. It's not, a, it's not an uplifting story, but there's a volume two. So you read volume two and you're like, oh, it's going to get better because it's volume two. The Gulag Archipelago 2. The destructive labor camps, <clears throat> the soul and the barbed wire. Let's check out the insert. Let's see if it's the same story continued or what's going on here. This is 1974. This is the first edition. What more can be said about the dread apparatus of the Soviet repression than was said in the first volume of the Gulag Archipelago? My question exactly. So that's good copywriting right there. There is, in truth, much, much more. Gulag 1 involved us in the innocent victim's arrest and preliminary detention and the stages by which he is transferred across the breadth of the Soviet Union to his ultimate destination, the hard labor camp. It was at the threshold of, of camp that Gulag 1 left us, and it is the experience of camp that constitutes the substance of Gulag 2. So this whole volume, which is also... 700 pages is just about what it's like in the camps okay and people trying to escape and it not going so well uh let's see if i can get back on the screen here camps for hard la hard labor these aren't like covid camps so there's no similarity in history of what's being set up or the fact that they're projecting into the future that they're going to need these incarceration centers and masks and all this other stuff because it never happened before the camps for hard labor were not a soviet invention but in Tsarist times, their function was simply punitive. Only under the Soviets, and especially under Stalin, were the camps christened constructive labor camps. See, they put some good copywriting on it. They, they, their, their spin is like it's a work makes you free camp, like what the Nazis did. They hadn't learned any lessons either. They assigned a crucial role in the economy of the whole state. So they became a critical role. Like if we started using our prisons for profit and they became a part of the military industrial complex, so we had to keep going to war to keep people in prison. It'd be crazy if that was going on. The first four fifths of this new volume cover what the author calls the destructive labor camps because they're not constructive and the fate of the prisoners in them felling timber, building canals and railroads, mining gold without equipment or adequate clothing always to the caprices of the camp authorities most tragic of all is the life of the women prisoners and of the luckless children they bear once again this chronicle of appalling inhumanity is made endurable by the vitality and the emotional range of the writing in one truly remarkable chapter a parody of an anthropological treatise in which the author describes the sons of the gulag, their language and culture as though they constituted an exotic, newly discovered tribe. He archives new heights of sardonic wit. And in the final section, the soul and the barbed wire, the music changes, and he provides a magnificent coda on the possibilities of redemption and purification through suffering. 
pre- previewing this new volume, the New York uh, New York magazine or Time magazine wrote, "The Gulag Two may well be Solzhenitsyn's most stunning achievement to date." Okay, so now you're fourteen hundred pages into a story. These are the first two volumes, and we get to volume three. And I don't have a full size first edition of volume three, but I do have this handy little volume three and it's a pretty thick book. Let's see how many pages we got here. It's 600 pages. It's just a smaller format. And as you can see with this one, I didn't get volume three at the same time I read the first two volumes. And then by the time I had a system of marking it. So if we were to go through this, the yellow is this is okay. I'm learning the story. Oh, something happened. Something else happened. Oh, geez. Look at all these things that happen in the road. These are the pages you really want to understand in this book. So I would start here with this first red, red tab. What, you know, we already know people are being incarcerated. They're being swept up off the street for no reason. They're getting 10, 25 year terms, these sort of things, hard labor. Okay. It's been normalized through the first 400, uh, 1400 pages. Now we get to page 224. Let me see if I can get my mic over a little bit closer. And this is the bottom of the page. And it reads, this is surely the main problem of the 20th century. Is it permissible merely to carry out orders and commit one's conscience to someone else's keeping? Can a man do without ideas of science to someone else's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, without ideas of his own about good and evil. So let me go back. Can a man do without ideas of his own about good and evil and merely derive them from the printed instructions and verbal orders of his supervisors or superiors? Oaths. Oaths. So he points out that oaths are a problem in the system. All these people took oaths to the bureaucracy and they're doing this Amtsprache thing where they're just carrying out orders that are inhumane against people, but they're doing it because they're being told probably in writing and verbally. Those solemn pledges pronounced with a tremor in the voice and intended to defend the people against evildoers. See how easily they can be misdirected to the service of evildoers and against the people. Full stop. Like right there, that's going on today. 100%. It's been going on a long time, though. So let's keep reading and learn more. Let us remember that Vasily Vlasov meant to say in his executioner, meant to say to his executioner back in 1937, it is your fault. You alone are to blame that they kill people. My death is on your head alone, and you must live with that. If there were no executioners, there would be no executions. So the executioners, they wear a hood and they're like, oh, we're doing it for that guy over there. He says so. And he's our authority. Well, no, he's saying uh, you should feel guilty. If there were no convoy troops, there would be no camps. Oh, another good point. If if there was no uh, Nazis running those trains, they couldn't have had those camps. That's a a recurring point in history, it seems back then. Of course, neither our contemporaries nor history will ignore the hierarchy of guilt. Of course, it is obvious to all their officers that all their officers were more guilty. The security officers, more guilty still. Those who drew up the orders and instructions, even more guilty. And those who ordered them to be drawn up, most guilty of all. Okay. So my point that I made a couple weeks ago, like Jeffrey Dahmer's a bad guy, but if somebody was paying Jeffrey Dahmer to do that, he would be worse than Jeffrey Dahmer, right? So Hitler's a bad guy, but if Nelson Rockefeller and his family fund Hitler, 
that would probably be worse than what the guy doing the funding thing over there is probably doing. And then you mix in like at the same time they're funding Hitler, they're bringing over Jewish refugees like uh, von Mises because of a problem they funded in the first place. Beautiful convection current they run over there. Continuing on. But shots were fired. Camps were guarded. Tommy guns were held at the ready, not by them, but by those boys. Right. So they started going after younger people to be the guards because these older people had started to have a conscience. So you get into it. A couple more pages. Uh, teammates begin quietly talking about each other, but about th- uh, not about the food, but about things you hear never uh, that you hear it mentioned outside. So they start breaking these rules, start talking to each other. We get to another tab over here on page 235. There will be no end here at my desk in a warm place. I agree completely. If you ever get 25 years for nothing, so they're given, so people took these penalties because they were getting 10 years and it wasn't worth risking their lives over. But then Stalinist regime says, well, let's just start giving people 25 years and keep them in these labor camps, these forced labor camps for 25 years. So now people are willing to take more risk. This is volume three. When they up the ante on the prisoners, the prisoners are willing to take more risk to escape it. So if you ever get 25 years for nothing, if you found yourself wearing four number patches on your clothes, holding your hands permanently behind your back, submitting to searches morning and evening, working until you are utterly exhausted, dragged into the cooler whenever someone denounces you, trodden deeper and deeper into the ground from the hole you're in, the fine words of the great humanists will sound like the chatter of the well-fed and the free. There will be no end to it. But what? But will there be a beginning? Will there be a ray of hope in our lives or not? The oppressed at least concluded that evil cannot be cast out by good. See that star right there? Page 235. Evil cannot be cast out by good. Wow, that's quite a revelation. What's what's the rest of the book going to be like? How can you say that stoolies are human beings? So now he identifies the way that they're all being controlled in the camps is through the stool pigeons that then work for the secret police. In our case, we don't have stool pigeons. We have smartphones. We have unsafe uh, internet connections. We have frivolously posted social media uh, things that have all sorts of data codes and uh, electronic identifiers for location and metadata. And the guy from the NSA who also ran the CIA, Mike Hayden, he said they use metadata to kill people. So all those things are what is being talked about right here. So even though back in the 1950s, 1940s, they actually had to kill people in the camps to get the control back. We just have to change our habits with technology. Let's continue right. on. This That's is page. Exactly what I was trying to allude to yeah, right this here. is page 236. You whose conscience is unclean, this night you die. Murders now followed one another quicker in succession in, uh, than the escapes in the best period. They were carried out confidently and anonymously. No one went with a bloodstained knife to give himself away. They saved themselves and their knives for another deed. At their favorite time, when a single warder was unlocking huts one after another, and while nearly all the prisoners were still sleeping, the masked Avengers entered a particular section, went into a particular bunk, and unhesitatingly killed the traitor, who might be awake and howling in terror or might be still asleep. When they had made sure that he was dead, they walked swiftly away. They wore masks and their numbers could not be seen. So then it goes through like the, the chopping, as they called it. Literally, page 237, the chopping, as we called it, went so smoothly that it began to encroach on the daytime activities and and, and became almost public. 
because yeah, I mean, that they just were, shows you the they scale. were normalizing dissent and resistance. Right. But it also shows you the volume and scale at which they had to defend them, really defend themselves. That's what they were in essence doing. And one, so going on page 238, one of 5,000 men, about a dozen were killed. But with every stroke of the knife, more and more of the clinging, twining tentacles fell away. A remarkable fresh breeze was blowing. On the surface, we were prisoners living in a camp just as before. But reality, in reality, we had become free. Free because for the very first time in our lives, we had started saying openly and aloud all that we thought. Right. So in our case today, we don't need to go out with knives and do anything with masks. We need to learn how to speak freely and cut these tentacles of digital uh, censorship and despotism. Yeah. Despotism, tyranny. And the informers stopped informing. Boom. Now, here's a little bonus, because that was good. Let's let's go to page 239. In other words, we don't want to have it get to a point where we have to go to such extreme options. And by we then, have nonviolent options to exactly. be exploited. We still have that available to us, and that's what we always have to go for. And I wrote that right here. They're 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 cyber stoolies. We have to, but but yeah. today it's cyber stoolies, right? So, right. so now that the bosses were suddenly blind and deaf to all appearances, the tubby major, his equally tubby second in command, Captain Prolikev, and all the warders walked freely around the camp where nothing threatened them and moved among us and watched us and yet saw nothing because a man in uniform sees and hears nothing about stoolies prisoners stop talking turn their backs hide things move away at his approach a few yards off faithful informants are swooning with desire to sell their comrades but not one of them even makes a secret sign Right. So these guys that would have sold out their bunk mates but now they're keeping quiet the information machine on which alone the fame of the omnipotent and omniscient organs, that's the government, that's how he talks about the state agencies, had been uh, uh, had been based in decades past, had broken down. In other words, the panopticon was getting Shattered. the prisoners to snitch on other prisoners. That was sort of the yes. panopticon. It was the technology they were using. Yeah, they need to know who's planning for an escape and when's it going to happen so we oh, can yeah. catch those, you know, and where did they say they were going? And So then from there, there's a whole lot more of these uh, types, right? Tearing it's a powerful the message, though. Look how the right like uh, they were pushed completely into a corner, um, and that's this what that's what they had to um, bank on in order to get out of that situation. We still have so many better options to choose from, and obviously that should only ever be employed in destitute situations, in which unfortunately and tragically Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a part of. And the, the key is that they had to come to these realizations between their ears. Yeah. That's and in right. our case today, we can learn these things and not have to take violent action exactly. to liberate ourselves from the situation. Right. Now, you might think after they get rid of those stool pigeons that everything you know broke down, but that was just like the first domino. So here on page 253, we just have one more domino here. We soon learned that. Uh, we, we soon learned what was up. Reliable rumors went around the camp from the working prisoners who took the gruel to the BUR that the stoolies in the safe deposit had grown cheeky. So what the what the secret police did that run it, they took the stool pigeons and started arresting them and putting them in jail so they couldn't be killed, right? So they're preserving. They had like a, a chicken coop. And then these guys sent in oh, the their prize chickens, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Suspects uh, picked up here and there two or three at a time had been put up with the stoolies. So then they have these stoolies in the jail 
And these guys start getting themselves arrested so they can get in the cell with these people. Epstein didn't kill himself. Who were torturing them in their common cell, choking them, beating them, and trying to make them sing and name names? Who's doing the slashing? This made the whole scheme as clear as daylight. They were using torture, not the dog pack themselves, but they probably had no, no authorization to do that. They might run into big trouble. So they had entrusted the stoolies with the job. Find your murderers yourselves. The stoolies were eagerly, um, uh, were the, the stoolie, uh, stoolies were all eagerness. No shot in the arm needed. And this was one way for those parasites to earn their keep. So, so many deep historians have written so many clever books and they still have not learned how to predict those mysterious conflagrations of the human spirit to detect the mysterious springs of social explosion, nor even to explain them in retrospect. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more going on with volume three. I don't want to be the spoiler alert and let you know if it's a, you know, happy. It's, it's an up, uplifting ending considering the first two volumes and what they bring to the table and these sort of things. So now you have an understanding of why Powerful you might words. eventually, I mean, start out with an audiobook version. This isn't 1950. You don't have to read uh, 1700 pages or whatever to get the gist. Anyway, 2100 pages to get the gist. Yeah, you can listen to audiobook. It's probably 13 hours. And if you want the first seven hours, it's a peace revolution called slavery is death. Cause there's Liberty is life. And then the opposite is slavery is death. In that episode, I just play the first seven hours of Gulag Archipelago, and I don't have anything else in that episode. And the point is, it sucks. It sucks, and you should know about it so you'll appreciate the freedom and liberty that you have. And if you don't know about these things, you you can't you can't say openly without uh, smiling and laughing about it that like you can't be serious about your freedom and not know about this story because you have no appreciation for what people have actually gone through in the past hundred years in a place that was funded by the same people that run this place. That's right. We are an experiment of theirs as well. The United States is an experiment, just like the Soviet Union or communist China. Experiment in transhumanism and technocracy Tran or transhumanism is the end goal of technocracy. So social engineering through technology has been practiced throughout the entire 20th century. We're reaching a culmination of this uh, attempt to manif manifest this new uh, world view, this new uh, zeitgeist, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we still have tools to resist and, you know, we have to be careful. The Twitter files show a clear pattern of a deception, espionage. Um, conspiracy, globalism, conspiracy. international interests, because the people that put that vice president now president in power are not it, people who love American freedom. They're people like George Soros, who have an open declaration of $18 billion for pro-democracy, which means overthrowing people's individual right to have accountability from their leaders and bringing in lobbyists and third party people to pl plunder and, uh, and pillage your production, just like they did in the Soviet Union in this book series right. absolutely so right. not knowing history is causing a lot of people to repeat it that's yeah. kind of the gist and just a quick summary of what's going on united states soviet union right the united states is here they created an opposite equal opposite soviet union cold war two irreconcilable sides just like a zipper but if you got that thing on the zipper, the pull part, it takes these two irreconcilable sides and makes them come together. And that's the plan 
from the 1934 Carnegie Blue Book that changed our education to the 1973 Trilateral Commission that helped to bring this merger of Soviet power, Cold War, America, glasnost into globalism in the 21st century. And now the Great Reset is like the icing on the whole cake to make it look it's like a oh, mechanism it's not, it's not by separate which... layers. It's not China, Russia, and America being used in a layer cake. They'll just ice it over and it all looks like one thing in the future. And the United, United, the undid it. The well, undid it because of the un came in and saved everybody. And you see like that's a future that you're getting sooner than a couple hundred years from now. Yeah. Those are like the strategic, the trilateral commission and um, you know, all these different sort of committees, the UN and the CFR, but the mechanism by which they're doing it to bring the cold war, so forth and so on to bring these two, uh, irre- you know, irreparable sides together is the club of Rome. Agenda 21, the Rio conference, Agenda 2030, it's a weaponization of narratives. And so that's sort of like the mechanism or the technology they're using, the mind virus they're using in order to bring apart this this unification, this this synthesis, if you will, um, through their, their contradictory dialectic. So there's a plan going on. And now we're seeing because of the Twitter files, their coordination behind the scenes, they're scurrying. They're like making up rules on the fly to like get rid of the president's uh, ability to tweet back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and then and they, that, they're collusion with pharmaceutical companies. There is so much collusion with the, the with the, the White House to for Hunter Biden. There's also evidence of collusion with pharmaceutical companies in regards to the COVID-19 narratives. There's a whole host of different there's evidence things going of on. collusion and covering up the child trafficking. Yeah, child Yoel trafficking Roth as well. Guy, exactly. They dug up because of the Twitter files. They're like, who is this Yoel Roth who is working with uh, Vijaya Gotti in all these situations and making these decisions? And it turns out he like wrote a thesis or something on uh, the the top. He has quite an interest in some of that underage type stuff going on. So he was the one that said, no, these people didn't technically break the rules, but he's also the same person who said, this person said mouth sounds we don't like, let's ban them, even though we don't have a rule to ban them. And oh, by the way, let's change the results of an election of an allegedly free country that runs as a constitutional republic. See if I can fix this real quick here. Okay, here. Let's search this real quick. It's from National Review. Um, it's locked out, but basically the sentiment is Twitter executive met with FBI weekly around 2020 election document show. So this just goes, this is. So after the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop for a year and after the FBI went to Facebook and said, oh, it's Russian hackers and it's fake news and blah, blah, blah. And after this guy had been meeting with those people, for weeks, once a week, and after the FBI had their lawyer inside Twitter, right? So this guy Correct. knew about all that. Yes. And he was head of safety. Yoel Roth was seemingly meeting with the FBI on a weekly basis around the 2020 election. According to the latest installments, installment excuse me, of the Twitter files, this article was written by Brittany Bernstein, December 9th, 2022. And this comes obviously from journalist Matt Taibbi. Is it Bernstein or Berenstain? Just making a simulation, you know, (laughs) just making Uh, me laugh because it's a comedy show. It's comedy of errors that we're showing you. Please continue. (laughs) A coincidentia. coincidentia It's a coincidentia appositorum. Yeah. Uh, We just do the union of opposites thing all night. Jessica Pisces, you know, it's all about the square root of three. Taibbi shared a screenshot of Slack messages from after the Capitol ride on January 6, 2021, in which Roth jokingly says a time block on his calendar is, quote, definitely not a meeting with the FBI, I swear, end quote. 
After January 6, internal Slack showed Twitter executives getting a kick out of, intens- of intensified relationships with federal agencies. Here's trust and safety head Yoel Roth lamenting a lack of quote-unquote generic enough calendar descriptions to concealing his quote-unquote very interesting meeting partners. Roth also cites a weekly sync with FBI, DHS, DNI, in a separate set of messages and, quote, a report from the FBI concerning two tweets, end quote, in another. The tweets apparently related to false claims about fraud in the 2020 election. And this is one of the tweets. This post about the Hunter, this comes from Matt Taibbi. This post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation shows that Roth not only met weekly with the FBI and DHS, with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. DNI. DNI. I think the first DNI was John Negroponte. Because the DNI was not a position that was created until after the Patriot Act. See, because after 9-11, oh, kids, yeah. after point. the people, I, the I, mean I people with the box cutters from the sand place, they came over and then we had to reorganize all our intelligence groups. And we created the position called Director of National Intelligence that is like the the intelligence person over all the intelligence agencies. So it's a pretty serious thing. So. I'm sure Negroponte, he's probably not related to Nicholas Negroponte, who wrote a book called Being Digital about transhumanism and cybernetics and things like that. Don't look don't look these things up. Don't trouble yourself with facts of reality that we all share that can be easily verified with the supercomputer in your pocket. Just leave it. You sort of get the gist. It also goes on the state about the collusion to oust President Donald Trump at the time. The documents also show an unnamed employee asking policy director Nick Pickles if Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to hold in the laughter for you. Nick, sweet pickles. Come on up to the stage. <laughs> if Twitter should say the company detects, quote unquote, misinfo through, quote, ML human review and partnerships with outside experts, end quote. I know that's been a slippery process. Not sure if we want your our public explanation to hang on that, the employee says. Pickles asked if they can just, quote, sit, just say partnerships. <laughs> They're just partnerships, everyone. Adding, quote, for example, They're not just a friend. <laughs> not sure we describe the FBI DHS as experts. They're just partners. Interesting. Uh, Taibbi writes the new files, which are set to be released in three parts each day until Sunday, which is today. Well, so I guess on the second or third of the second installment, I don't even know. It's getting all confusing and convoluted there. I know because I got Biz Marquee. You say he's just your friend or whatever song (laughs) going to my head now because we're reading this article. You say he's just a friend. Jackson five. Oh, baby, you got what I need. God, keep yeah, you got the you got what I need. Read the rest of this article. We'll oh, get off this story. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> three parts each day until Sunday will reveal quote the erosion of standards in the company in months before January sixth. Decision by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. He adds that the documents show that in 2020, Twitter was quote deploying a vast range. Let me highlight this for everyone of visible and invisible tools to rein in. Trump's engagement long before January 6th. The ban right. come after other avenues are exhausted, end quote. Here's this is the, after they surveilled his campaign, tapped his phones, had a secret government, stay stay behind government led by Rhodes Scholars working against them. This is after all that. They're still trying to like take that orange man bad down. They're hilarious. Quite entertaining. Uh, on December, this comes from Matt Taibbi. On December 10th, as Trump was in the middle of firing off 25 tweets saying things like, <laughs> 
quote, a coup is taking place in front of our eyes and quote, Twitter executives announced a new quote, L3 deamplification end quote. So this L3 deamplification tool. The step meant a warning label now could also come with deamplification. What do you think that means, everyone? What uh, happens when you deamplify de something? Yeah. Mm. Make it quieter than quiet? <laughs> Shadow ban anyone? Taibbi's Friday posts say journalists Michael Schellenberger and Barry Weiss will post additional documents on Saturday, Sunday, respectively. Obviously, more being posted now, probably as we. Uh, conduct this show. Weiss posted the second installment of Twitter files on Thursday, revealing Twitter had shadow banned a number of conservative figures, including conservative commentator Don, Don Bongino, who was placed on a quote unquote search blacklist, and Turning Point USA's Charlie Kirk, who was given a quote unquote do not amplify. So basically, <laughs> they're going into a cage label. match with the Republicans and they, they, drug your, they drug their opponents like Bill Cosby. Be careful of the. Was accused um, of. Hegelian sort of dialectic. I hate to use that term because it's not really Hegel. And but anyways, it's still it's simple enough for people to understand of playing both sides against one another. I mean, Twitter thesis, also, that which exists synthesis. synthesis yeah, and, you need, and to get to the synthesis, that's the intended outcome. You need an antithesis like Correct. the Soviet Union to be created. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the contradictory dialectic I alluded to earlier. Uh, be but what's well, right, right in that tweet that you just read? It's now official. Like I used to think that shadow band was just those introverted kids during the talent show, but now we know it's a real thing and they were targeting it to one side. They weren't saying, well, we need to ban this topic across the spectrum. They're just like, let's just ban our enemy. Let's just po like, they're just poisoning the food supply and the rations and subverting their supply lines. They're doing Fabian socialist tact, you know, Fabius Maximus tactics, exactly. which I would say that's weird. What's these Roman tactics doing in our society, but the Fabian socialists, they speak English. And they got the wolves and sheep's clothing as their fucking logo, dude. And, and they have another logo of where they have the world and they're shaping it into this their image it's a with the hammers word. on the stained yeah. glass. So I take them seriously because they, they commissioned stained glass about it. They must be serious about what they're doing. <laughs> that strategy worked during the Second Punic War, arguably against the greatest general in human history, Hannibal. Um, yeah. Arguably, it's the reason Hannibal why had elephants, at West bro. Point. How do you defeat them? He had one well, more than elephants. It was all deception. His ability for strategic and tactical deception in battles and to sometimes win battles where he was outnumbered two to one. Whatever happened to Carthage? Well, they routed from the inside out with their aristocracy and, well, you know, appropriated by another empire. I uh, think the, the money power of Carthage, the money power of Carthage moved to Rome and then it went back point. and ate Carthage. So you couldn't yeah. follow the money power and where it came from. It, it happened through Hanno II, um, who was an aristocrat that lived in New Carthage, which would be somewhere like mid-North Africa, like Ethiopia today. And uh, he controlled, you know, he controlled rich, he controlled the silver mines. So mm. just like the Fugers, who he also controlled the gold and silver mines. And then, you know, that was the, what, 17th century? The it's all about family? Let me bring yeah. up the Fuggers, because there is. <laughs> you guys might be laughing at home. You think it's potty language, but... We are going to talk about the. I just find here. an interesting history with controlling F U G G E R the, the gold and silver mines and he's a rich fugger nation. Various the House empires. of Fugger. It's a German <laughs> banking family of Europe, and they're part of the Habsburg dynasty. They inherited some power from the Medici Bank, and uh, they're part of the German colonization of America. Sax Coburg Gotha. How are oh, the relationship to the Habsburgs, what? Rich? Let's see. Sax Coburg Gotha. Oh, that's a British that's, royal family. 
Ah. And the funder of the Nazis. Look what at a surprise. Well, they're German. Now, the, but sense. the big question, though, is their relationship to the Habsburgs. Aren't mm. they one and the same thing in some instance or became well, one the same let's... thing after a certain marriage? Senna, uh, Senna will know. Senna, give me a shout out. Look, I got Prince Albert, consort, Saxe-Coburg, and Gotha. Okay. So it seems yeah, like yeah, he yeah. marries into the British royal family because he's banging Queen Victoria back in the day. But her family was also cool. Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, which is why like, she's with the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha dude. Right. right. Germans. And I'm pretty the sure Germans. the Habsburg some, at some point that intermarried so it, had a The House of Windsor, yeah, is really a German house, yeah. And they changed their name for public relations. Yeah. And they funded the Nazis along with the eugenicists in America. I'm just saying. And these people still seem to have power of some sort. Do they have uh, what's going on with that? Oh, King Chucky the third. All right. And what's right. he promoting? What's his mechanism he's using well, to bring about a world government? Oh, that's right. The climate. The House of oh, Hanover. It's not just about the pretzels anymore. House of Hanover. Look, oh, there's a lot of interesting things. Louisa Britton. Princess Louise, this is is this princess? British princesses or German? Uh, oh, there's also a princess. She's named after, or she's mm. a, like the other one was named after her from Denmark. But if, when you go back and look at any of these royal families, which I've done and I have in the history blueprint here, uh, you can see there's a lot of intermarriage too. That's between like Hesse Castle. Hold on, let me right? look up the Habsburgs real quick. Now, this is a guy who provided Hessians to uh, King George II of Britain. And then also the King George III of Britain for the American revolutions because they the British didn't want to fight us, so they sent us Germans. A lot of Germans tonight. Trying Crown to, so, Prince William. Uh, Landgrave of Hesse Castle. This guy is not a famous guy in history. You should not know this person's name. And it's confusing because when he was crowned prince, he was Wilhelm, elector of Hesse, but he also, when crowned, when his dad dies, he becomes William the first. So you got to disambiguate such things as you're learning. And they have these weird titles because it's still the Holy Roman empire back then rolling around in this house of Hanover, almost like the Vatican had something to do with Germany and the Nazis. Did they, did they ever have anything to do with that situation? I think we had intermission about that two weeks ago. Oh, I have one to many books behind me on that topic. We might have to dig those out, but this is the unplanned segment of the show. We didn't plan to have to dig into the history blueprint and look up the fuggers, but that was fucking fun. Learning a little bit about uh, history. Maximilian of Habsburg, Lorraine, Charlotte, Saxe, Coburg, Gotha, Emperor and Empress of Mexico before. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, because they're not colonizing. So you can see like a sort of confluence between the two houses. The confluence of Austrian. colonizers. The confluence of colonizers conference was what it was called, I think, back in the day. It definitely think, wasn't a conspiracy at all. I think not the big question that people have in this community that just to wrap up this discussion in regards to Elon Musk and Twitter is he's a... Uh, <laughs> There's still a lot of individuals that seemingly are either are currently being banned or their accounts are being suspended or have not been unbanned or their suspension has not been lifted. So like the Grand Theft World never got its Twitter back. You got you it. Know. So there's a lot of so. questions in regards to the authenticity of you know his appealing to the First Amendment and whether mm-hmm. or not he's going to live up to that principle or not. And that remains to be seen. There's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of things happening over there. So I'll give it some time, but it's a big red flag. I'm afraid it could be a massive red herring, and this could be just building a straw man to build to act as though he is in support of free speech when in fact those such as ourselves and many other alternative content producers still have yet to either their suspensions to be lifted or 
you know, have been suspended. I think Jackson Hinkle just covers like the Ukraine, Russia, and a couple other things. He was banned because Jimmy Dore had no had him on, and I was listening to it earlier this week. I'm like, what did he do of all people um, to really upset? Uh, and obviously, Alex Jones will not be his. Uh, Elon Musk made that very clear, um, you know, in regards to Elon's lack of understanding of what happened in regards to his trial in Connecticut and the whole uh, the, the tragic shooting that took place in Connecticut back in uh, 24 is a 2014, I believe. So 2012 yeah. was it 2012 that long ago. Jesus Christ. 10 years. Yeah. We should point out that while all this is, is happening, Elon's gaining credibility. He's working on setting up Twitter as a, a payment system and place to store value, which you know ties into, you know, the worries some people have been talking about, about uh, verification and of course, Neuralink coming down, down the road eventually. Yeah, I think it's a good warning for people looking at Elon as some sort of freedom messiah. You know, free speech is one thing, but freedom in general, I don't think he agrees with it, right? We're running on the rules. We human beings over here in America, we're running on the rules of constitutional republic. And there's a document called the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and it tells us how to interact and play nice with each other. I believe that Elon's uh, code reference is not the Constitution of the United States of America because he's from South Africa, right? So he doesn't really. But I think he runs on a different program like uh, Asimov's uh, 10 Rules of Robotics, probably. Or three rules. We'll just boil it down to three rules. Yeah, that's a thing. You can look up. I might have referenced it. I think there's three rules, actually. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think. Go watch iRobot or read the book. But yeah, his ignorance in regards to what happened to Sandy Hook, his ignorance in regards to so many other narratives and other situations, not only with Alex Jones, with so many other content producers and never even touched things of that nature. Um, it's it's disturbing and we still but it's early. So let's see. But I, you know, there's the, the other thing I have freedom and then there's deifying uh, a kind of iconoclasts that are promoting or operating under the facade of promoting those principles. So we have to be careful. Is this the same FBI today as like back in 2012 or 2013 or 2014 when they when they blacked out the FOIA request for the Hartford Current on Sandy Hook? Is that the same FBI or do they change every couple of years and get all new people? Same I'm just asking FBI. for a friend. Who's same FBI, unfortunately, Rich. It's very tragic. Wishes to remain unknown. They're right off camera. They're just, they're asking. I was just relaying that. I don't actually have that question. And I shouldn't be politically or judicially prosecuted for someone else's question over there. So. Yeah, it doesn't we'll seem see. like the- we'll see if it answers rhetorical or not. I'll leave that up for the audience. All right, so now we got a we got a coin toss of the next stories. We got FTX, yes, or we could play some Twitter files coverage because I don't think everyone here knows what's in the Twitter files yet. So maybe we should find uh, what is the mother of all tweets and what are the supporting tweets for that, so we can at least get like one major good point out of the Twitter files, like. This episode is titled what? Shadow ban coup? Shadow ban coup. What's that mean? Was there a shadow ban and did a coup take place? It's open for discussion now, I think. So we have a lot. Trump tried to tweet it and they banned him for trying to warn the public. There's a coup going on. Now, do you think Allende, when he's down there with Pinochet bombing, like they flew a plane into his palace. It was like 9-11. Actually, it was 9-11, 1973. It's easy to remember the Operation Condor with Kissinger running uh, black ops down there. Uh, do you think uh, Allende was like tweeting and Pinochet is like cutting off his access to the people? No, they just were hardcore. They throw a plane into his palace. These days, they can be more subtle. 
they didn't have to crash a plane into Trump's palace or his Mar-a-Lago or his White House or any of these types of things. Right. How do you they know they'll just print turn it? off his words? Right. This is the OK. So how do you know three print days? It? it is three days of the Condor at yeah. the end. Spoiler right. alert, because it's a 50 year old movie. I will spoil it. Uh, Robert Redford's a CIA whistleblower, and he goes and he's having an argument with his handler. And he's standing outside the New York Times and he's like, I'm going to go into the New York Times and they're going to print it. And the guy goes, what if they don't? Meaning they own the CIA, like the CIA has editorial control, most certainly over. New and York had Times. it back in the 1970s. And how naive are you, the oper operations analyst that doesn't understand that? And we went two hours to get that story out of there. And really, that's just cover for. Right. So they show you Operation Con Three Days of the Condor. Robert Redford, action movie, New York City. World mm -hmm. Trade Centers are featured. Yeah. So it must right. be like 76, 77 when that came out. I don't yeah, remember. It was late 70s, if I remember correctly. But yeah, the guy oh, has his office now. in the World Trade Center, his handler, right? Yeah. So uh, lower level is probably the 25th 1975 by Sidney po Pollack. Okay. Sidney Pollack and Eyes Wide Shut. So dude's a boom, boom, boom. He's the red, red cape guy. He's no way. Character. No tap, way, tap, tap. dude. Watch are him with the billiard ball. Watch him. That's right he does so sydney pollock i did not know that yeah silly wow. sydney pollock was his name he passed away yeah, interesting pollock. movie three days of the condor my point is people think it's about that that story but really operation condor was the overthrow of democratically elected salvador allende with the military coup uh putsch by kissinger and the cia on september 11th 1973 and so you don't have an idea what Operation Condor is. You'll just think three days of the Condor. You'll think about the movie. And that's hey, a sub-theme in there. You could, If you know about it, you can figure out, oh, this was like, you know, someone in the middle of some of these transactions. And uh, it's actually a German hit team that goes around killing people for the CIA, inside the CIA. And uh, Robert Redford, they're like, can you describe him? And he says, he had an accent. I'll say Lorraine. I was like, oh, that's like the the western part of Germany near France. Like that's yeah, a very specific yeah. reference. And then they have Klaus von Sido or uh, Max von Sido as the one of the hitmen going through, and he's like the the typical Nazi German type of actor that they would put into that. Uh, he also did a, a bang up job in Flash Gordon. Max uh, uh, Ming the Merciless, yeah, great role on his part. He should have got Oscar for that. But the point is, these government operations, this statecraft, America has no interest in Chile. Copper, what? No. They have no interest down there, but the British have always had interest. The British Empire has that interest. And then they created these apparatus in our country like CIA because you don't see like all these other there's 22, 24. Who knows how many intelligence agencies in America? Which one yeah, has each, each the, branch of the military has one? And then the obviously the NSA, the CIA. I mean, there's so many. Right. And a lot of those are just doing as told. Right. Yes. They're, oh, yeah. they're not like, CIA is a player on the field. They're making shit happen. They, they the FBI is on the field covering stuff up all the time. So right. it's almost like one group is out there taking the covert actions and they used to do it foreign, but now they do it domestic. And then you got another agency, FBI. They go around make obscuring everything for a couple years till everything's done. And like you, you found out oh, we already stole your shit two years ago. We took yeah. your election two years ago. You're just finding out about that now. Sorry about your luck. There's no reverse in this game. No, no, not that's the whole point. It's not supposed that's, to be reversed. That's why they admitted that's it in Time Magazine. They're like, we already won. We can brag about it a little bit. Let's say we reinforce the election. Exactly. And they're they're willing to admit it that openly. I mean, it's just obnoxious and absurd in so many levels. Um, 
there's a lot of flavors here. So it depends on what flavor. It's like Twitter Baskin ice cream Robbins before like. it went woke. <laughs> flavor can mean a lot of things when it comes to woke culture. So anyways, Twitter files part two. Um, We have lots of Jimmy Dore clips. Shadow banning is real. Rogan spits truth about Hunter Biden. Deep state media bias. We have FBI agent planted inside Twitter fired by Musk for censorship. Court. Uh, corporate reporters united in hate for Matt Taibbi, Jackson Hinkle, Twitter ban revealed how Twitter colluded with government. Paul Joseph Watson did one, didn't see this one coming. Um, it talks about the tw- uh, 2.0. Everything you need to know about the Twitter fires, louder with Crowder. It's a pretty good one, 20 minutes. Um, I think that's more in, re- let me just look at the timestamp on this. This was published on December 6th, so it's probably in reaction to the, lo- the last Fridays. One. Yeah, the first right. one. Um, right. so that okay, was so there was something a, there I was, was the first with Twitter drop that happened last Friday. Crowder has 20 minutes on it. It's in the show notes for this episode. So you guys can see it. And then Barry Weiss discovered that there was an FBI lawyer laundering all the documents, making sure they're all nice and clean and all the they're all sanitized. So nothing too incriminating about their activities was passing through. So now the investigation gets really interesting because now people are like, what was taken out? Just like the Fauci emails are interesting because now you see what was redacted. Exactly. Why would they redact it? And why would they unredact it now? Like, why would they hide it and then unhide it? Oh, they already got away with it. They already cast the check. They already got the money. They're They're gone. So they'll tell you like, they ripped you off. That's their gist because now they're ripping you off in a new way. Ukraine or whatever next scandal is coming up. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's uh, the Karl Rove quote. You're going to judiciously, as you will, study just, what they're doing, but they're out committing new crimes tomorrow. Like you think Samuel Bank- Bankman Freed, they're like, dude, that's that's two months ago. You just found out about that a couple of weeks ago. That's, but that's a like, cybernetics narrative control that they're doing in order to keep people in a state of mass formation because they're untethered to reality. There's all this free floating anxiety. They don't know how to ground themselves. So instead of instead of there being real reporters like the telling of the truth. Yeah, it's gotten to a point where it's like, well, let's just allow half truths everywhere so people can never find the actual ground of reality and the actual evidence leading to what exists. That's that's the new sort of uh, strategic and tactical imperative that the sort of these individuals are operating under now, these institutions rather, and the individuals carrying out uh, these ideas. So going back to the show card, Twitter fires lease, more government collusion. This is Matt Orfalea. Orfatella? No, no, Fortella. Oh, or Falea. Um, Allison Morrow interviewed him 42 minutes. Uh, fired Twitter executives have committed treason. John Bounce, like five minute video, pretty good. Watch Jack Dorsey spent years gaslighting the American people about shadow banning. That's Harrison Smith playing old clips of Jack Dorsey. All right, let's start with that because okay. the other, yeah. the other, uh, shoot a drop is if you have caught any of the recent Tesla meetings and I only caught like a couple minutes of it. I was like, oh, there's a live stream of, you know, Elon over at Tesla, not at Twitter. He's over at Tesla talking to those investors, right? And I hop on it for a couple minutes. I don't own any Tesla stock. I don't own a Tesla. I know that electricity comes from dinosaurs too and the sun. And um, so I'm not fooling myself by thinking driving the Tesla, saving the planet. A biogenesis. You're just killing kids in Africa. Whereas like, you know, coal miners but, but do get a Domino's has all electric cars now, Rich. So they're, you know, saving. The I don't know what that is. Is that a game? <laughs> it's a slave food. I got you. It's a slave <laughs> food. I got you. So we think green is people. Spoiler alert. It always has been new original recipe, though. And they, it um, comes with a, a side of Brando, you know, for us to wash it all down. Yeah. Because you don't want to drink water from like from the toilet. <laughs> it's got electrolytes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was good on you. Oh, yeah. 
this banality of corruption. Uh, so my point with the Tesla video is Jack Dorsey's on that call with Elon. He's like an advice, like, so Elon friend, like basically they became buddies in real life and they're working on these projects what year was and the this? whole time. This is, this is, this is weak, dude. This is this week wait, right wait, before wait, wait, this wait. other stuff, right before that other shoe dropped. I saw Elon on a call with Jack Dorsey and Jack's like his advisor and he's helping to position stuff. That's a double Dutch rudder with a bunch of fucking corporate execs just jacking each other dude. off. So if you think Elon fired that, uh, that, that James Baker guy quick. I wonder what he has planned in store for Jack now that okay. he knows Jack's not only been lying, but Jack told him, hey, this is a safe lawyer to have as your general counsel. And like, you know, Jack's been playing both sides of the fence, it seems, because he he's purposely on Rogan's interview and in those other tweets oh, yeah, said, absolutely. yeah, there's no shadow banning and he's he's gaslighting. There's no shadow banning, but plenty of gaslighting. Is that what it happens over there? A lot of gaslighting, most certainly. There's also a lot of the curious potential for a red herring. A red herring is something that misleads or distracts from a relevant or important question. And I think the origin comes from hunting you know, like dogs, hunting dogs and using a, a red herring, quite literally, to, to throw off the scent. So the idea, you know, is misdirection, misdirection, misdirection. I go over this in specific in my logic course for those that are interested, but yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit concerned. There might be a lot of red herring, straw men, gaslighting. Certainly, however, Jack Dorsey is a master you, at gaslighting. If you educate your hounds and they know the difference between a fox and a fish, if they're That's that the much intelligent, you don't get fooled by red herrings. That's right. So and that was sort that. of the point of it. It was training for their hounds in order to either uh, one throw the hound scent off, but really more specifically in order to be able to distinguish and differentiate between different smells in regards to hunting dogs. So the hounds in specific. For foxes, is not a British I'm saying, tradition. I'm saying we know what the we the hunting dogs we know what a fox smells like, and we're not following that red herring trick you're doing to us. We passed the test. I don't know what the rest of the people call it in the sort of uh, false dichotomy. That's another fallacy that the uh, left right paradigm that you alluded to earlier. You know, so let's see how many people get thrown off the scent or are able to develop their scent, their olfactory system more acutely. We'll find out. All right, so let's check out Harrison Smith, and then let's go to uh, Jimmy Dore's coverage of this because that'll that'll butt up nicely. That's not a Hunter Biden pun; <laughs> it's just a you know, it's a masonry joke of how you get the bricks to meet up. I guess right there, we got two bricks coming up. I think if anything, he's probably heating some bricks to melt some rocks. <laughs> just saying. Good point. He's distributing <laughs> Brits, uh, bricks. Diplomatic community. Yeah. See, that's a got lethal that weapon. Lethal weapon callback right there. You know, oh. Back in the 80s, Danny Glover, Mel Gibson. Get, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen those movies. Kruger Rands and South no. Africans. Nothing you need to know about today. I always get that confused with Naked Gun for some reason, which is Leslie Nielsen comedy. Anyways. That's got OJ before he was a murderer. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and probably after he was a murderer. Let's, <laughs> let's face it, it might not have been his first time. Oh, shit, bro. All right, let's go to Harrison Smith from InfoWars. He does a morning show over there. Check it out. Let's go to uh, see what Jack Dorsey has said over the years. Maybe it's all good. All right, folks, we're going to continue with our coverage of the Twitter files here, including the backlash to it and some of what, uh, some of what people are saying on the other side. 
But first, I do want to remind you, go to InfoWarsStore.com today to take advantage of the mega blowout sale. A lot of these products are selling out. So if you want to get up to 60% off some of our top-selling products like Vitamin Mineral Fusion, DNA Force Leave Plus, Knockout, Survival Shield X2. Free shipping, uh, apparently. In the in the idiocracy for, uh, future, they don't have a mega blowout sale. They have a mega blowjob sale, and it does a lot better. Just like the Starbucks in the future does the rub and tugs, and those other uh, places yeah. that just like the Fuddruckers just went to like butt fuckers and stuff like that. Wasn't uh, it? Wasn't there a show like All My Balls or something? So these all my balls. watching it's All My Balls, hit. yeah, like that. Yeah, can't answer the door, baiting. <laughs> Sorry. Let's get back to Harrison Smith and the serious news at Infowars. Uh, vitamin D3 gummies, all of these are available at up to 60% off and you get double Patriot points and you get free shipping with all orders over $50. Now is the time to go to InfoWarsStore.com. Ease is the turmeric supplement uh, that I absolutely love, uh, especially if you have a, a bad back at all, if you spend all day sitting at a desk or if you you know, are an athlete and work out or He's running and want that, that uh, something that can help you to recover it's afterwards. Body ease is the supplement for you. It is really incredible. It's out of stock. Well, there I go. <laughs> Screwing everything up again. Sorry, you waited too long. If you wanted to take bodies, it's, uh, it's uh, too late. So you know what? That's going to happen with other products too. So you better get there quick. Go to InfoWarsStore.com right now. Of course, all of our supplements are incredibly powerful and do exactly what they claim because we're using the power of nature, not some, you know, abomination created in some chemical lab somewhere. It's just taking what nature has given us, repackaging it into its most powerful form and supplying it to you for a great price, especially with those massive discounts and the free shipping and the double Patriot points. What are you waiting for? Go to InfoWarsStore.com right now. Some other interesting things we've revealed that have been revealed by the Twitter file, it appears as though when the Twitter mods or the authorities, the moderators or whoever they are, whatever they call themselves at Twitter, are looking at your profile, it appears as though they have a tab to look at your direct messages, which of course we know is true across the board. I remember telling uh, Roger Stone this a long time ago, something had come out in the news and he was like, the only place I've discussed this is in my private messages. And it's like, yeah, dude, they all have access to your, everybody that works at Twitter has access to everything on your Twitter account, all of your private messages. In the same way that everybody at YouTube and Vimeo has access to all of your private videos and all of your, you know, personal stuff, just like the people at Facebook, not only are able to check and read your messages, your private internal messages, but they're actually providing those without warrants to the authorities if they don't like what you're talking about, which includes questioning the 2020 election. So that's how big tech, big tech operates. That's how it works. Everyone should be aware of that. Now we have the proof of it in the images that show that they can just look directly at your direct messages uh, from, from their control panel. From Post Millennial, they have this headline, Elon Musk confirms U.S. political candidates were blacklisted while running for office. Twitter executives testified before Congress in 2018 and said unequivocally they did not engage in this type of suppression. And it wasn't just in front of Congress that they made this assertion. It was really all over uh, the place. We have several examples of Jack Dorsey himself saying this over and over and over again on mainstream media. Let's go first to clip number six. Here's Jack all the way back in 2016 telling, MS, uh, telling NBC's 
Matt Lauer that Twitter absolutely does not hide content ba or, uh, hide content based on viewpoint. No way. Us? Absolutely not. Here it is. I sent a tweet out yesterday telling my followers, my measly number of followers, that you were going to be on and asking what questions they would like you asked. There was an enormous outpouring of questions about censorship. So let me ask you point blank. Does Twitter censor the content of its users? Does it hide what it would consider inflammatory comments, whether they be social or political? Absolutely not. Twitter has always been about controls. People can follow whoever they want. And it's our job to make sure they see the most, the most important things and the, and the things that will matter to them. So anybody can say anything on Twitter. The company does not go in there and take certain things out that can be dangerous. Well, there's certain there's certainly tweets that promote violence, which is against our terms of service, and uh, people have controls to block and people have controls to mute. But what about the company? Who Not decides the, the difference between criticism and hate? These are the these are the individuals. So you can follow who you want, and if it's something you want to see, you continue to follow it. Do you get trolled? Do Do you get nasty tweets? I get personally. Uh, I get I get some complaints. I get some nastiness every now and then. As the CEO of the company. So that was him on NBC in 2016. We've got clips from him from 2018 and even later talking to people like Brian Stelter and Sean Hannity saying the same thing over and over. They continuously ensured their users that there was no content moderation uh, based on viewpoint. In fact, they went so, Jack Dorsey himself went so far as to testify, this, testify to this in the Senate. Let's watch that video. Building. If it's okay with all of you, I'd like to read you something I personally wrote as I thought about these issues. I'm also going to tweet it out right now. I want to start by making something very clear. We don't consider political viewpoints, perspectives, or party affiliation in any of our policies or enforcement decisions. Period. Impartiality is our guiding principle. Let me explain why. We believe many people use Twitter as a digital public square. They gather from all around the world to see what's happening and have a conversation about what they see. Twitter cannot rightly serve as a public square if it's constructed around the personal opinions of its makers. We believe a key driver of a thriving public square is the fundamental human right of freedom of opinion and expression. Our early and strong defense of open and free exchange has enabled Twitter to be the platform for activists, marginalized communities, whistleblowers, journalists, governments, and the most influential people around the world. Uh, they sound so sincere, don't they? Default that's, to a that's a voice you can trust. He's being so forthright and upfront. Who's that per perched uh, leering over his shoulder? <laughs> that's that's Vijaya Gade, right? That's the one who was in charge of doing all the things that he's up there swearing to the U.S. Senate that they don't do. Again, just, just put yourself in the mindset of these people. Put yourself in the mindset of J right there, knowing everything that Jack Dorsey is saying is an utter ridiculous lie, right? Just put yourself, what type of person sits there and seriously thinks she's pulling the wool over everybody's eyes? Also knows that she's not, but knows that the people in power are with her on this and just as deceptive and duplicitous as she is. Just think about the criminal cabal 
that runs our country right now, that we know their names, we know their faces, we know where they live, we know what they've done, and they just do it anyway because they know they, they have all of the power in the official system. One that is so strong at this point that opposition against it is damn near impossible, except here on InfoWars, of course. Unusual Wales responded to this by saying, Twitter files released by Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, and Barry Weiss have suggested that a secret group headed by Vijay Agade, the head of legal, Yoel Roth, head of trust CEOs, Jack Dorsey, and Parag, and others made decisions secretly without overview to moderate Twitter. Now, Elon Musk replied to this saying, controversial decisions were often made without getting Jack's approval, and he was unaware of systemic bias. The inmates were running the asylum. Jack has a pure heart in my opinion. And Jack Dorsey's actually encouraged Elon Musk to release all this information. But I guess this is just, I mean, this is the way the world operates at this point. Biden's not actually the president. His subordinates are operating without his knowledge, just like it's happening with CEOs across the country. The Twitter files dropped the second one. I want to remind everybody that this is just proof and confirmation that the Democratic Party was using their influence to censor on social media because here's Ed Markey, Democratic senator, and here's what he says the problem with censorship is on social media. The issue is not that the companies before us today are taking too many posts down. The issue is that they're leaving too many dangerous posts up. Okay, so that's a very powerful senator, <laughs> one of the most powerful uh, 50 people in the world. Yeah. Um, Making a passionate Mr. Gorbachev build up this wall. <laughs> <laughs> so Barry Weiss was given these set of leaks. So I just want to go through them really quick. And I want to highlight the stuff that I think is really important. A new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing users. So this is about shadow banning and then all this other stuff that goes along with it. And so now I've told you that whenever I have a popular tweet, I'll notice that likes get taken away from it. So like I have a tweet whenever I'm trending now, I would like to retweet a, a video that I put out uh, explaining that I don't criticize re Democrats because I side with Republicans. I criticize Democrats because they do. And so I've noticed that people... Uh, not only will my retweet be taken, it won't show up, but other people have said, hey, I've liked this now three times this post. They keep taking my likes away. I've seen a like disappear from a post, not of mine, but of someone else, of Michael Tracy's. Right in front of my eyes, I saw the like disappear. Yeah. So there's some algorithm that that limits your like. So YouTube's you got one too. They all got them. They, YouTube's got it too. That's right. YouTube uh, would, well, and then they just, just flat out started hiding the dislikes. Yeah. So you couldn't see when somebody got ratioed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so um so that's what this is this is all and so i know my account has been somehow sh shadow banned and it's gotten some shitty it's just amazing right so twitter once had a mission to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers along the way barriers nevertheless were elected erected so remember this guy we brought mm -hmm. him on dr jay Bhattacharya. he was on with dr martin kuldorfen who were they they were uh he he was um 
a signatory, one of the writers of the Barrington Declaration. And what was the Barrington Declaration? That was a bunch of scientists and smarty pants doctors got together and they had a different idea on how to take care of COVID, different than what Big Pharma and Fauci said. Their ideas was that COVID, that lockdowns had no science behind them and they would be detrimental to children. He was proven right. Now, why do I and that they should target uh, how they take care of COVID by targeting the elderly and people with comorbidities and don't do anything to everyone else. Let us just get it and have herd immunity and will would build up herd immunity that way. Everybody could get this. They were saying, except for if you're elderly or sick. Turns out he was right. And it did harm children. Why do I show you that? Because they revealed he was being shadow banned. It says, take, for example, Stanford. So he's from Stanford, and he's one of the leading guys in the field, right? He argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist. <laughs> they so, have a nice button for them to see on their end. So this is this is the what what if you are at Twitter and you're one of the people in charge of censoring, this is what your screenshot would look like when you look if you looked at Jay Bhattacharya, you would get all this stuff. Strike count, trends blacklist, recent abuse strike, and then they would give you who he is and but they would also let you look at his DMs if you wanted. Oh. So t- Twitter, looking at your DMs whenever they feel like it, just so you know, your D- DMs, your direct messages to other people on Twitter, completely uh, readable by people who work for Twitter, and they do read them. Uh, so that's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, friend of the show, leader in his field. So when they started, uh, everybody, uh, Jenk Uger and Annika Spirit and the Young Turks all assured me uh, that it would just be it would just be for uh, Alex Jones. And I mm-hmm. had to inform them about history because they don't read history. They don't know anything about history. Right. They don't know anything about news. Well, they and that's wouldn't what, pick the name the Young Turks if they did. If they did, they probably wouldn't pick <laughs> the Young Turks. But they did. I had to tell them that, no, they're going to use that. That's the... That's the Trojan horse. They're, now they're going to get everybody else. And of course, so it went from Alex Jones to it went to to the leading uh, scientists and doctors in their field to ex presidents of the United States to ever. Now it's just that. So you see where that. And so I was proven a hundred percent right. And here we are. And so here's she shows Don Bongino. He was put on a search blacklist. So if you oh. so if you tried to search for him on Twitter, he would he was blacklisted so hard you couldn't find him. He was also on a he had notification spike, whatever that means. But look at the other ones: Twitter blue verified, multiple accounts, strike count, not, not safe, safe for, for work, work view, and SPMA. I wonder what that not means. Not safe for work is that because you could get fired for your your job for yeah doing research <laughs> for doing research. Bungie, yeah. Here's another one, Charlie Kirk. So these are right wingers. So they're trying to make it look like they were only banning right wingers. Now I'm obviously a far left winger. I'm farther left than anybody in the Democratic Party, including AOC and Bernie. I'm way left of Bernie and AOC. Way left. They're war pigs. So, but they're so this. For some reason, they're trying to make it look like this was only happening to right wing people. It was also happening to anybody who was going against the establishment narrative. Uh, on f- for them, fortunately, the Democratic Party was setting the establishment narrative. So now the Democratic narrative is usually the establishment narrative. So uh, if you're on the quote unquote left or the Democratic Party, you're probably not going to get as banned as these guys who are 
But I certainly, okay, so you got that, right? So Twitter, oh, so what did it say? So Twitter, Twitter denied that it did this kind of thing. That's why this is a story. Didn't they do it on Rogan? I was talking to him, he said he was pissed off. This lady lied right, you know, she lied right to his face on the show. And said that they didn't shadow ban. Yeah. Oh, I wish I had that video. I didn't know that, Kurt, that she's lied on Rogan. So uh, she was the head of legal policy. That's that J Gotti. She was the head of legal policy and trust. And Kayvon Beckpour, head of product, said, we do not shadow ban. They added, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. And they, that's all they seem to do. They seem to do that almost exclusively. Well, they don't call it that. It's like how gain of function research, like, yeah, I call it gain of Fauci research. <laughs> right? We don't do gain of function. It's a visibility filter. They call they that's what that's it. So they don't call it shadow banning. They at Twitter, they call it uh, visibility filtering mm-hmm. or VVF. Multiple high level sources confirmed its meaning. Think about visibility filtering as being a way for us, meaning Twitter, to suppress what people see to different levels. It's a very powerful tour, tool. <laughs> it's kind of like a shadowy. It's kind of like a shadowy censorship. Virtual. Oh, what does that stand for again? VF. VF refers to Twitter's control over user visibility. It used virtual visibility to block searches of individual users, to limit the scope of particular tweets discoverability, to block select users' posts from ever appearing on the trending pages, and from inclusion in hashtag searches. Plus, they don't never they never mention this thing that I've picked up on that they take likes away. Yeah. They take likes away from tweets that ah. they don't want to be popular. They do that on every platform. You can watch the things disappear. That so, happens all the time. So they so they're doing but but keep this in mind. They're doing all of this without the Twitter users knowledge. This was all clandestine. They didn't tell for tell you they were doing this even though now people are pretending they did. We're going to get to that. That's another story. We cannot control, we control visibility quite a bit. This is Twitter talking. And we control the amplification of your content quite a bit. It's so this is what I've been talking about. Those guys at the intercept, they can they can tweet about uh nothing. Mm-hmm. They can tweet about a fart and they'll get a hundred thousand likes on their tweet. Yeah, right. And that's because Twit they're on an algorithm, a bill their their billionaire friendly algorithm, because they work for billionaires. Uh, that amplified their tweets and suppressed everyone else's tweets. So it's not a fair playing field. When you're out there having a debate with these guys on Twitter, it looks like you're getting you're 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 in the wrong because you are getting so hard ratioed. But you're getting ratioed because they're being propped up artificially by the algorithm of Twitter. And I knew it. And we've been calling it out for over two years. Oh, wait, so that's why there's all this weird support for things that make no sense and are the opposite of reality all the time? All the time. That's right. Uh, We control visibility quite a bit, and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit, and normal people do not know how much we do. What is this, the outer limits opening? We control the horizontal and the vertical. Do not change... The group that decided whether to limit the reach of certain users was called the Strategic Response Team, Global Escalation Team, or the SRTGET. 
How does the SRT deal with stories about SBF and the downfall of FTX? And will, AOC's, <laughs> <laughs> will the SEC get involved with that? AOC? About the JFK files? Yeah. Uh, it often handles up to 200 cases a day. Okay. But there existed a level beyond official ticketing. How does people not, has anybody not think conspiracies are real? Oh, there's a secret level? Like, right? is it the Freemasons now? <laughs> right. But there existed a level beyond official ticketing, mm. beyond the rank and file moder- moderators following the company's policy on paper. That is the site integrity policy policy escalation support known as SIPPES. SIPPES. This secret group included head of legal policy and trust of a JJ Gotti and global head of trust and safety. This guy, Yolo Roth, Yolo Roth. subsequent CEOs, Jack Dorsey and Parag Aragawi and others were in this secret group. Now, people will tell you this wasn't a secret group. Oh, what do you mean? People who work at high levels at the company got together and had a meeting. That's not a secret group. It is if you don't tell anybody. That there's a group called this. And also and they key- know it is. And of course, everybody knows it's a secret so group. So Sipis was Vagina Daddy, uh, Yolo Roll. <laughs> Yolo Roll. This is where the biggest, most politically sensitive decisions got made in mm. that secret group, Sipis. Think higher follower account, controversial. Another Twitter employee told us for these, there would be no ticket or anything. So oh. they would keep it totally black, wow. totally opaque. You wouldn't know what they were doing or even who they're talking about because they don't even want to have a paper trail. There's no ticket or nothing. Mm. Wow. Super. Sounds like a nothing burger. Sounds mm-hmm. like a nothing burger, huh? It's so nothing that they had to do double layers of fucking secrecy and they wouldn't even put anything on paper. They wouldn't even put it, make a ticket. When that Vijaya Gotti and Jack were on yeah. again, the, the second one that had 10 point, she was so transparently lying. lying. It was unbelievable. I caught it. We did videos on it. We, yeah. we called out her lying. She was lying about Russiagate and what they were doing with Russiagate. One of the accounts that rose to this level of scrutiny was libs of TikTok. Now, if you know anything about libs of TikTok, this is an, uh, a, a Twitter or uh, that takes, well, they don't make any commentary. They take videos that liberals have posted to their own TikToks. She'll say things in her thing, but she's not editing their, right. it's just TikToks, they're short. So she'll just show unedited videos of what liberals are saying online. And there, it's a lot of it is crazy. A lot of it is crazy. And that's what I talk about. I go, look at the environment that people are allowed. Like where we live in a, where you can just call somebody a Russian or you can just call somebody a Putin puppet, or you could just smear somebody as a conspiracy theorist or anti, you could, this is the environment we're living in. And so TikTok plays these videos that shows the environment we're living in. I've only seen a couple, all of, all of them I've seen are crazy, but they say that, so they didn't like libs of TikTok. Right. Because the narrative is inconvenient, like Balenciaga. That's right. The, the right wingers think there's groomers. We just had me too, by the way. You're telling me the groomers, their hands <laughs> off the kids. They just go for adult college age women having a great career in the city. That's the only ones that are under attack. So one of the accounts that rose was libs of TikTok, an account that was on the trends blacklist. <laughs> so never let, the, so they were, that's called shed. They would never let this account trend. 
If so, your tweet, no matter how popular it might be, they're not going to let it be popular. They're going to suppress it from being. They're well, going to take likes away from it, so it doesn't trend. Can I just say how offensive this sip piss blacklist uh, is <laughs> as a title? <laughs> And then it was they were libs of TikTok was designated. Do not take action on user without consulting with Sitpiss. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look over here, if if you look over here uh, on the side, it has all the stuff you can do. If so, this this is what the administrator at Twitter looks like. This is their page, mm -hmm. and it says over here: user timeline spaces, like the videos, communities, guano the hell does that mean you know that's bat shit that's what guano is uh email phone lists direct messages so they could just go look at your direct messages if you are one of these people at twitter you can just go look at anybody's you don't think they did of course they did of course they did you don't think the fa the FBI and the CIA are embedded inside twitter you don't think that they went after people and got their private they shit they wouldn't do that <laughs> <laughs> of course they did of course they did. Um, so look what it says for Libs of TikTok. High profile, active, notification spike, trends blacklist, recent abuse strike, multiple, all this. So this is what it is. Is a, Then there's like a hotline to Taylor Lorenz, I think. At the I think so. <laughs> the account which Chaya Richick began, this is, she's the person who runs uh, the libs of TikTok uh -huh. began in November of 2020 and now boasts over 1.4 million followers. It was sub subjected to six suspensions in 2022 alone. Each time that libs of TikTok was blocked from posting for as long as a week. Twitter repeatedly informed Rachik that she had been suspended for violating Twitter's policy against hateful content. Yeah. You know, like when Dottie Sandusky said it was hateful and wrong to say yeah. Jerry Sandusky's a child molester. It is hateful. But in an internal sip piss memo <laughs> from October 2022, after her seventh suspension, the committee acknowledged that libs of TikTok had not directly engaged in behavior that violated the hateful conduct policy. <laughs> so they're just banning her. The banner. Because they don't like like her. They don't like the they don't like the content of the information she's sharing. Not that it violates any of their policies. They just don't like it be politically because yeah. they are in a political different camp. So this is political censorship. Now, you don't have to agree with libs of TikTok. You don't have to. Doesn't matter. Again, this is just like Donald Trump. It doesn't matter unless someone is breaking a law. They they get to have free speech. That's what I think. I'm one of those what they call free speech absolutists. Um, the committee justified her suspensions internally by claiming her posts encourage online harassment of hospitals and medical providers by insinuating that gender affirming health care is equivalent to child abuse or grooming. Compare this. So that so that's all it took to get all they had to do was say, well, I think she's inciting other people to do bad things. Not that she's doing bad things, but other people might do bad things because of the content she's sharing. I think given a small child, like a facelift or nose job would be child abuse. Was that going to, what's the crime here? The gen, by the way, that's a marketing term, gender affirming healthcare. You mean drugs and stuff. What, what is the harm of not being into the pharmaceutical and medical industry? Is it going to hurt sales? What's the problem? 
So compare this to what happened when she herself, the libs of TikTok, actually got doxxed and got doxxed on Twitter. where They showed a picture of her house and and uh, and her address and it has garnered more than 10,000 likes. You think they boosted her her doxing? When, when she told Twitter about it, Twitter support uh, said, hey, we reviewed it and reported that con- it didn't, we didn't find it in violation of Twitter rules. Oh, that's when good. When she got doxxed. But this is like, ah, somebody else might. This they left up because they don't like her. It's like saying the police have two abuses, Jimmy. It's impossible. <laughs> in an internal message on Twitter, Twitter employees spoke of using technologies or technicalities to restrict the visibility of tweets and subjects. Here's Yoel Roth, Twitter's then global head of trust and safety in a direct message to a colleague in early 2021. You want to see what he said? He says, a lot of times SI has used tech. I'm going to guess sick. I'm going to guess that's a division of sip piss. <laughs> sip, a division of sip piss has used technically technicality, technica, uh, technicality, spam enforcements as a way to solve a problem created by safety under enforcing their policies. So we're going to tech. We're going to, we're going to violate the spirit of, of our own rules. He thinks he's that's what he's saying. Like that's what he thinks. So they got Al Capone taxes and not being a gay. Yes. He thinks he is. He thinks they're fighting Al Capone instead of just a regular citizen with a point of view. They don't like, but it helps the narrative of the other side. And so he says, we're going to violate the spirit of our own rules. So because safety isn't doing their job, which, again, isn't a problem per se, but it keeps us from. So he's saying what isn't a problem is that they're violating their own rules. Because they're they're gonna go gonna ban someone for a technicality instead of the actual and violate the spirit of their own rules. We'll see the lie. Safety is under under enforcing yeah, their that, policies. No, they're not. That's right. You want worse policies. That's he wants more. Yeah. He wants more. Oh, YOLO. So six days later. In a direct message with an employee on the health and misinformation, privacy, and identity research team, Yoel Roth requested more research to support expanding non-removal policy interventions like disabling engagements and de-amplification visibility filtering. Now, what that means is he was trying to find a way. Well, let's not just let's not ban them permanently because that gets us a lot of bad press. Let's just try to find ways to bury them. That's what that is. Let's find bullshit ways to bury them. Let's do that. That's what that is. Let's ship Julian Assange around the world over and over again with no trial for the rest of his life because it would look bad if we kill. Like, it's all the same thought process they all have. He's like, get around your rights. (laughs) That's right. It's like, I'm right. You're wrong. I know better. And so I'm going to violate your rights. So I'm going to set society up the way I like society to be set up. Yes, I read Sam Harris's book. (laughs) (laughs) So it goes on. Glenn Greenwald says people should really take the full works of that guy. What's his name? Yoel Roth. And put it, put it and him on a museum wall. He's the perfect embodiment, a caricature of a snide, arrogant, left liberal elitist who believes the world is better when it's subject to his petty tyrant censorship and authoritarianism. Everything about this guy, the elite institutions and culture in which he's been ensconced his whole life, how he speaks, how he thinks, how he views people he regards as ordinary and inferior to him is exactly what is sprouting left 
liberal repression. That's exactly what is spawning left liberal. And you want to see some bullshit that he says? Uh, anyway, I, I, um, I would just disagree with Glenn that uh, I think that prick Ben Collins from NBC would be the better. Uh, okay. If you had to pick between the two, although he's right about both of them. Then Glenn says, spend all year debating what shadow banning means if you want. Ultimately, it's an imprecise term. The reality is clear. Twitter employees are almost 100% liberal, so they use their censorship power to silence conservatives, but never Dems. That's the story. Now we have proof. So that might be true, never Democrats. I'm not a Democrat, right? The right. people who they go after like us, we're not Democrats. We're actually, uh, you know, holding the Democrats. We're criti We're criticizing Betraying them, basically. Yeah, betray. <laughs> so here he is talking about how scary it is. That's that guy, Yoel. Yeah. Was, Watch yeah. this. Watch this. So now you know for how they how they use the algorithm to, to, to smear and slander people like me, oh. how they get hit pieces written about me in places like Newsweek calls me to dirt black love. They have people, pieces of shit like Dave Weigel at the Washington Post working for the world's richest man, Jeff Bezos, writing smear pieces on YouTubers like me saying I'm a white supremacist and I'm in bed with Nazis and I'm all these, and I'm a conspiracy theorist and all. I've had that done time and time in New York Magazine, everybody on Twitter and their brother, time and time and time again. Every asshole's got a YouTube channel has done a million videos about me. So I know what it's like to be slandered, right? It's I know what personal Jimmy is just what they do. I know what it's like. Watch this fucking piece of shit. And they buy enable it. They just got done enabling the piling on of fucking Matt, Matt, Matt Taibbi. Yep. So you're not supposed to do it to Taylor Lorenz. But when Matt Taibbi, when Matt Taibbi does something you don't like, all bets are off. So watch this. What was that experience like having... Kellyanne, who's always in control of herself, sicking this mega trolls on you. It's sicking Kellyanne Conway, right? Kellyanne Conway. Someone sicked their trolls on you. Oh, my God. You mean man. people are writing things on a social media app that I don't have to read? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what she means. And watch how he's watch how he characterizes what it's like to have. I have trolls come at me 24 fucking seven. 24-7, watch how this, the world's biggest pussy de deals with this. Terrifying. It was terrifying. I, I was going to be a college professor for a living. Mm -hmm. I, like, I got a PhD and was doing research that nobody cared about. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, you know, like this platform thing is cool. Like I can go and do research there. And, and then, you know, one thing led to another. And... All of a sudden, we apply a misinformation label to Donald Trump's account, and I'm on the cover of the New York Post. And that is a deeply terrifying experience. And I say this from a position of... Of pussiness. That's what I say this as a... You're the motherfucker in charge of everybody's speech on Twitter, and you're terrified. It was terrifying. Somebody, post? Fo somebody found out who I was. Yeah, he wants anonymity. I want to be able to control your speech in anonymity. Mm-hmm. And I, but I also want to go out and be able to do public appearances and have nobody ever bother me. Much, sounds like also a far right troll who'd have a fake name and go and screw with you. The same exact mentality. Yes. Of I want to sling my thing and I don't want anyone. I to don't know. want anyone to know. Yeah. 
unquestioned privilege as a cis white male, like the internet is much scarier and much worse for lots of other people who aren't me, but it was pretty fucking scary for a long time. Uh, well, it's ironic that he's in charge of censorship and he's using words that you couldn't say on national television because it would be censored. So it's funny that Again, things that he thinks are okay to say in polite company, other people don't. Like CBS, NBC, and ABC, they say you can't say those words. In fact, even the government says you can't say those words. And here he is saying those words. Well, Jimmy, I just hope that YOLO doesn't feel scared now that what a piece of shit he is is everywhere. I hope he doesn't have the same nerves. I hope it's not terrifying that uh, a, a YouTube show is showing his words and what a huge, giant fucking pussy he is. And he just says nothing except not even his job, just a Kyle Kalinske's old haircut. That's all he's got. His guys, <laughs> that's all he's got. Let's listen to more of this. What was As a result part? of that, you know... When you get targeted in some of these ways, it's hard to differentiate between what is somebody just online trying to rattle you and what's a real threat. You see in things like Pizzagate that online conspiracies can mobilize. What, what about Epstein Island? Was that also an online conspiracy? Also, Pizzagate didn't mobilize a thing. One wingnut that read some sh stuff on the internet went That's to right. a pizza place. So it didn't mobilize anybody. It didn't mobilize anybody. I know. It's so scary. It's very real and very direct offline violence. And uh, uh. I worry about that. I had been offline violence. Offline violence. That's what? He just he's made a, up a term. This guy's a real piece of shit. I, I don't even believe his act if he was scared. Like, I don't agree. I agree that thing, 100% I agree. Uh, by the way, I know Mike Cernovich. They try to pin that on, on this one guy who did not make up Pizzagate. To this day, he's like a curse name in media. He didn't do that. They do this way. This is like the same. With the media with like Dungeons and Dragons causes suicide back in the 80s. They have one trick they do over and over again. They rename it. So now it's called stochastic terrorism. That's where you said, hey, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know. Some some about gender affirming care. Well, that could lead to somebody getting mad and telling someone else. And then that could lead to violence. So you're stochastic. I don't know. <laughs> you're stochastically responsible. Yes. That's that's an insane premise, by the way. That's a word? Stochastically? Oh, yeah, they all love it. They've all come up with cutesy little words for real basic, obvious shit like censorship. So first was shadow banning. That's not a word angry people made up. That's a word at a convention. So like, I just came up with an idea called shadow banning. <laughs> then that's no good. So the euphemism treadmill goes on. Where how you call a hand grenade a area denial weapon. They have that scumbag cop logic government thing where you, yes we'll just rename the evil thing we're doing over and over let's right, see if there's more pause of this. that clip because i don't want kurt to get anti-semantic right there because they're arguing over how they're doing word games word games to hide the truth i mean uh george carlin did it best started out with shell shock and then it was post-traumatic stress disorder right they they use Omsprocka. They use bureaucratic speech to take away the sting of the thing. They add a whole bunch of words to it, right? So yeah, the, yeah. either make it, up words or redefine words. That's what they're doing. Right. So during the, the pandemic, <clears throat> Fauci was cornered on gain of function. And he said, no, no, no. It's not gain of function. You idiot, Dr. Rand Paul. It's uh, the PC3 plan or the C3P or Panda, whatever the acronym is. Now, I just went through a stack of documents this big looking for what is the phrase that they made up that's like a three word phrase 
that replaces gain of function and gives them plausible deniability under which they did the whole EcoHealth, DAZAC operation in Wuhan. Does anyone yeah, remember? I, I forget. I know there's pathogens of pandemic potential, but that would should be that should have been the thing that uh, when Maddie and I were speaking about it, that um, Rand Paul should have grilled Fauci on rather than gain of function because gain of function is sort of a uh, equivocatory term depending on how it's used, in which that's the way in his Jesuitical sophistry he was able to sort of uh, I wouldn't say play games for Rand Paul, but weasel no, his way a little bit games. out of it. We weasel his way out of it a little bit by saying, well, we were, yes, we were manipulating viruses, but gain of function is when you specifically take a virus and make it more pathogenic. But look, all these, all this research shows that half the times we manipulated the virus, it, gain, it actually had the opposite effect. So it couldn't have been gain of function. And we were only doing it for ostensibly for research for vaccines, uh, for the possibility of pathogens of pandemic potential. But as far as the term you're alluding to, I'm not quite sure. Well, that's another yeah. major term to consider pathogens of pandemic potential. And, and while looking for that answer, I, I found things like this. Wait, this is the evidence of uh, gaslighting. This is February 18th, 2020. Most of America doesn't even know what COVID is yet, right? Here's the statement in support of the scientists, the public health professionals, and medical professionals of China combating COVID-19. They're deeply concerned. We sign this document in solidarity with all scientists and health professionals in China who continue to save lives. The rapid, open, transparent sharing of data on this outbreak is now being threatened by rumors spelled with a O-U-R-S, that's the British version, and misinformation around its origins. We stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. Scientists from multiple countries have published and analyzed genomes of the causative agent, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, and they overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. Conspiracies do nothing but create fear, Rumors and prejudice that jeopardize, again, spelled with British spelling, our, our global, global collaboration, collaboration in the fight against this virus. We uh, uh, we we support the call on the director general of the WHO to promote scientific evidence, uh, evidence and unity over misinformation and conjecture. And then it's written by Peter fucking Dazak. I shit you not. So he reformed into the first galactic empire. So that could go with this. Here's his emails leaked. They orchestrated it. They covered it up. He's the one lying to you in that. Uh, I think that's the Lancet. The Lancet paper. paper. Yes, that's the Lancet paper. And which but there are a number of other for... individuals through the Fauci emails that also signed off on that after he guaranteed that they get grants. Oh, look, uh, here's the government research. gain of function deliberative process ban. Maybe the, the PC3 or the C3P is in here pan, pan uh, pathogens of oh here it is potential yeah. pandemic pathogens yeah or pathogens yeah pan, okay right yeah so we will pause new usg us government funding for gain of function research on influenza mers sars as defined below so they're going to pause gain of function but they're going to continue funding research with pa uh, potential pandemic pathogens mm -hmm. That's and right. there's yeah but there's pathogens, of pandemic potential, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I know it's covered C. in specific in Maddie's articles. I think particularly the one about uh, Tom Inglesby, she goes into that in detail. It wasn't that one, it was the one right after that one. Hmm. Um, no, I'll have to keep looking. But the point is, the point is, here's the point. Is there a point? Yes, there is. 
the use of multiple words to cover up gain of function and deny gain of function and deny Wuhan and Dazak, all those things we know today to be factual and actual, and they weren't conspiracy theory. We were just literate. And other people who don't read say conspiracy theory because they don't read. And that's how we know they don't read because they use terms, phrases like conspiracy theory, that the gain of function into pan, uh, pathogens of pandemic potential research, yep. this sort of thing, it's no different than shadow ban and the VVF. Yeah, you got it. They say shadow ban doesn't exist. It's technically because it's VVF, right? And so this, like, yes, yes, exactly. Well, very well. What said. Jack said to Congress is the same lie that Tony Fauci told to Congress about gain. Of, like, it's like the same uh, uh, methodology. And th this is why I taught uh, definition semantics when I, when I taught my logic course, because that's the, the two things I see is just an inordinate amounts of red herrings. When you mentioned stochastic terrorism, stochastic this, that or the other thing, that's just the ad ignorantium fallacy. And when you're looking at definition, what they're doing is they're doing one of two things. You're either taking definitions. We went over this with the SEC filing for Moderna in regards to the definition of a vaccine and gene therapy. And Did you, you say know, stochastic. How long have you known that word and what's it mean? I've known it for a long time. No, no, no. Um, My point is when oh. someone levels that at you, because yeah. it only came out, they just, it, it was, uh, you know, I went back and looked at the history and use of this word. It's kind of a more popular recently thing well, because they, they, they found the pejorative of stochastic terrorism to be like, well, your comment didn't cause violence or injury, but it could have. And because of statistically there is violence going on like that, we're going to say that you now it's, it's the gulag. It's the first fucking volume of the gulag archipelago is what I hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically saying, well, what if? What if your comment led to this sort of some butterfly ripple effect? And it's like, that's not at all connected. Um, what if that's there's the a idea. lifeboat and it only has 10 seats and there's 11 people? What do you have to do? Which person do you have to kill is the answer? That's the fallacy of Agnes. That's Grant's what they team. want you to do. They're like, yeah. no, you have to kill someone. You can't You can't take turns swimming. And that's a complex You can't come question. up with other creative things to solve that problem. And uh, they've got a new lifeboat problem out there for people. Yeah, I mean, that's and then that's a fallacy of complex question. The last uh, example you brought up. Yeah, you can just see uh, the inordinate amount of fallacies they're utilizing at the same time. Also, where they're creating a lot of mass formation and free floating anxieties around changing definitions. Gatto and the ultimate history lesson that I, I was uh, lucky enough to help, you know, um, you know, be a producer for it. But obviously you interviewed Gatto and did all the work. It's just an incredible, incredible job. But he mentioned in that interview that, uh, you know, it they you know they change the definition. Everyone becomes confused, and that's sort of what's going on. I mean, that was well over ten years ago. We filmed it back over July Fourth weekend, what in twenty eleven. So I mean, just think, you know, it's been now eleven years and over eleven years, and there's they've ramped it up. You know, it's of an order of magnitude greater than I could have imagined. And that's a lot largely due to technocracy. The the social engineering through technology and especially social media platforms. There's a couple of times in the Jack Dorsey interview, what I wrote it down here, he mentioned public squares. Well, public square would basically mean that then you should be abiding by the first amendment, which he's sort of alluding that he is, but they're a private company. So they can kind of play this sort of quasi gray area game. And they take government orders. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically. Right. It's just so, it's so, so much obnoxiousness. And that's why, you know, I implore people to one, understand, you know, the basic idea of Aristotelian definition, essential definition, and see how much they're manipulating words. They're either creating new terminology or they're appropriating words that had a specific definition that was in use for decades, if not centuries. And they're changing it very subtly 
because most people, like you said, don't read and don't understand what definition, don't understand the definition of many words. And they sort of then run with it. It's like Peter Singer, which I have on the intermission, who um, he was interviewed by Lex Friedman back in 2020 alongside um, McCaskill. These Oxford philosophers, these ethicists, they essentially invented the idea of uh, effective altruism. And Peter Singer, though, at least alludes to around the 51 minute mark, uh, utilitarianism. I don't know if you mentioned Jeremy Bentham specifically, someone in the uh, uh, GTW community, um, shout out to him, to, that made me aware of it. And then I've realized I downloaded the McCaskill interview um, that he did before the COVID-19 pandemic released in April of 2020. And that's that's a very fascinating one because uh, Lex Friedman took it down. Um, we don't know why he took it down, but apparently I downloaded because I have this automatic download program that I was downloading all these various podcasts all at the same time. I went back through and started reviewing it last time. I'm like, I wonder what he had to say you know, when this was released back in April 2020, but they're they're reappropriating or appropriating rather these terms and they're redefining them. And so the war on ontology. I heard that described heard it described as that yesterday. Yeah, it's it's ontology on metaphysical level, but more specifically, I know Matt Arrett, he's getting ready to release a book about this. It's a war on epistemology. It's a war on our ability to know what re- fact from fiction, reality yeah, without from that, unreality. You can't have an ontology. You exactly. Can't have an under- the history exactly. blueprint is called a comprehensive ontology. Mm-hmm. And ontology, reality. ontos comes Greek word ontos, just means being. So it's sort of like, how do we know what being is or reality? And so it's, it's really a war in our ability to know. And that's what they're doing. They're creating all this confusion by redefining terms and then gaslighting us and utilizing all these fallacies. And it's creating so much consternation and sort of the zeitgeist or milieu of the culture that people don't know how they're, they're so confused. They want to just disengaged from it completely. Greg Reese had a good bit on that, actually, about how all around the world we're seeing these massive po- protests. But, you know, what happened in Canada, what happened in the United States, we're just not seeing that. And people just want it to go away and just hope things will just somehow magically work out. And it's like, no, you know, we're going to have I'm sure to. they felt that way when those dudes dumped the tea, too. They're like, come on, don't make such a big deal. Just pay the tax. Or, you know, those individuals in the gulag, you know, at some point they had to take initiative for it themselves in the most extreme form. In order to, you know, uh, guarantee some legitimacy and freedom. Well, if there's an attack going on and it was a multi-level attack, let's say that America somehow had a country, a nation state, a group of people who didn't like the Americanness of America. The mm-hmm. freedom is kind of uppity, you know, fighting back against authority. Can't have that spreading. That's like a fire for them, right? So they might in their troubles and their trials and tribulations going up against free people seek to subvert them and maybe say hey let's create this global organization and you'll have a vote and we'll have a vote but we'll split our vote into 47 votes so you can never fucking outvote us okay now let's say there's a separate situation not related and parents are parents because they produce children that's right and that happens because of the standard terminology definitions over time over history of genders now let's say that the state wants to take away parents but they want to have kids but they want to grow the kids themselves without the parents in the middle very much like a pod life that like you're seeing you you know you can just be born you know make people in born pods and now die in a pod apparently because of eugenics nazi eugenics refined by hitler coming back to america brought us the molecular biological wonders where now you can have children without parents so if they want to get rid of the parents and stop them from procreating and creating children and get a monopoly on children, they might likewise come in and say, one vote, one vote only. There's 72 votes over here. And now you got one vote. Now you're outnumbered. Ha ha. But the six, you know, a bunch of those groups are not procreating for the next generation. So for the long-term players in the game, 
for the multi-generational players in the game, like the Bush family's a dynasty, many generations of players in the game working together with a secret society that's German, by the way. I don't know. Well, they keep running into Germany tonight. Hope nothing happens. Hope we don't get invaded. Speaking of which. Hope we're not France. We, we don't want the Vichy. We don't want to deal with that Vichy situation they had over there. So. Yeah, Queen Vic's husband, Albert, who was from yeah. Saxe-Coburg-Gertha dynasty, 100%. Queen Vic was House of Hanover. So that's the do connection you, between the Habsburgs of Austria and then the Saxe-Coburg-Gertha line. Do you know how they used to correspond, Queen Victoria and her lover across the, the channel? Pigeons? They used a certain financial services network that had communications for such royalty and royal customers were some of the their best customers, you might say. And it also gave the intermediary the privilege of reading all the royal mail. Yeah, that's no, uh, no insights. That'd be like somebody being able to see your DMs and your tweets. It's like God power, like for JJ God, the power. <laughs> and her various monologues, you know, John Gotti is no longer the Gotti we're talking about. We're talking about the and not, the, and not the show on HBO. Jimmy didn't even get that. That's not her name. Like Kurt said it to be funny. And then Jimmy's yeah, like, he, yeah, but JJ, you know, he's. <laughs> that's what kind of makes him funny is when he doesn't know, you know? Yeah. 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 Sort of and then passion. way back at the beginning of that clip, wasn't there the, that uh, Harrison Smith clip? Uh, they're, they're playing the dude on stage and it was Matt Lauer interviewing him. Jack Dorsey. What happened to Matt Lauer? He used to be such a strong interviewer. Did he have some sort of scandal or something that makes him not TV worthy anymore? <laughs> Just kind of like Jack Dorsey. Did they both crash and burn in that single interview or what was going on with that? Yeah, that's a good and it seems like as Jack like shifted his hair from here to here, he's got like this Karl Marx beard going it's, on now. It's all the ayahuasca he was taking apparently. Something oh, like I guess maybe uh, like Pinocchio's nose grew every time he lied to Congress. No, that was, that was a different situation. I'm sure it has nothing to do with beard growth on his end. It just looked like his, he grew the beard longer. He kept lying more and more lying to more Congress. More. It's almost the perfect analog. Go back and Absolutely. find Jack lying with no beard. I'm just saying be a funny like, there's plenty of actually. there's plenty of beard clips where he's fucking lying to everybody, <laughs> Congress included. Well, and Congress on, uh, knows better because they're giving him well. orders. Dude, that's such gaslighting is my point. The people asking Jack and he's like, no, I didn't do it. Wink, wink. You know, <laughs> but they're like, they're, he's, he's like the raccoon in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And he winks with the wrong eye. He's like <laughs> winking so the crowd can see. Not so good, Jack. Not so good. So. We'll see if you keep going to those Tesla meetings, bro. We'll see if you keep sitting on the board of Tesla or whatever you're doing in those meetings, advising Elon Musk. Well, we all know about Elon's past as well. Sort of a DARPA front, especially a SpaceX and Blackjack system. Richest man in the world. He must know about money. Mm. Emeralds, man. All the emeralds. You know how to say yes to the people handing out money. That's all it proves. He's a, he's a, what do you call it? Guardian. He's like Guardian, a, fake a person. He's like a property manager mm-hmm. for for government and internationalist properties. Yeah, it's ex- he's the Trump of that. Someone that's they all can Trump build was. up Trump and was a front down. for the mobsters to own properties. Yeah, they needed he was to take their casino mobile. and their garbage money and the other money and move it together in a casino. And Trump, you'd be the face of an orange man bad. You got so, it. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly has nothing to do with Whitney Webb's That's books. how he got his start. Definitely do not read real it. estate in the mid eighties. And having connections with Epstein, not so. Are there any more real estate? Sorry, go ahead. Are there any more uh, drops from the Twitter files tonight while we've been live? Is there any updates to this situation? 
Oh, I didn't. I can check real quick. Uh, as far as what's left on the show card from what I already talked about, let me just put it on screen. We have revealed. I know my screen isn't great. Hopefully, I'll be fixed next week, but it should be legible. So here it says uh, the other two clips I had on this were revealed. CDC had backdoor access portal to censor Twitter. Um, yeah, that's another Harrison Smith and Elon Musk makes trial dropping discovery about FBI infiltration on Twitter. It's sort of all alluded to. And, uh, I've heard claims that Trump's team used that backdoor into such things, but I've also seen no evidence of those claims. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, I would take no evidence to be it doesn't exist until I see some evidence. Let's see. But I did uh, find that email uh, a nice uh, tweet by Yoel Roth. He was mentioned heavily in that video. And I, there was something that we found that I don't think Jimmy covered in that video. He had some particular views and was protecting people of particular views on such topics and even uh, posting some links. Can you bring that up, LD? I put it in the uh, mission really? control chat. They are coming. Uh, apparently, they're also Sorry. doing it. The, the Fauci deposition. No, no. The former Twitter exec, Yoel Roth, asked if teens could meanfully consent to sex with teachers. Hmm. What do yes. you think that means? This is from the uh, postmillennial.com. December 10th, 2022. Uh, yeah, former former head of Twitter's trust and safety, Yoel Roth, who quit Twitter in early November and was complicit in censorship of conservative voices on the site, tweeted out a link. But not the pedophiles. He's he was he's was not censoring the pedophiles. I just wanted to clear it up because there's right. a misconception that head of trust and safety at Twitter was protecting the pedophiles and there's nothing to that in fact like he totally did not go he, uh, maybe maybe he should have gone after those people instead of the conservatives is what i'm saying yeah you would think right. but um he tweeted out uh a link in 2010 to a salon article titled student teacher sex when is it okay and so this is when the teacher is 40 and the student's 35 and they're both consenting adults how about that that's a starting place for that conversation were you thinking high school yoel was that was that, was that what you're thinking? High school and teachers, adults with kids. Oh, yeah. yeah, here's another interesting one perspective. From... It's very trendy of you to bring the Balenciaga article. Like, oh, the uh, question is like, is he considering the, high school? Twitter or files, grade school. I mean, at what point is it even post or pre-puberty? I mean, how bad does it get? Is I guess the question. Like how now? Wants to get into it. Does it get you more know? ways than one? I uh, can't find anything just on a quick search in regards to any new drops. I'll check share zero hedge in a second. I did see this um, catastrophic contagion. Bill Gates, Johns Hopkins, and who conduct another pandemic simulation with deadlier virus that targets children specifically. This comes from Catholic, catastrophic contagion. This is a fictional scenario. Still running drills. Here's a video on this. LD, I'll send this to you. Maybe we can play this a quick uh, sample here. I'm just going to send this to you now, LD, while I read the article. You can uh, bring this up. I'll put it in production chat right now. They also revived some 25,000-year-old virus they dug up. They thought that was yeah. a good idea to bring yeah, it in the lab. Well, you know, it. they just need to do with the gain of function as part of pathogens of pandemic potential. And ostensibly, in order to create vaccines like the, you know, bat vaccine, the aerosolized bat vaccine that the uh, Project Defuse uh, was referenced from the Drastic Research team, whoever they were. So anyways, going back to this article. Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, conducted, conducted another pandemic tabletop exercise in Brussels, Belgium, on October 23rd, 2022. Um, why do I know that city? Um, oh, right. It's ahead of NATO. There That's right. That's irrelevant there. So the same people behind Event 201, which took place almost three years ago to the day, just completed a desktop simulation for a new 
and terror virus originating in Brazil. Um, that would be something always Brazil. It was gut, Brazil with the, the last gut, one. If yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, it was Brazil or South America. I think it was out of Africa. Maybe it was Brazil. If hog farmers in Brazil was the event 201, a coronavirus emerges through zoonotic pathways, that's the the starting place for the caps. The, caps disease from event 201 was Brazil, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think you're right. And it spread, it, spread through pigs. pigs so yeah, hog farmers. Brazil's got the Zika, Brazil's got the the caps disease, and Brazil's got this. Is anyone living in Brazil feeling nervous <laughs> down there? Oh, and they also uh you know, their military is moving against the illegitimate pre- presidency of Da Silva. That's a whole separate out of a couple of videos on that. Anyways, the exercise dubbed catastrophic contagion simulated who emergency health advisory board meetings addressing a fictional pandemic that spreads from Brazil dun, 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 to the rest of the world. In addition to Bill Gates, 10 current and former health ministers and senior public health officials from Senegal, Rwanda, Nigeria, Angola, Lib- Liberia, Singapore, India, Germany participate in the simulation which involved pre-recorded news broadcasts, live quote-unquote staff briefings, and moderated discussions. So you want to go ahead and play that, LD? You'll be able to find that. Uh, it's like right in the center of the article. Which, yeah, which one are you talking about? Yeah, that one right there. Get ready, Gates, Johns Hopkins. Let's see what that one. I'm just curious as to what the... Yeah. What the looks makers like. of Pandemic 1, the preview for Pandemic 2. Yeah. <laughs> Three years in the making. Officials in two Latin American countries alerted the WHO of several outbreaks of a new infectious disease that's. I'm going to start it over. Lockdown! Lockdown! Everyone mask up! Give up your life! Lockdown! (laughs) Scary words on screen with moving images. For once, effort they put into these simulations, my goodness. Ripping off 60 minutes. Officials in two Latin American countries alerted the WHO of several outbreaks of a new infectious disease that's mysteriously appearing across the region. Severe Epidemic Enterovirus Respiratory Syndrome 2025. Over the past six weeks alone, there have been 500 confirmed or suspected cases reported. The virus could cause a severe pandemic if early containment and mitigation efforts are not successful. The pandemic in this type of situation and trend would be a risk for the global health security. Pandemics are inherently political, financial, and so much broader. We have not spoken on the leadership in country. And I think that we need to be also very careful. We cannot decide a lot of things without the leaders be involved and agree on that. There is no substitute for national leadership. It's important to support the local response or the national response. Training those that are in these areas first, enabling them with the tools, protecting them, and if needs be, regional solidarity first. At this stage, communication is key. And communication should include not just scientists with data, but also social, religious, and political leaders. Trust. This is an essential issue. And trust was broken among countries, between populations and healthcare systems, between healthcare systems and governments. I'm very sorry to say that in uh, 2025, we need to strengthen the health system. WHO needs to be a voice for the voiceless. No one is safe until all of us are safe. 
As of today, there have been an estimated 1 billion cases worldwide, with more than 20 million deaths, including nearly 15 million children. Countless millions are alive, but left with paralysis or brain damage. The most successful countries are those which invested in preparedness and trained for this moment years in advance. This included having full-time pandemic preparedness and response teams, which conducted detailed operational planning and routinely tested those plans through exercises and drills. If more countries had participated and heeded the guidance, the toll might have been much less. Can we compare this to the trailer for Event 201? Sure. Yeah, let me find that real quick. You know, I wonder if they're going to utilize the uh, task force for global health, not to mention the pandemic task force that uh, Bill Gates was the attempting germ to through the WHO, the germ team. Thank, yes, that's it. Um, so, I mean, the task force for global health, I think we're sort of like epidemiologists. I forget that that's the one that was started in the late 60s, Bill Fagey, who is Bill Gates's mentor, supposedly attributed to the eradication of smallpox worldwide through contract tracing and a whole bunch of other measures that we've now implemented 40 years later. You know, so it's this coming full circle. I think their logo it, logo is uh, a foot on the earth because they have their footprint everywhere, or they're just stomping on uh, the chest of every individual on the With earth. The highlight reel of pandemic uh, event two hundred one. Got yes, that. please. Yeah, it's it's about eleven minutes long. But, uh, yeah, we can check. That out. It began in healthy-looking pigs, months, perhaps years ago. A new coronavirus spread silently within herds. Gradually, farmers started getting sick. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. The sickest required intensive care. Many died. Experts agree, unless it is quickly controlled, it could lead to a severe pandemic, an outbreak that circles the globe and affects people everywhere. The mission of the Pandemic Emergency Board is to provide recommendations to deal with the major global challenges arising in response to an unfolding pandemic. The board is comprised of highly experienced leaders from business, public health, and civil society. We could be looking at double the number of cases in one week and 16 times as many in a month if we are not able to stop the spread. That would be on the order of half a million cases and it would continue to rise exponentially. In three months, we could be approaching 10 million cases. We're at the start of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. We need fascism. We have known about caps-like viruses in animals and people for decades, but have not been successful at developing a licensed vaccine. And sure, there are new technologies that may help, but it's going to be difficult. I am not optimistic about having a vaccine in time to be relevant during this pandemic. So the policy crisis in question for this board in this meeting is this. How should governments, business, and international organizations allocate and distribute pandemic antivirals and medical supplies to the people who need them most? 
what we've seen work uh, very well in the HIV field is in fact procurement through the Global Fund. So having a centralized mechanism, so financial, financially able to procure on behalf of affected countries okay. can be critical. I think the second thing, the second thing is um, it's going to be very important that for the business sector, for manufacturers of anti antivirals, that we have clarity around what the need is and where the need is and who are making the decisions. I think that given that uh, the countries most affected are those that are low and middle income countries with unequal access to technology, to, to finances, uh, the UN has a, a worldwide uh, footprint, universally uh, recognized and uh, universal membership. A global stockpile would certainly help ensure more rational and strategic allocation, but the reality is that we don't have the logistics capability, even within the UN, to bring that together in one place and run it. So this is where I think a collaboration between the international organizations like the World Health Organization and the private sector, which runs these supply chains for many purposes every day understand where the supplies are, make smart decisions about how to allocate them to the people who need them in the places that need them the most, and then work with the industry to move those supplies from where they are today to where they need to be. Just to underscore the point that cooperation among supply chain providers or businesses that have huge supply chains mm -hmm. can add a lot of efficiency to the whole process. The question is, can you, through this international mechanism, really promote commitments to doing this as quickly as possible and give people a sense that actually if they contribute more, that they will have a, a better chance of protecting their own populations and their country's security and health. So to be completely clear, most uh, of this production would already be committed in contracts. Yes. It is almost unheard of that people are producing product without having a forward commitment for the consumption of that product. So the first thing that needs to be done, because this is not something that the countries currently control, unless countries are going to bring about emergency situations and co-opt an existing supply chain. I think it's not likely, I agree, that, that countries are not going to buy, uh, buy a countermeasure to put into a global supply without retaining a large portion of it for themselves. Public health agencies have issued travel advisories, while some countries have banned travel from the worst affected areas. As a result, the travel sector is taking a huge hit. Travel bookings are down 45% and many flights have been cancelled. A ripple effect is racing through the service sector. Governments that rely on travel and tourism as a large part of their economies are being hit particularly hard. How should national leaders businesses and international organizations balance the risk of worsening disease that would be caused by the continued movement of people around the world against the risks of profound economic consequence of travel and trade bans. If there's some sense that there's a UN institution that can do all of this, then I, I, I worry we're suffering from a delusional disorder on the power of the UN. Uh, it's really important to get those industries and their right, trade associations all right, so I'm not saying that they're going to run the same play again. What I'm saying is I'm observing if you watch Event 201 and you understand that exercise became almost real time. That was going on in the real world. All those things that they're talking about, they then did. a couple did. of months, yeah. Only so I'm not saying they're going to run the same play, but right. I am saying they just ran that play into our end zone.
literally with those fucking anal swabs and shit they were doing to test people they ran it into your end zone and you haven't learned how to defend against that play so they might run that same play again and you just saw the trailer for them running that same play again i also know from their documents that the only excuse that they can use to shut down the whole world at once the one that's easily graspable for them is a worldwide respiratory novel coronavirus pandemic. And that changed with great specificity from the WHO's 2009 plan to their 2017-2018 plan. And it also mimics the Pentagon's plan for having a global shutdown pandemic situation and countermeasures to that. So you take the WHO plan, you read the two different documents of that, the A and the B, the beginning, uh, the first print and how they changed like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to cause excess mortality that was dropped out of pandemic definitions the semantics of it in between those two documents then you read the 2009 and the 2017 pentagon documents and you see what the differences are in that oh they became much more specified in these areas so again i'm not saying they're running the same play i'm just saying they scored a touchdown and we're still like scratching our heads over how that play even worked how are we going to defend against it they might run it again i've seen that hurry up offense you know, I, oftentimes what great football teams will do is run the same play with a little bit of a twist in it. So right. it's very similar playing. It's a, a play. It's conceptually very similar, but they change little. You think it's a reverse. It. It's a double reverse. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So and the other aspect is you saw the J&J executive. Like first they set it up. They're like, well, we have to get this to the people who need it, the mo- the people who most need it. Okay, I would argue anyone under the duress of your fucked up lab grown virus needs the antidote. Okay, excuse me for saying some people's poisoning is better than other people's. That's what they're saying, right? They also said, so we want to get it to all the people. We need global distribution. That's what they said, right? And then the J&J guy says, he says, supply. Well, the UPS guy said it afterwards, but the J&J guy says, he goes, "Uh, we're going to need to work with the people with the biggest checkbooks. We can only work with like two or three organization you guys are nation states are going to have to buy directly from j and j with their fucked up concoction that killed a bunch of people by the way just you know my my uh my scrying ball my my crystal ball is something called history i just look back and see what happened after that fuck up said that and it's like oh he's fucking liar like the rest of the people who on that board none of those people came out and say hey we did in the, a drill that was just like the thing that happened don't you think that's strange no because they're all on the inside of it they got the insider trading they got the early options on getting all the great properties and bunkers and all that world ending stuff that they were doing back then so i think it just shows a lot that they claim oh it's for the poverty stricken and blah 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 but when it comes down to it it's like no we work with the big people with the biggest checkbook here at j and j where we uh we put uh, asbestos in the baby powder for 50 years before, you know, having to do anything about it. Yeah. Not a big deal. Inclusion. Um, You know, one of the big things about that pandemic exercise, I think Chris Martinson reflected on this many, many months ago, but he reviewed it again. One thing he noticed is there's no legitimate epidemiologists or virologists that really sat on there that, you know, suggested how, what's the best way in order to, save lives. The whole question was, how do we control the narrative? How do we control supply chains? How do we have a, a, a global response considering there's all these disparate nation states? Because they don't know, make money from social distancing, Tony. They don't own plexiglass patents anymore. It's like a widely known secret. <laughs> and notice, you know, one of the things that always drives me nuts, and this is my own observations, that one therapeutic that always seems to be talked about, is always vaccines first. It's never like vitamin know, D, uh, sunlight, good health, fresh air, clean water, healthy attitude about even, life any of these things vitamin d vitamin, you know just yeah. simple zinc, things as well as zinc you know anything 
N-acetylcysteine, all these different, you know, um, simple amino acids or you know, organic compounds that we ob- usually obtain through food or through sunlight. Also, they just fought even, every even pharmaceutical they fought every treatment, though. Uh, you, even, now that you're even, saying that they fought even, every treatment because they're waiting, they're waiting for their product to come online. So you can't have vitamin C, vitamin D, kerosene, zinc. They took NAC off the market. They 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 deep sixed and villainized hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, right. anything else. Even and it's other interesting that anti-parasite so. drugs work on the thing they made in the lab. Well, the other thing to consider is like, yeah, to your point, like they also forget about this, the simple organic compounds uh, that are natural. Talk about like just the synthetic pharmaceutical drugs that aren't that deadly, such as ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Even those were, um, you know, completely deep six. Well, those are those are safe drugs, Tony. You can't kill people with those. So they prescribe a a standard of care remdesivir, which does slowly kill people over like six weeks or so. Yeah, renal failure. Yeah. And then it can count in this COVID and get their budgets enlarged. So you okay. see how that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Believe remdesivir, um, part of that patent. So there's royalties paid to the either. I believe the NIH is part of that because that was something Anthony Fauci, I believe, had a hand in. Well, Tony Fauci is a good guy because I, I looked at the very uh, interesting Carrie Mullis accolades and the testimonials. Anyone who loves Fauci, if you know someone who loves Fauci, yeah, I know someone who loves Fauci more. His name was Kerry Mullis, and he has the most glowing reviews of Tony Fauci that you've ever heard. And you should you should get like a greatest hits for your friends that love Fauci, because then they could compare and comp- compare and contrast. It's how the human mind decide like decides things, comes to choices, judgments, takes actions. More, might want to have more than one pedal on your bike. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, Fauci specializes in anomalism. He likes to name. And rename and redefine things over and over and over again. So, you know, carrying along the Jesuitical tradition. Oh, yeah, he's good. And uh, there's been some good memes lately. So let's get into the Chris Martinson coverage of Fauci's emails, mm-hmm. because uh, even though COVID is something behind us, I think they're foreshadowing the next thing. And if we don't learn from the last thing, uh, we're not going to be able to maybe push back because Fauci, even though retired, he's out there pushing people to take an experimental concoction for which he has no responsibility over. And I think o- he's still consequences. He's called back for supporting the New York, I guess, uh, mandate for masks again. He's that like a player coach now. <laughs> you know, he's no longer uh, on the team, but he still ha- he dresses in the uniform every day. Yeah, he's like he's done for the past 50 years. That's kind of what he's been doing. AZT, look it up. Dallas Buyers Club, watch a movie. Like, learn something about the man. Like, that movie's about Fauci's use of AZT to kill AIDS patients. And then blame it on AIDS. The LGBTQIA community has no problem with Fauci killing AIDS patients with AZT. So that was was not even all those uh, different designations back then. The acronym was much smaller. I think it was just the gay community. It was actually, it was quicker to publish it back then. Less keystrokes, less less characters used in the message, too. So let's go to uh, Chris Martinson. He does a bang up job at Peak Prosperity. He does economics. He's also been, uh, as we all have, interested in this COVID phenomenon for the past couple of years. He's become quite proficient in his muckraking. And I think this is a good, useful analysis, much like when uh, Right to Know uh, UK, RT UK, came out with the DASAC email leaks from their FOIA request. And they said, Peter Dazak's a snake in the grass. And here he is lying to everybody. Peak prosperity, Mr. Martinson. He has something very similar on the character known as St. Anthony Fauci. 
So let's go to his excellent reporting and let's discern and take, we're going to have taken a little data here. So we're going to put our, our big people pants on and we're going to intellectualize for a few minutes and we're going to take it. We're going to marinate in this data. And then we're going to come to some new thoughts afterwards. It's going to be fascinating. Hang out. Take it. (laughs) We've got the goods today. Wow. I tried it live. Yeah. That was perfect. That was perfect, man. That was good. Yeah. It's a live show. It doesn't work. If you don't warm it up first, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we finally have the emails from Fauci and Collins and all the other people inside the government as they were discussing the origin of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that leads to COVID, the disease. These are explosive. I'm taking, I think, big risks bringing these to you in such a public way, although they'll be out everywhere soon, I hope, because this is really big news. I mean, what if, what if it could be shown that this virus did come from a lab and that certain individuals inside the United States, also virologists from all over the world, circled the wagons to obfuscate that, hide it, maybe just because they were worried about professionally where they're going to get new lab grants or maybe people would suddenly decide maybe we shouldn't like give virologists all that money after all to do the things they've been doing because it looks like there's a possibility that this came out of a lab Today we're going to go into those emails. Let's take a look at this. This is really explosive. I covered this a long time ago, but today we're going to look at this new trove of Fauci emails. Many of these I only saw in redacted form. Now, thanks to a long FOIA fight from Jimmy Tobias down there at James C. Tobias on Twitter, I just received a bunch of new unredacted emails. He writes detailing the February 1st, 2020 teleconference between Dr. Fauci and virologists discussing SARS-CoV-2. This is the source of it. You can see the link down there, and this is what it looks like. I'm here on page three where the emails start. You can see Christian G. Anderson, a virologist at Scripp Institute, writing to Fauci and Jeremy Farrar and Eddie Holmes and all these other people. We'll get into who those are, but that's what it looked like. Not a lot interesting going on in this particular email. Before I move any further, though, this is not a left-right kind of a story. I don't care about left-right. I want to know, are we working with people who have high integrity or low integrity? Are we working with, frankly, good people or evil people? This is what I actually care about, and I do up-down. So if this feels left-right to you or it feels like I'm attacking somebody, I'm only attacking those who fall to the bottom of this chart. I don't care about left-right. You can find... People on the left and the right who are on the bottom of the chart and people on the left and the right who are on the top of the chart. So let's go for a good old integrity. This is where it started for me um, way back. Yeah, right here on June 4th, 2021. I went through a lot of the Fauci emails in a lab leak cover up. So you can look at that episode if you want. Um, It's I really stand by it. It was great investigative reporting at the time, by the way. Any senators, any congressional people holding hearings, any journalists want to reach out, I'm right here. You can reach me very easily. Just uh, kick an email out to support at peakprosperity.com. It'll get to me, and then uh, we can go from there. Because here's the goods. Let's go into it. Um, So the time frame in question we want to look at is between January 31st and February 9th, 2020. Okay, and so these are some of the things that we saw back then, right? Remember, this is a famous email from Christian Anderson on January 31st, 2020. Remember, very early on in this pandemic, kicking it out to Tony Fauci saying, hi, Tony. So obviously very familiar with each other. He said in yellow, the unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome, less than 0.1 percent. 
which is an irrelevant number, by the way. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. So that's what you see when you take a first glance at this virus. That's what I saw. That's what we all saw. And we're going to take a closer look at that because it's really important. He's not wrong. But that was where he was on January 31st. We are going to see that in just four days, Christian Anderson completely flipped his story and without a shred of intervening data. So let's look at this, or at least not conclusive data. Let me put it that way. And he writes down further, Eddie, Bob, Mike, myself, um, all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Fancy way of saying, this thing doesn't look like it came from nature. And it really doesn't. We all know that now. So, um, by the way, at the time, this is what I was working with when I was like decoding all of that for you, for you all back in 2021. Here's a email from Ram R A M Aron Fouchier out of he's um, out of Rotterdam. At any rate, it was like, dear Jeremy and others, this was a very useful teleconference. Redacted, redacted, redacted. Thanks for organizing this on such short notice. I was dying to know what is hiding out behind that B5 redaction. Uh, here's the notes he took of the meeting. I was like, that's not helpful. And at the time, I would get things like this, a lovely reply to Ron's big notes there. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. Gray, 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 gray. That's from Jeremy Farrar, who was and still is at the time. He is the head of the Welcome Trust, a, not, a very well-funded but non-governmental organization that is was brought in instantly into the inner workings of this whole crew, this cabal, if I could say. Now, now we finally have unredacted emails. Here's an example of one. This is to Jeremy Farrar, comes from Anthony Fauci. It's copying in Christian Anderson and some other people at the NAH, NAAD. This is on February 1st. Tony Fauci writing, Jeremy, I just got off the phone with Christian Anderson. He related to me his concern about the furin, not furine, uh, that's got an extra E on the end, the furin cleavage, the furin site mutation, which is the cleavage site, in the spike protein of the currently circulating 2019 NCOV, wasn't called COVID back then, continuing, quote, I told him that as soon as possible, he and Eddie Holmes, another virologist, this time out of Australia, should get a group of evolutionary biologists together to examine carefully the data to determine if his concerns are validated. So that's February 1st, Saturday, early in the morning. I guess that's late Friday night. So um, what they're really talking about here is like, gosh, you know, quote, I would imagine that in the United States, if this would be the FBI, it would get report. If this is true, we would report it to them. And in the UK, that would be MI5. Um, so Tony Fauci saying, gosh, if this looks like it was lab created, maybe we got to get the FBI involved. I'm not sure why that's an FBI matter, to be honest. FBI is a domestic organization. Tony Fauci's been around the block long enough to understand that that would be an international sort of a thing. That would be State Department. That would be very high level federal government international side of things. So I'm not really clear why he thought if this thing was lab created, that uh, that was a, a matter for the FBI to investigate unless there were domestic people involved who the FBI would then say, hey, were you all involved in creating a global pandemic, wiping out trillions and trillions of dollars of global GDP, potentially leading to the deaths of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people? Maybe the FBI would want to get involved. I still think there's a chance for that here, to be honest, if we lived in a fair country that was really going to follow the evidence. There's some people who ought to be answering some questions. I'm going to show you that 
right now. So here's an example of a missing email that I didn't have last year, all redacted. Jeremy Farrar writing this Sunday, February 2nd. So now we're right in the thick of this whole thing. Oddly, for anybody who is looking into this, I have the complete trove of emails that were just released, and I have the old trove. This one is missing, and I'm, I'd be curious to see what this one is. So a little, little bit of a uh, poke there for anybody who's doing an investigation deeper into this. This one right here, it starts, this is a very complex issue. I will do what I'd like to know. Anyway, I couldn't find this email, but all the rest we're going to cover. We're going to cover this one, which is the smoking gun email. This is it. It's from Jeremy Farrar. Notice we got an attention here to Anthony Fauci. Also, Patrick Valence. He's out of the UK. Christian Drosten. Um, he is German virologist. We got Marion Koopsman there, Dutch virologist. R.A.M. Fouchier, also a Dutch virologist. Eddie Holmes from Australia. Andrew Rambeau, Christian Anderson. Those are both virologists. Paul Schreier out of the Wellcome Trust. Mike Ferguson out of Wellcome Trust. Francis Collins all the way down there, director of the NIH at that moment in time. And the NIH oversees the NIAID where Fauci is inserted. So Collins is technically one layer higher there. Uh, Josie Golding and that Josie is also from the Wellcome Trust. So that's who everybody's in here. Jeremy Farrar copying and a lot of his co-workers at the Wellcome Trust, as well as a bunch of virologists from all around the globe, plus the two key stakeholders at the NIH and the NIAID. What happened here? What does he say? He says, thank you everyone for joining. There is clearly much to understand in this. This call was very helpful to hear some of our current understanding and the many gaps and our knowledge, and this was all redacted at the time I got it in 2021. Now it's unredacted. Thank you to everyone for joining. That part in yellow I just read, because that was the beginning of the email, and everything that's below that yellow part was redacted. He writes here, I do not believe this is a question of binary outcome. It's more a question of what are the evolutionary origins of 2019 NCOV, important for future risk assessment and understanding of animal-human coronaviruses. You know what? That's okay. There's still obviously some gray zone. They're not really sure. He's Jeremy is at least saying, you know what would be really cool is if we could figure out where this came from, that will help us make it not happen again, obviously, right? But he's writing it very diplomatically, which is like, look, if this came out of a lab, maybe we should know that so we could stop this from happening again. Uh, he writes, I do not know, I mean, I do know that there are papers being prepared, there will be media interest, and there is already chat on Twitter and WeChat. In green, we on this call are not the only ones with scientific expertise in this area. And this was an ad hoc group that came together to air some thoughts. It's clearly not the sole group to take this forward. That will need a broader range of input and a respected international body to ask an expert group to explore this with a completely open mind. In order to stay ahead of conspiracy theories and social media, I do think there's an urgency for a body to convene such a group. Da, 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 da. So um, <clears throat> what's happening here? So, hey, it's just an ad hoc group. After this was over, all the statements said, Experts agree. All the top leading virologists were, were consulted. I can show you that these virologists are not the leading ones in this particular field. In fact, notably, the actual people I would have had on this if I was at all concerned on these con calls, if I was at all concerned with finding out how this coronavirus came out, are missing from these. So 
investigative journalism and, and looking into things and reporting like I do from time to time is both a question of what's there and what's not there. The negative space sometimes tell you more, tells you more than the positive space. So, um, but they said, hey, you know, he's like Jeremy saying, you know, well, we, we may not we may not know everything. And we've convened just an ad hoc group. It isn't necessarily consensus. It isn't necessarily all the experts, although it was presented like that after the fact. So this is still February 1st. Let's go down. Um, so here's some more reflections from the meeting. So Farrar said, hey, February 2nd. He's like, thank you. Some thoughts overnight from others. Gray. That's what it was in 2021. Thanks to the FOIA, now we can say some thoughts overnight from others. He wrote here on February 2nd. On a spectrum of zero is nature and 100 is a lab release, I'm honestly at 50. My guess is that this will remain gray unless there's access to the Wuhan lab, and I suspect that's unlikely. And his suspicion was absolutely correct. But notice here on February 2nd, Jeremy Farrar, after all I can show you, there were I'm skipping dozens and dozens of emails, back and forth, lots of discussion. But as of February 2nd, he's like, 50-50? I don't really know. Uh, writing down there, uh, he says, from Mike Ferzan, who was the discoverer of the SARS receptor. So Mike Ferzan, missing from these emails, but this is something that Jeremy Farr thought, hey, I should go talk to Mike, because Mike is actually pretty respected. He is the discoverers of the SARS receptor. Notice here who Jeremy is sharing this very private, very confidential email with at this moment, just to Francis Collins, just to Anthony Fauci, and Anthony Fauci's right-hand man, Lawrence Tabak. Okay, so that's it. He isn't like, like he isn't copying in the rest of the world on this. This is just between the head of the Wellcome Trust and the top individuals at the NIH and the NIAID. That's it. That's the only people who are going to see this particular email until you and me get to look at it now. <clears throat> so, Mike Frizan said, hey, the receptor binding domain, that's RBD, didn't look engineered to him, as in no human would have selected the individual mutations and cloned them into the RBD. I think we all agree. End quote. Actually, though, a human might not have done that. And even a computer program designed by a human might not have done that. But a human using cell lines and animal models and letting those animal models and cell lines computationally work this out, they might have created that particular RBD. So that wasn't ruled out here. It's just like Mike Farzan said, I'm not, I don't think a human would have done that that way. That's fine. But let's carry on. However, number two in that list was tissue culture passage can often lead to gain of basic sites, including furin cleavage sites. This is the stuff that we've already seen with human coronaviruses. So this was a known fact. Remember, I brought you the furin cleavage site long time ago. And at the time, though, we're like, oh, that's crazy talk. Uh, those come from all sorts of places. Actually, they don't. There aren't that many furin cleavage sites, and this one in particular, with the genetic code that encodes for it, we actually see that genetic code only one place in the entire genome library that's not in a bacteria. And by the way, bacteria have nothing to do with mammals and all that. And that one place is in a Moderna patent from 2016. All right, so carrying on. Three, he says, 
Mike Verzon, he, Mike Verzon, is bothered by the furin site and has a hard time explaining that is an event outside the lab. Though there are possible ways in nature, but highly unlikely. Wow, that's a big deal. This is the private thoughts that Jeremy Farrar was only sharing with Fauci and Collins and Tabak. Okay, number four. Instead of directed engineering, changes in the receptor binding domain, the RBD, and the acquisition of the furin site would be highly compatible with the idea of continued passage of virus in tissue culture. Now, this is exactly the mechanism I proposed way back when, because it's the only thing that makes sense, right? This is what you do. And now we have all the data. We see that there were actually um, grant proposals that were written to do exactly this. Let's monkey around with SARS, you know, coronaviruses. Let's take different receptor binding domains and park them onto different backbones. Let's take those, scramble them up, do genetic engineering, put them into cell lines, serial passage them until they do something interesting. Take those and put those resulting lines and put those into animals, passage them until they do something interesting. This is the model. This is so they knew this. I'm just, I'm just laying the case that they knew this right away. In fact, they knew this months before I got onto it. Okay. Um, so I didn't figure this stuff out until I started looking into it in May. So at any rate, let me just do this. So it's not there. All right. Uh, five, let's go to part five down there in yellow acquisition of furin site would likely destabilize the virus, but would make it disseminate to new tissues. So, whoa, guess what this, this coronavirus does unlike almost all other viruses, it doesn't just come in through the ACE2 receptor. We all know about that. It also comes in through the CD147 receptor Ooh, and the neuropillin 1 receptor. And, and, and it has basically six keys that operate to get into your locked house. That's very unusual. And the furin slight site makes that very specific. So that's what he's saying here. The acquisition of the furin site would destabilize the virus in the sense that it doesn't just go after and attack lung tissue anymore. It goes elsewhere, disseminates to other tissues. That's a big problem. So however it got that furin site, whoever put that in there, mm, that was not a good deal. That was a gain of function activity, obviously. In purple. So given above, a likely explanation could be something as simple as passaging SARS like coronaviruses in tissue culture on human or humanized cell lines under BSL-2 or biological safety laboratory level two for an extended period of time, accidentally creating a virus that would be primed for rapid transmission between humans uh, via gain of furin site from tissue culture and adaptation to human ACE2 receptor via repeated passage. So, so this is what Mike Farzan is telling to Jeremy Farrar. This is a respected virologist. This, by the way, is everything that makes sense to me. This was the exact mechanism that I had puzzled out on my own, reading a lot of smart people back in the day, but we now know that this is what they were discussing before the United States press had even gotten its head around the idea that this was anything other than it's just the flu, bro. Remember that New York Times, Washington Post, all of them were saying early on in early February saying it's just the flu. Now, February 5th, my Wikipedia page of 12 years got taken down. So already you could tell they were marshalling forces, whoever they are in the story, to make sure that they had complete narrative control over where and how this virus came out and who was reporting on it and what they could say about it. I think it's all somehow connected. So next, all of this, 
brings it back to a simple conversation about how this virus might have gained a furincite, <clears throat> but with a stretch and series of coincidences, you can find a way to explain others, although very odd altogether. And there are ways in which that could occur both in nature and in the lab. Nothing seems to specifically suggest whether this virus was most likely to be adapted, evolved, or maybe even engineered. Uh-oh, smoking gun time here. Quote, so, I think it becomes a question of how do you put all this together, whether you believe in this series of coincidences, what you know of the lab in Wuhan, how much could be in nature, accidental release or natural event. I am 70-30, maybe 60-40, leaning towards engineered versus natural. This is Jeremy Farrar on February 2nd. After talking with a, a virologist said, you know, that fear in sight, really kind of odd and it stands out like a sore thumb and now that we've we have the full genetic code we can say it really stands out like a sore thumb in fact now that i know what i know if i was a prominent virologist and i have that code i just look at it and i go oh this thing absolutely was engineered and i'll show you why in just a second but they knew this all right so this is still from that same email, the big smoking gun. Uh, this is from Jeremy Farrar. This is more reflections continued. All right. So remember this one up here ends with I am 70, 30, 60, 40. You can see that line at the very top in white. Now from Bob, from somebody named Bob, I'm going to assume that's Bob Gary, but it's an assumption from Bob. <clears throat> he writes here, quote, before I left the office for the ball. I aligned NCOV with the 96% bat coronavirus sequenced at WIV. I assume that's at TG13. Except for the receptor binding domain, the RBD, the five, the S proteins are essentially identical at the amino acid level. Well, all but the perfect insertion of 12 nucleotides that adds the furin site. Spike protein sub subset two, S2, is over its whole length essentially identical i really can't think of a plausible natural scenario where you get from the bad virus or one very similar to it to ncov where you insert exactly four amino acids 12 nucleotides that all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function and that you don't change any other amino acid in s2 I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature, end quote. Me neither. That's what I was saying at the time. When you see that perfect insert, mutations happen. A T becomes an A, a G becomes a C. That, 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 that's a mutation. An insert is, it's like taking a, a Shakespearean sonnet and cutting it right in the middle of one of the sonnets and separating the, a sentence and inserting four new words in there that doesn't change the meaning upstream or downstream. It's not easy to do. It doesn't just happen. Inserts often are pretty random. So for this perfect little 12 nucleotide four amino acid insert, that is the PRRA amino acid sequence of the furin cleaver site. It is the smoking gun. And here we see Bob, assuming presumably Bob Gary saying, I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. Me neither, right? Carrying on, do the alignment of the spikes at the amino acid level do the alignment of the spikes at the amino acid level. Just do that. It's stunning. Of course, in the lab, it would be easy to generate the perfect 12 base insert that you wanted. Of course, in the lab, it would be easy to generate exactly the insert you wanted. Of course. 
Another scenario is that the progenitor of NCOV was a bat virus with the perfect furin cleavage site generated over evolutionary time. In this scenario, RATG13, the WIV virus was generated by a perfect deletion of 12 nucleotides while essentially not changing any other S2 amino acid, even more implausible, in my opinion. And he's not wrong about that. The odds of that are vanishingly small. So that's the big right, if. Ahead, now, pause it. I know anytime we get to the RATG 13 level of explaining what's going on with your taxpayer dollars going to DAZAC and EcoHealth and Tony Fauci and Collins, people's eyes start to glaze over with the RATG 13 type of context. So let's rewind. Let's sift. Let's sort. Let's figure out what we just got in that payload of information from Chris Martinson. Well played, Chris. All right. So there's a couple issues here. This furin cleavage site, and the ACE2 receptors and the binding domains and the gain of function, it's not going on in nature naturally. That's why they have BSL-4 labs and they do these sort of things. He also let it slip. Uh, the only uh, identifiable piece of DNA genome that matched up was a 2016 Moderna patent. Mm -hmm. So it didn't come from an ocelot. It didn't come from a pangolin. It didn't come from sex, intersex between species of animals. It came from shit that they had in their fucking databases. Now, why did they close Fort Detrick in August of 2019, right before this pandemic kicked off? I'll go better. If you read the Washington Post article and you go to the bottom paragraph, it also tells you they got closed earlier, like 2008. Why did they get closed in the past? Because they were working on viruses that weren't in their database, off, off, off the list type of stuff, covert stuff, bioweapon stuff, international viruses treaty violating type of stuff they're working on over there. So it's interesting to see it all coming out with uh, Chris Martinson's help. And now if, if there were, I'm not saying there is, but we talked about James Bond last week from Russia with love. We had, we talked about this book. Let's put it, you know, Ian Fleming specter, right? Let's say that there's a specter type of character out there, a group of people that mean us harm. And let's say that they're looking for, how do we lock down the whole world and take control? And they're like, well, there's a, there's a document on the books that said, if there's a novel respiratory coronavirus that escapes in a certain way that they could uh, have world domination. Now, I'm not saying that exists. I'm just saying that the business plan, the funding for all that stuff, it does exist. And there was there were some hints in our culture, like you might have picked up on like the CIA propaganda back in the 90s. Here's the hot zone, terrifying true story of Ebola that they probably made in their lab. And here's a little bioweapons book, biological weapons and America's secret war on germs, right? But she's a CIA shill, so you, I wouldn't. I would read the book, but just don't believe everything you read in that book. And then you got uh, books like, yes, emerging viruses, AIDS and Ebola, nature, accident, potential. Oh, it's the same thing we're asking about this pandemic. So I'm just saying there's a pattern here. And there's also a pattern in redactions, right? They're redacting. Look at this. Look who else redacts. This is the FBI redacting after Hartford Current filed a FOIA over a certain shooting. And the Hartford Current investigators are trying to figure it out. And the FBI releases heavily blacked out records and they put it on the front page. And why would you put this on the front page? Because you can't make any sense of it. Oh, maybe that's the point that the response from the Freedom of Information Act request to journalists, official blue check journalists, the Hartford Current can't can't have that information. So why do they redact stuff? Because if you knew what was unredacted, you would 
probably make a different decision on the matter. Just like you just saw Tony Fauci's emails unredacted. And those of you who gave him the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, well, he and Dazak and Collins, they're not really covering up a genocide of 6 million people right now. But now you saw the emails and maybe they are because he didn't seem too panicked. Anyone else who didn't have knowledge that that's this, that's their, that's their Frankenstein running around. They would have acted differently. Those are people who were in on knitting Frankenstein together, discussing that he got out of the lab. No, oh, yeah. It's monster. That is I want to be quite, quite literally. And the fact that they even admit the process, which is chimeric processes, which they run it through uh, cell cultures where in, uh, in, where they you know have different tissue lines and they're just sort of through repeated passage. In other words, letting it, that's what sort of, the sort of gain of function chimeric processes. It's not sort of like CRISPR where you're specifically in, um, manipulating the uh, nucleotides and so forth. You're actually allowing, you're specifically introducing a couple different viruses together and certain uh, cell lines to see over time how they gain function. And so they let sort of nature do its work in a Petri dish. So they're manipulating it on purpose until it gains that specific function. And that's by, that's the way in which Anthony Fauci was able to sort of weasel his way through the Rand Paul questioning in regards to, look, all the times that it didn't gain function. Well, it's like, yeah, but you were doing it to gain function. That was the whole point, because once you find where it gains function, then you can create your vaccine, which they already had the patent for that specific uh, um, nucleotide sequence or amino acid sequence back in 2016 or back in 2017, of which I think the NIH gets royalties from. So, you know, it's, it's all very um, heavy handed. It's very um, absurd. And it just goes to show you that they were obsessing over the same things that we talked about two what, years over ago, a year, that we year haven't and a half, had to walk two years back. ago. Yeah. And we, that was from, you know, the original emails with, I have, I went back and looked actually, let me go back here. I had to go through archive dot org this is a let me see here because there was also uh i have the one, u.s right to no, know no. emails from dazak if you look at these no, this, this is exhibit number 12 and it was published uh oh sorry i'm zooming in too far uh november 18th 2020 so a year into the pandemic freedom of information act request on peter dazak's emails and remember, he's the guy from the Lancet article that said you can't question lab origin and it's conspiracy theory. And those people are like killing people, basically, with rumors and, you know, the other English spellings he used in there. Right. So this is Eco Health Alliance orchestrated key scientist statement on natural origin. This is what lets you know that Lancet article we read a couple hours ago is a piece of shit and should everyone should know it's retracted emails ob obtained by us right to know show that a statement in the lancer authored by 27 prominent public science health scientists condemning conspiracy theories suggesting covid19 does does not have a natural origin was organized by employees of eco health alliance a nonprofit group that has received millions of dollars taxpayer funding they're the counterpart to the welcome trust so right. if eco health is cia then welcome trust is mi6 and there you have a reason to take over the world not that specter would ever want to take over the world but i'm just saying like the, the evidence well, is, is stacking up against this uh wuhan institute of virology because i also have this if i can get it on screen like that nih admitted u.s funded gain of function in wuhan despite fauci's denials and this isn't fox news this is new york post who got uh censored on twitter for doing hunter biden journalism so I think that eventually adjudication must happen on these matters because we're not going to continue living into a future based on these lies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, 
I'm looking at this. This is sort of an update. This is actually a, a year ago. Oh, no, this is the, the day ago. Sorry. I saw the December 11th. No, it's so, a year yeah, ago. It's October 21st, 2021. Oh, this up here has a date. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> of You're the current, the present day. I, yeah. Thank uh, you, New York Post, telling us yesterday's news today. All right, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, um, there was this. I'll just make the point very quickly. Newly unredacted emails confirm Fauci's efforts to conceal COVID lab leak possibility. They pretty much they pretty much go into detail about what Chris Martin said already discussed. But it was also these same journalists from Epoch Times at the time when they first got a hold of this that also tracked down the grants that were given to Anderson and Gary and these other virologists. Uh, Peter. Dasek, oh yeah, they got paid off. They got paid off, and then all I mean, of a sudden they published totally in the totally. Lancet. You know, just after they changed their Proxim opinions origins. without yeah, just after they changed their opinions without being presented with any evidence. From which they could change their opinions. They just changed their opinions coincidentally. And then coincidentally, months later, money in large six figure and more oh, amounts yeah. comes so from a guy coincidentally named case, this Tony Fauci, who had nothing to do with this other thing over here. It's all Gilbert Gottfried's uh, Beverly Hills cop. What if sure. what if yeah, yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. this ticket over here, you you had a hundred dollars over here and you just kind of forgot about this thing over here? This is That's also a perfect example. We had this on the show when we showed the amount of money. I just have to go back and find those specific emails because it's been a year and a half. But very specifically, this is why Anthony Fauci remained head of the NIAID. He had a chance under, I think, George W. Bush, not H.W., but George Bush uh, Jr. to become, I believe it was him, who was tapped to become the head of the NIH, and he turned it down. Now, why would he turn it down? Because he gets to control the funding when he's head of the NIAID. Francis Collins, although Chris Martinson sort of alludes to him, he's the one higher up. He's really a figurehead. Fauci's the one with the control. He's the one that controls the funding, both through the uh, Wuhan lab, through EcoHealth Alliance, and there's also DARPA grants or for much more money, but that's a whole separate topic, although interrelated nonetheless, but also to these virologists that he can then pay off to you know, say what he wants to be said um, for a number of different things, therapeutics, vaccines, for the origins of a virus, all these different things. So he has more power than Francis Collins by the fact that he has control of the money, and he knows that, hence why he turned down that uh, you want to know how much power he's got, Tony. Tony Fauci has so much power that he's the Samuel Bankman Freed of the NIH, he's the SBF of the NIH. Well, he I'm didn't, saying. he used taxpayer funds, so at least he was using some actual real money. Sam Bankman Freed actually like set up his own bank and then leveraged himself and borrowed against himself somehow. Very, oh, both cases, it's real money that was stolen, so yeah, it was uh, real money. Well, he. But the way he SBF did it was even more clever and ingenious in a way. Now, that's not certain. equivocation. That's not speaking with two voices, although there are two characters involved, Tony <laughs> Fauci and SBF. That's right. That's right. SBF, uh, what he did was quite fantastical. Of course, it shows. That dude's a legit jackass. In fact, can we just play that Rogan Kurt Metzger clip just to make people laugh right now in sure, the midst yeah. of all this other stuff before we change gears? Or as we change I mean, gears out of that story, because we're not going to read any more of Tony Fauci's emails tonight. Though, though, I did bring you. Wait, I did. Wait, there's more. I did bring you guys something else. Hold on, let me click here. Uh, right here. Oh, you guys are going to dig this one. Bump, 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 bump. Read it. Let's get fact up. Fauci's deposition has been released. You too can read it. No, thank mm -hmm. you to your pop-up offer, but it was good marketing. I applaud that town hall. Good job. You almost got me to subscribe, but I want to read the article first. The deposition by Attorney General Eric Schmidt of Missouri and Jeff Landry of Louisiana. 
was taken on November 23rd as part of the two states' legal action against the Biden administration for its alleged collusion with big tech and social media companies to censor America's speech. Well, how's Fauci playing into this? We'd have to read the whole article, and that's not on the schedule for right now. But I just wanted to show you that you can get to it. You can go look it up, and maybe next week we'll dig into it, and we will learn more. But we know NIH admits gain of function, whereas Tony said no. And then um, you know maybe there, maybe there's a liars club. Tony and Jack and a couple of these other people. We could uh, case study on oh, psychopathy. And let's not forget as well. Let me just get this. I got this on the record many times. But Wendy Webb did a whole piece. And she has a subsection as part of this piece. And the name of the piece is, this goes back to June 25th, 2021, a leap toward humanity's destruction. Uh, here's a quick paragraph summing the up. The illogical the, leap. <laughs> the world's richest medical research foundation, the Welcome Trust, I apologize hmm. if people can't see that well, has teamed up with a pair of former DARPA directors who built Silicon Valley's skunk works to usher in an age of nightmare surveillance, including for babies as young as three months old. Their agenda can only advance if we allow it. Oh, now, like children did... of the gulag? Yes, that's exactly right. Now, that, we... that, that, that thing you just read, is that from the 1950s in Stalinist Russia, or is that something going on today of planning our future? You'd be surprised. Seven years later, it seems like they've Who not is only this doing Ferrar? it today. They're I'm glad he's not a relevant character in what we just heard about for a half hour. Yeah, not at all. Uh, Jeremy Farrar, pandemic narrative manager. While Dugan and Gabriel, that was uh, Regina Dugan, uh, ostensibly led the outfit, Welcome Leap is the brainchild of Jeremy Farrar and Mike Ferguson, who serve as its directors. Farrar is the director of the Welcome Trust itself, and Ferguson is deputy chair of the Trust Board of Governors. Farrar has been director of the Welcome Trust since 2013, has been actively involved in critical decision-making at the highest level globally since the beginning of the COVID crisis. He is also an agenda contributor to the World Economic Forum and co-chaired the WF's Africa meeting in 2019. Farrar's Welcome Trust is also a WEF strategic partner and co-founded the COVID Action Platform with the WEF. Farrar was one, excuse me, Farrar was more recently behind the creation of Welcome's COVID Zero Initiative, which hmm. is also tied to the WEF. Farrar has framed that initiative as, quote, an opportunity for companies to advance the science which will eventually reduce business disruption, end quote. Thus far, it has convinced titans of finance, including MasterCard and Citadel, to invest millions of research and development at organizations favored by the Wellcome Trust. Some of Wellcome's, some of Wellcome's controversial medical research projects in Africa, Africa, as well as its ties to the UK eugenics movement, were explored in a December article published in Unlimited Hangouts. There's a link right here. And I'll go down in a second. Um, my bad. Uh, that report also explores the intimate connections of welcome at the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. Um, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine uses the same uh, uh, adenovirus vector technology, the use of which has now been restricted or banned in several countries. This is at the time when they were. Uh, Wasn't that J&J's virus, the adenovirus technology, it, that guy from the event 201? That's right. It had nothing to do with the pandemic at all. They, they call it Janssen rich. So you don't have to worry about it. Oh, Janssen, Johnson and Johnson's Janssen. Jansen, Jeremy for far. So she gets in. They call it a Jansen because it's what they stick up your ass while they're giving you the jab. <laughs> so she gets into um, some general grammar of who he is. And I think he had something to over the past year. Many questions have arisen regarding exactly how much power for our wields over global public health. Recently, U.S. President's chief medical advisor, Anthony Fauci, was forced to release his emails and correspondence from March and April 2020 at the request of The Washington Post. The released emails reveal oh, they appears- didn't they didn't they didn't redact everything and give him a middle finger like the FBI did to the Harvard Current. They actually <laughs> used words in the English language that weren't whited out. That's fascinating. It is kind of 
it is yeah that that's a good point the release why aren't they hiding it that's well they were and weren't the fact that they unredacted it like it's just there are some questions there most certainly the released emails reveal what appears to be a high-level conspiracy by some of the top medical authorities in the U.S. to falsely came, claim that COVID-19 could only have been of zoonotic origin, despite indications to the contrary. These emails were heavily redacted, as such emails usually are, supposedly to protect the information of the people involved. But the redaction code B6 redactions also protect much of Jeremy Farrar's input in these discussions. That's what Chris Martinson just went into. And she actually references here Chris Martinson, economic researcher and postdoctorate student of neurotoxicology and founder of Peak Prosperity, has had some insightful comments on the matter, including asking why such protection has been offered to Farrar, given that he is the director of a charitable trust. Martinson mm-hmm. went on to question the, why the Welcome Trust was involved at all in these high-level discussions. Because to, to, okay... To Martinson's point, they're and this not. is the Glaxo welcome kind of conglomerate yeah. family into a, a private trust, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation counterpart for the UK. You got it. That's don't even. I was going to go up and reference that, but I don't even have to. You pretty much just summed it up. One of Fauci emails uh, dated February 2020 and sent by Amelia Ryu uh, of the WHO stated that Jeremy Farrar's official role at the time was quote to act as the board's focal point in the COVID-19 outbreak to represent and advise the board on the science of the outbreak and the financing of the response and quote Farrar had previously chaired the WHO's scientific that's what health organization scientific advisory council the emails yeah, also otherwise sh- Roger Daltrey and those guys get <laughs> upset uh, the emails also show the preparation within a 10-day period of the SARS-CoV-2 origins paper, which is entitled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, was accepted for publication by Nature Medicine on March 17, 2020. Paper claim that's the one that I referenced Anderson and so Gary and other individuals. They published the fake paper right. and they retract the HIV clay to the same you know, the same clay paper and at the same yeah, time. It's like a shell game with these guys. That's exactly right, because it's, it's four amino acids. Uh, Sequence uh, structures, uncanny similarity between uh, from the glycoprotein one twenty. They took those four amino right. acids that are significant and uh, specific only to HIV and found it to be as part of the spike, which is extremely curious and is very troubling for over time immune da- down regulation. You know, from both natural and obviously vaccine induced infection. Well, that's so. why Cold Spring Harbor Laboratories, the homo eugenics and the funders of Hitler's ideas uh, of eugenics and the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Eugenics in Hitler's Germany. They had to retract that paper. It's too much truth. I think if I remember correctly, he had to do with crafting narratives. Of course, that's been handed over to Philip Zalikow and Maddie's gone into detail about that. But originally oh, yeah. he was tapped to help craft narratives. So I'm just going to read a little bit more here. We can move on. But. Uh, back to Whitney's article, an article published by Rockefeller University Press's Journal of Experimental Medicine in 2009, dramatically titled Jeremy Farrar, When Disaster Strikes. Farrar, when refer- referring to the H5N1 origin story, stated, quote, the WHO people, the World Health Organization, and this is not a criticism, decided it was unlikely that the child had SARS or avian influenza. They left, but Professor Hines stayed behind to talk with the child and her mom. The girl admitted that she had been quite sad in the previous days with the death of, death of her pet duck. So they go on to quote all this sort of nonsense. The girl and her brother had fought over. So they're going on to about the H5N1, some of the stories crafted around that. Uh, with Ferrara now having been revealed as an instrumental part of the team that crafted the official story regarding the origins of SARS-CoV-2, his previous assertions about the origin of past epidemics should be scrutinized. In other words, he tells this crazy story about this girl, the pet duck, and like, you know, how upset she is. And then he takes an, a nasal uh 
swab and finds out that she's uh, infected and you know through the PCR analysis be, invented by Carrie Mullis all be false if I remember correctly and she goes on to state and this is sort of the end of this whole little section as a director of a quote-unquote charitable trust Jeremy Farrar is almost completely unaccountable for his involvement in crafting controversial narratives related to the COVID crisis he continues to be at the forefront of the global response to COVID, in part by launching the Welcome Leap Fund for quote-unquote unconventional projects funded at scale. As an overt attempt to create a global and quote-unquote charitable version of DARPA, indeed Farrar, in conceiving Welcome Leap, has positioned himself to be just, at, just as, if not more, instrumental in building the foundation for the post-COVID era as he was in building the foundation for the COVID crisis itself. This is significant as Welcome Leap CEO Regina Dugan, who I believe worked at DARPA and then went to Amazon or Google, I believe Google, then she became the chief technology officer, or not CTO, she became part of an organization that was set up essentially for advanced research, which is sort of like a more public version of a DARPA front. Anyway, so she, she has a whole article just on Regina Dugan herself. Anyways, going back to the article, this is significant. Welcome Leap CEO Regina Dugan has labeled COVID-19 this generation's quote-unquote Sputnik moment. They will launch a new age of quote-unquote health innovation, much like the launching of Sputnik started a global technological quote-unquote space age. Welcome Leap fully intends to lead the pack. So that's I encourage people to go check that out. And that's part of a whole series she did back in, I think, through March. It was early 2021 through the first two quarters of 2021, if I remember correctly. And uh, this is part of a larger investigation. And this is a UK nonprofit that Rich alludes to, uh, has ties to the UK eugenics movement and launched a global health-focused DARPA equivalent last year. So she goes into all the details of the financial connections, the individual players, the who, what, when, where, um, and allows the individual to come up with sort of the why and how, as because she's a very good investigative journalist and take allows the evidence to speak for itself and people to draw their own conclusions. Now, those emails that they're looking at with uh, the characters, uh, Christian and those other people with Fauci yeah, and Collins. Anderson, and those Christian emails, Anderson and Gary. It, yeah. They started like January 31st and they went and he changed his mind like by February 4th, something like that. Right. Yeah. In between quickly. time, coincidentally, on January 31st, 2020, before America even knows what's going on, this paper was published by these Indian scientists who had access to the CRISPR and the genome. It's titled The Uncanny Similarity of Unique Inserts in the 2019 NCOV Spike Protein to HIV-1. Right, so it was published GP120 on Col- or HIV-1, yeah, yeah. It was published on Cold Spring Harbor Labs. They didn't do the they didn't do the research, but they had published it. And that's where I found this paper, which is then later withdrawn when I went back to download it. ACE2 receptor finding areas, four unique inserts. They have, look, there's graphics of the inserts. Mm-hmm. You see why this has to be withdrawn. These guys are two years ahead of the narrative because they had the CRISPR and you're not supposed to use it for actual journalism. So spike glycoproteins, critical targets for vaccine development. For this reason, the spike proteins represent most extensively studied during among coronaviruses. And then there's these uncanny inserts. We therefore compare the spike glycoprotein sequences to the HIV insert that they found. And they're like, hey, this looks like it's not natural. And then- because it only exists in HIV. Why would that insert, especially HIV is a retrovirus. It is not a coronavirus. It's a different structure. It exists at a different scale. It has a whole different form. It's a it's a very it's a com- completely different virus. So why well, would that type of unique amino acid sequence be inside the spike protein 
Well, it's specifically the, yeah, these insertions have right. an uncanny similarity to HIV. What does HIV do, Tony, to the body? It shuts off your what? Shuts off your immune system oh. over time, very slowly. Unexpectedly, all the insertions got aligned with human immunodeficiency virus HIV-1. Further analysis revealed that aligned sequences of HIV-1 with 2019 nCoV were derived from surface glycoprotein GP120. Huh. And then discussion. The outbreak warrants thorough investigation, understanding of its ability to infect human beings, especially if it came from the lab, right? Exactly. Mm. These proteins are critical for viruses to identify and latch onto their host cells, like ACE2 receptor cells and humanized mice. There's also people, another. Like, it, there's, mean, al- there's also another thing that needs to be mentioned. Sorry to cut you off there, but this is yeah. important that Chris Martinson said. There, he used the analogy. It's like having six keys to enter your house. Like each yeah. key works for a different lock. Because there, the one uncanny thing that we don't, we've not observed out of any other virus in nature, from my understanding, is the fact that usually it does have multiple pathways of infection. It can infect many different cell lines beyond ACE two. And so it's ACE2 is one of the potentials, but once it at the fear and cleavage site, it becomes destabilized. It can infect all these other tissues. And he mentioned a couple of different pathways beyond ACE2. That's very troubling because we have not observed that. And it gives further credence circumstantially, evidentiary, but circumstantially to the fact that it was engineered. Again, it's another thing beyond the fear and cleavage site that why is it acting in this way? We've never observed things in nature doing this. So it's another smoking gun potentially that could uh, at least circumstantially allude to just the uncanny nature of this virus um, uh, in regards to zoonotic versus um, uh, lab derived creation. I thought that was a very powerful understanding. I, I did a whole write up on this in a production chat and GTW chat because of what his analysis of the structures that are being found by morticians from the died suddenly vaccine, but he didn't reference that movie. He just went into some of the actual uh, morticians themselves and went over the analysis of that so and they do seem to be real and they do seem to be forming pre-mortem which is disturbing keep your pipes clean that's the lesson out there this thing we're studying is almost as if there's a bank and there's a bank robbery and the bank robbers tie up the security guards but they don't tie them up so well that they never get untied. They just tie them up long enough so they can get away. And then the security guards have to report there's been a robbery so that the bank can claim the insurance. But what you find out is that the robbers of the bank that tied up the police to get away are the actual owners of the bank and they were losing money and they needed to rob the bank to have an insurance fraud. And they needed that security guard to play the very important role of waiting two years to tell us the truth about what's going on. That's the gist. That's why it's okay to like talk about these things today and Twitter. Like you're not going to get banned on Twitter for talking about these things because the pandemic's over. You've already been trained. They've already set the precedent. They've already got their budgets. They're already working on the next they thing. Have the administration. And they'll let place, you know when so it happens. Be prosecution or indictments or you know all yeah. these sorts of things. They also let's not forget the one thing very smug that, and comfortable that on will never happen and can never happen at this point because I'm sure there's been a full cover up from the second this happened. Is we'll never get any real information for the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So we'll never be able to send an actual investigative team in there to do any say, because right now, what would be the point they've had? all? I'm sure they covered the entire thing. I think it's the opposite of a cover up. I'm going to disagree with Tony. It's the opposite of a cover up. It was the unveiling and it started with event 201 
no, that's continues. true. I agree yeah. with you there. I'm saying yeah. just like if we were to send an international team in to investigate oh, sure. the Wuhan Institute, for, it's already what information they're going to be able to glean at this point. It, my point is the Chinese alongside other internationalists and Peter Daszak, you go out the, like all these various organizations we've been talking about already conducted the cover up, at least from an evidentiary standpoint inside the laboratory itself, where we can get all these actual foundational evidence we would need to be able to prosecute indict and prosecute and that's just already so they can always dance around preponderance and circumstance of evidence and it's very clear that's on the side of lab the least a lab release at the very least who knows if even lab leak potentially uh consciously i mean there's with intent leak or was it a hose it was meant to come out the other end is it a drip hose drip line you know when you set up for like plants or something you know that's purposeful there's a reason why they have little holes in those hoses so just saying all right so there's more to be learned on that topic let's yeah. go to the the rogan and kurt metzger clip to make us laugh about uh funny is it stuff joe, real on. quick is it joe rogan yeah. and kurt metzger only or is it the four the other two guys as well no i don't there's, think the other two guys were okay. in the clip that i saw and if that's fine if it's have, not in my playlist i might not have marked it but it would be my history from earlier today and i, I have it here it's the yeah. strange ongoing saga of ftf's and saying bankman free it's just kurt metzger and joe rogan right yeah because if i describe it it's not nearly as funny as these two comedians you're about to see here ld i just repost or post i got it one in the open. i think this is it let's see if uh we get dinged on the youtube <laughs> Ding ding. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. It's we'll very weird that we spent more on this than Russia spent doing the invasion. We now surpassed what Russia has spent. But what about this FTX thing? Oh, yeah. Well, that's where it gets crazy. Which I love is are they're all reporting on like, how could this happen? Like, you know, he would play League of Legends while he's on the phone <laughs> doing a $20 million deal. And, uh, the, and then. Who was it? Goldman Sachs? Somebody's like, I love this kid. They all think it's great. They're like, How yeah. could they think that's great? Because he's a rich kid with connected parents. It's not a, if he was just some jerk off off the street who looked like that. Right. They wouldn't be like, oh, this is great. Well, his mom was a big uh, Democratic Party uh, operative, right? Wasn't she something along yeah, those lines? Yeah. Also, MIT. The guy at the SEC that he would talk to was an MIT Hold professor. On. Go back, Jamie. Would you, would you just show me? I was trying to find the actual thing, and that wasn't it. But this is what he was talking about. Crypto's biggest crash saw a guy playing League of Legends while luring investors. So while he's looking for, the, he was playing this fucking game while yeah. he was talking to the investors. If yeah. you just pay a bunch of money to the media, just which is what he did, they'll just write things about how great you are. How, That's the other thing. He, he was donated. a jerk off. Yeah. They'll write your, because there's only two kinds of stories. My friend, he used to work with, she told me it's either puff, uh, 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 outrage. It's like puff pieces or hit pieces. That's all they do. Because that's with them, that's how you get people to look at it and whatever. So, that's and so all you they can, can do. bribe these companies to do puff pieces. That's what he did. Isn't that wild? The guy from uh, Shark Tank that they asked him, he's like, I'd work with him again. The guy well, I that, think he was actually one of the guys that got paid, too. Of course. I think he's one of the spokespeople, wasn't he? Yeah. He Kevin O'Leary? He, he had to give some fun disclosures on that video where he's like, before we get started on this, let me tell you that all my business accounts are involved in FTX and I've invested Dude, there's in a it. video oh, of him goodness. on Shark Tank tearing apart some guy who brought a Ponzi scheme to him. Oh, no. In fact, where did I say? I think it's CoffeeZilla. Well, maybe he believes in this kid. Yeah, but he does. It's just if you know the right people, and you're that his brother works with like a Gap or something. 
a guard against pandemics. Every single thing that you would see. <laughs> Did you see what the young lady said? She posted it on Twitter about her regular amphetamine use. Oh, the chick? Making people see, make life, what does she say? I didn't see Makes um, real life seem silly. Uh, yeah. see, see, see if you can find out what her post was. But she was talking on Twitter about how uh, consuming amphetamines on a regular basis. Yeah. Mm. Here yeah. it is. Made non-medicated life seem dumb. Oh, no shit. <laughs> It was. Do you see the obvious, the <laughs> obvious things they're saying? Look, what a fucking look! Nothing like regular amphetamine use to make you appreciate how dumb a lot of normal, non-medicated human experience is. That is a hilarious thing to say from someone who, had, in April fifth of twenty twenty one, is responsible for how much money, <laughs> dude? Th- th- it, but you know what's crazy? They're all whacked out on <gasps> on legal prescription drugs. Yeah, yeah, they're whacked out on. There's another thing that he was taking in a transdermal patch. Mm. He was taking mm-hmm. schlegeline or something like that. I just watched that dude. He's like a weightlifter more paints, guy. More dates, yeah. And more plates, more dates. Derek, boy, that guy knows all the. Oh chemical. my god, was he like a chemical? Engineer no, man, he's just fucking super smart and reading research I know it's so funny people are I like, thought he was a chemist everybody I ever knew that was some kind of fitness freak knew a lot of shit about they weren't like stupid people that shouldn't do research they were way ahead of yeah. everyone else I knew because you know how like uh weightlifting supplements oh yeah man Listen, like- <laughs> I know a lot of people that know a lot of shit about like when you should eat for the maximum amount of absorption of the protein what yeah fucking, right how many grams per pound of body weight you right. have to take and that kid with that fledgling yeah. that's amazing a kid that out of shape is like weightlifter knowledge of nootropics <laughs> a, a bodybuilding guy yeah. using, that's his body his body is his mind his body's just carrying his mind around what are the effects he said it does where it makes you uh like enjoy doing like boring work or something i think yeah i think it was something along those lines let's but, find find derek's vi- video on it because derek describes it but the sledgling one he had like a nicotine patch it was like a patch yeah. So it's just like getting that slow drip of whatever the fuck that sledge that's cre- stuff that, that is That stuff stays in you for a while. Those kind of things, stay. those ones where it stays for a while, you can't just go off it. Right, it's transdermal? Be, uh, yeah. Not, not the so patch, is, the chem- yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's a 20-minute video. I don't know just, what the part would be. Maybe. Just start it. F- yeah, right there. That's the stuff. That's the stuff. Yeah. I'm saying. Like this. Okay, so he's going to go. He has his medical disclaimer. He's smart about the way he handles stuff. So guys, Derek, moreplatesmoreandates.com. Today we're talking about Sam Bankman-Fried and his nootropic use, his drug use, his cognitive-enhancing, dopaminergic-enhancing drugs that he's using to stay uh, cognitively, cognitively fucking dialed, dude, um, for being the hyper-productive entrepreneur that he is, bro. So <laughs> if you haven't seen, this I'm sure you've great. probably seen if you're clicking this, the FTX debacle. He's all in the news um, and has been for a minute now. Crypto fears, contagion as billions owed to creditors. Sam Bankman-Fried becomes an ESG truth teller. FTX fires three of Sam Bankman-Fried's top deputies. Celebs like Tom Brady, Larry David did ads for crypto giant FTX. Now they're getting sued. Sam Bankman-Fried says fuck regulators. Musk's Twitter ultimatum and making TikToks instead of ads. This is Matt Levine on the collapse of Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX and Alameda. So apparently this guy went from a billionaire to nothing essentially overnight from this complete disaster of a situation. If you want some insight onto exactly what happened, check out CoffeeZilla, high quality information on a regular basis in a highly entertaining format. Highly recommend his channel for anything crypto scam related, oh, essentially, or nice. anything financial. You know who has a good thing on FTX that oh. is not making any conclusions to uh, this guy, Upper Echelon Games. I watch a really good mm. 
it's actually like great. I can't remember what it is, but it's about FTX when it fell and he just doesn't claim anything. He just shows mm. like it's uh, it's worth watching. That other guy, uh, the guy who was the head dog at Google, was it Google or Facebook? Chamath? Where was he from? Is he from Google, right? I think he runs a uh, venture capital fund. I don't know. He probably used but to work there. Wasn't he like the, the top I guy I of Google? Exactly. Anyway, he's a billionaire and he really understands it. And he actually oh, reached out to guy. them, yeah. contacted them and said, you know, you, you should form a board. And they told him to go fuck himself. That's literally what they said. To was him. He like, go I love fuck this yourself. kid. <laughs> he was like, he's a fucking billionaire financial guy who actually understands how yeah. money works. And he said, like, this is what you guys got to do. Oh, like, they, you got, and they're like, go fuck yourself. Do you think the new tropics were making them arrogant? <laughs> <laughs> they're on speed all day, man. These guys are jacked up on speed, and they're all making fucking, billions, and they're know, fucking each other, all of them, all just, nine of them. In a house in the Bahamas, just smells just, like nerd fucking. Just nerd fucking. Just taking Mountain Dew and sledgling, using a trackball. <laughs> These tweets on the side of this are crazy. That's probably what he's talking about. What's he saying? Uh, it says, like, M Sam has fatal side effects when eating with meat products. Yeah. Oh, so is that why he's a vegan? gambling and hypersexuality. Yeah, it's that fearlessness. Pathological gambling and hypersexuality. Yeah, have yeah. you heard of this before? On other, I've heard of this with other drugs. You know, I just realized the ultimate gift basket uh, for Zlebs is, is the one FTX did, which is just a shit ton of money. Yeah, oh, that's, that's the better best. than the... Yeah, than fake a, money. Than a designer T-shirt. If that if that guy didn't go to war with that other guy, that's what happened, right? That dude dumped all of his coins. He 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 sold oh, all yeah. of his coins. Binance, and they really couldn't cover it. Yeah, the, yeah. That was his like rival. Yeah, they had he had a whole back door installed in that so that his kind of house, one of girlfriend or whatever she is. Ran Alameda Research, right? And then they had some. They back funneled door. off yeah. like ten billion dollars into yeah. that. It's, it's the whole thing is so wild. They were yeah. just on speed playing with fake money. It's so uh, it's so funny to watch the videos where it's obvious, and all you need is people to be on board. <laughs> yeah, if all the right people are on board, that's yeah. all it takes. It's like the Epstein Island thing. Yeah, everyone. It's like everything's to train you to get to be. Uh, like, you don't really get to pick if you say whatever your politics, right? Right. Whatever you would call yourself, you don't get to decide that. Like, we'll let you know what you are. Right. You could decide maybe a gender. You go ahead and pick out a gender, honey. But you're not getting to pick. Everything else about your identity will be assigned to you from now on. You can only, even that can only be assigned if it's convenient. You see what happened with the non-binary shooter? Oh, and then yeah. the transgender person on television says, I could tell by looking at them that that's a man. Well, what do you? What do they do in that situation where they have? We played it on Jimmy's show. That is such a the, crazy thing to say. Like that is against everything you supposedly stand for. Did you see initially? So it's Al Franken, some other white guy. The you got the gist. <clears throat> FTX. The story keeps getting crazier. Now, if you notice, nerd orgies, might, bro. Nerd orgies. That was pretty funny. Nerd orgies. It's not Paul Pelosi's story that we covered that a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I don't know how smart those people are anyway. Oh, but man. Paul Pelosi had shoes on the whole time, which is funny because he was supposedly in bed sleeping with his shoes on. Who and let him in? The he open the door. When he was sleepwalking. When he was sleepwalking, he's probably taking one. What's that? Stuff that people take Ambien to notice. Ambient. He's probably ambient sleepwalking. I don't know why yeah. they don't sleepwalk that out to the press and they'll probably buy on that and get more clicks so uh this story is interesting because if you notice if you're paying attention at home the ftx story kind of overlaps with this twitter story 
And there's a couple more overlaps. In fact, it was like I started with a Venn diagram that I, I didn't have enough circles because the Venn diagram, you know, not so many circles, but this is going to be like six circles. It's not the Audi logo. It's not the Olympics logo. It's something that looks like this. And if you look at the 2020 election right here and you see the DNC's interest on that election, FTX funding the DNC. I think they were second biggest behind Bloomberg in that one. Facebook running cover for the Biden laptop. Google saying as soon as Trump won, they'll never let that happen again. And now the JJ dialogues. Well, because she's talking to more than one person, so they're no longer monologues. That was an error in the show title last week. The the Vijayjay monologues, dialogues, because there's she's talking to many people. So you you got all these circles of influence around there. And I don't know, like I'm not on the red team or blue team, but I don't see anything similar being phoned in by the Republicans. Like they're not even showing up for the game. So you can't say that they're cheating because they're not even stepping on the field. But these yeah, dudes exactly. are definitely cheating on the field. On the field. Yeah, exactly. These people are cheating and they own the field. They're not they locked the other team in the locker room, is what they fucking did. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Just saying, is that how you win? I mean, I saw that Sylvester Stallone movie, Victory, where they play football. I mean, soccer over there for like their freedom during World War II. When uh, that guy, Hitler, he had a team of people with amphetamines. Have we compared? (laughs) Have we checked in and see if there's a continuity of of disruption with these things? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a wild story. So much to be relayed about that. There's also another clip on the show card from Michael Saylor. Um, he gets into the details of how he organ organized the money else from Patrick Bet David. And so there's and that's probably the best clip I've seen. The upper echelon gaming also that Kurt Metzger referred to, they did a good analysis of it as well. But this Patrick Bet David, the Michael How long Saylor, is the PBD? Uh, it's 12 minutes. 12 minutes. All right, let's check it out because it's for the record, it's for the time capsule. It's for all good to get on there. This really gets in the details home. of what happened. Yeah. If you're living real time on earth right now, this is also useful information to you to understand. This is coming from Patrick at David at his value valuetainment network. And this is probably a clip from the PBD podcast or a clip where he just sits in front of the camera and tells you how it is. It's PBD podcast, yeah. PBD podcast coming at you. Recently you saw them uh featuring Whitney Webb. That's the gist. Did the guys in the industry like yourself, the heavyweights, were you aware that something was going on at SPF or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, you have the Bitcoin community opposite the crypto community. And there, there's been a low grade sort of boiling guerrilla war between the two camps for the past two and a half years. And Sam is kind of like the poster child of the crypto world, Mm. right? Sam makes billions of dollars on an unregulated exchange offshore. He makes billions of dollars issuing his own air token. He, he, uh, spends hundreds of millions of dollars giving to the crypto lobby and to politicians. And one of their messages is, uh, you know, Bitcoin is bad for the environment. It uses too much electricity, but not to fear. We have a, you know, a staked air token, which does the same thing as Bitcoin and it's environmentally friendly. So, you know, we, we've always seen that going on. And I think that, um, you know, the Bitcoin community would say, you know, there's something ethically broken about being able to issue your own unregistered security, right? They call it committing the sin of shit coinery. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so Sam and most of the people in the crypto world were always guilty of the sin of shit coinery or pumping and promoting unregistered securities. And, and that was obvious. I think, um, 
you know, that, that was obvious to the chair of the SEC, to most politicians, right? That the, the phrase that pops up over and over again is the vast majority of all crypto tokens are unregistered securities. But I think the diabolical twist in the FTX story that none of us saw coming, but it is particularly diabolical. Is, so Sam creates you know, uh, $8 billion worth of air token with SRM and FTT. Then he issues himself locked token, secret locked token, marks it up on his balance sheet by another four to $8 billion and calls it 16 billion worth of collateral. Okay, then he goes shopping for a bank to give him a loan against this. Well, if I took a billion dollars of Apple stock and I went to a, a legit bank, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, I say I got a billion of Apple stock, they would say, well, we will give you collateral value for up to the amount you have or 5% yeah. of the daily trading liquidity on a legitimate regulated exchange. So if you show me a security that trades a billion dollars a day mm -hmm. and you have a billion dollars of it, I might give you 50 million of collateral value. And that means you could borrow $25 million against it at 50% loan to value, but I'm gonna margin call you if it moves a tick. So it means practically speaking, a billion dollars of that legit security is probably gonna give you $10 million worth of a loan. On a billion. On a billion. That's 1%. Okay, right? Because the, the gating factor is what's 5% of the trading liquidity of that token or that asset? Because if I have to dump that thing in the market, I want to sell the entire position without uh, moving the price. Sure. Okay, so that's the traditional world onshore. What Sam did was generated 14 to $16 billion worth of Solana, you know, FTT, Serum, and then he went shopping for a bank to give him a loan. But he didn't want, uh, you know, you wouldn't get a loan from Goldman Sachs on it. No one's going to borrow your money, uh, at least no non-crypto mm -hmm. company. So what he did was he went to himself. He runs a bank called FTX. Mm -hmm. He applied for a loan from himself. He granted himself he the loan. for a loan from himself. Well, right? secretly applied. Quotes. He didn't tell anybody, but he grant, they, when they say, well, Alameda had a margin account and the margin position was slightly bigger than I thought. What he means is, oh yeah, they pledged a few billion dollars of air token, gave themselves a $10 billion loan and they extracted, even if he had pledged 15 billion worth of air token, Giving yourself a $10 billion loan means that you gave yourself about 100x the collateral value you would have got on a regulated exchange onshore. So what he did was, in essence, extract $10 billion of real stuff, dollars, Bitcoin, saleable assets, and he pledged $10 billion worth of air token stuff. And of course, the, it's a double diabolical thing. Here's, here's the problem. So I create a token... I have 300 million tokens and then I basically trade it with myself. Like I give it to you and you work for me and you give it back to me. Then I lean on it. So I lever it up 10 to one, you know, on FTX, you could lever it 20 to one. Then I borrow your money, you're a depositor. So I take your money, you have $10 million. I lever it up 20 to one. I have $200 million. I buy my own token. I drive my token up by five bucks, $5 times 300 million makes me 1.5 billion in collateral. I post the collateral and then I withdraw $1 billion of, you know, 100,000 people's money. I put it in Alameda and then Alameda gives a $3.5 billion loan to Sam, right? To, he gave $3.3 billion to either himself or his personal family holding company. 
So it, here's the diabolical twist. I didn't just generate $10 billion of an unregistered security to dump it on the unsuspecting retail. That would take me 500 trading days dumping 20 million a day, right? He didn't do that. What he did is he generated $10 billion in unregistered security and then just borrowed $10 billion secretly from his depositors and then went and gambled it, traded it, spent it, lost it. And, how? And that is like, it's particularly impressive. How do you, so here's a question. You know how you, he goes and he raises the 2 billion, okay? And he gets the 2 billion from not small people. He gets it from the best of the best of the best, right? You got BlackRock, you got Insight. I think you know the names. Yeah. I don't need to give you the names. You know the names. So Major names, right? Then he, they don't get any seats, board seats in return. These are very, very smart people who are seeing this. Are they just as responsible for the fall of FTX as Sam Bankman-Fried is? Uh, the Bitcoin maximalists would say that the problem in crypto is greed, arrogance, and foolishness. Okay, anybody that's investing in it is is either greedy, arrogant, or foolish. So there's three constituencies that got taken for billions of dollars here. The VC investors put two billion dollars into an offshore exchange. The exchange, just to be clear, was unethical and illegal from the very beginning. It, it's illegal to do what they did in the U.S. And it's and, and it's unethical if you think I am front running my customers, issuing a token, manipulating the price of the token, dumping it on them. If right? you did that in stocks, you're going to jail if you if you yeah, front it's, run. It's, it's not. It's absolutely. Illegal, yeah. Right. FTX was its own regulator, its own market maker, its own exchange, the issuer. <laughs> Right, all all at the same time. This is this is such a con and the hedge fund, too much conflict of interest. So, but the three constituencies are, the VC that put the two billion into into FTX. They were supporting basically an offshore, unregulated casino. You know, running in opaque fashion. You know, account of the interest of its own customers. They didn't ask for a board seat. They didn't do due diligence. They were chasing what they thought was insane gains, right? FTX is showing a company that goes from 50 million in revenue to 500 million in revenue to a billion in revenue. And they thought they just had the next great thing. So, you know, Sam lies that any con, right? It's like, I think I'm getting a, a deal that's too good to be true. And the con man is lying to me. We're all lying to each other. And, and so that's the first 2 billion goes down the drain. There's another four billion or something like that in just loans made by you know crypto industry. I think Alameda borrowed hundreds of millions and billions of dollars from Genesis, from Three Arrows, from Voyager, from Celsius, from you know BlockFi, etc. So it's like if you start with this fiction that FTT is FTT is a real thing. If I create, you know, again, like yo-yo token and, mm -hmm. I, and I manipulate the price up to $10 billion by trading 2% of the float, if you think it's a real thing and I act like it's a real thing, then I pledge it as collateral and you give me real stuff for air thing. And so there's like $4 billion of that. And they went and they lost half of that. that they, you know, that was part of the reason that Voyager and BlockFi going bankrupt. And the reason that Sam wanted to bail them out is he didn't want to actually have the loans called, right? He was actually trying to buy BlockFi and buy Voyager with FTX equity, which of course is fraudulent and worth nothing. But if I borrowed a billion dollars from a company and they want the money back and I can simply 
give them a billion dollars of equity, take over the company and not pay the loan back, I can roll the entire fraud forward. So that's the second. The third is, you know, they, this is also diabolical. You know, FTX said, well, you know, we're built by traders for traders and Sam bragged that they only charge like three basis points trading fee. And he was 30 times cheaper than Coinbase or much cheaper than Binance. So he's stealing customers off of the other crypto exchanges by, in essence, offering near free trading. He's not trying to make money off the trading. He's trying to actually get the assets on his platform mm -hmm. because once he had the assets on his platform, he basically used FTX like his own personal piggy bank. It's like there's $10 billion there. Everybody else is going to get wiped out if, uh, if their margin positions trade down 20% for a minute, mm -hmm. except Alameda. Alameda has God mode. They never get margin called. So in an exchange, you, you know, like in, in the U.S., it's illegal to go more than 50% loan to value. That means you're kind of like you start with a million dollars, you borrow 500,000, you're 1.5x levered. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, FTX started with 100x leverage, and then they backed it down to the responsible Shit. 20x leverage, which means that you post a million and you can take a $20 million position. Okay. Who allows that? Now, here's the insane. What, what if I put a billion dollars of air token, FTT, on the exchange? I recognize you, and I let you take a $10 billion bet. Like, whatever. You took a $10 billion bet. Now you withdraw $4 billion of real cash, and you use that to buy property and buy everything under the sun. So... Sam, basically, he scraped billions from unsuspecting investors in Silicon Valley. Who, they should have known better. He took billions from crypto hedge funds and crypto banks like BlockFi and Voyager. They should have known better. Mm -hmm. And then he took probably $10 billion or more from depositors on his exchange. They, they have the best argument. It's like they were staring at terms and conditions that said he's not going to rehypothecate or use their assets. And... He just, you know, he lured them with the promise of cheap trading, high leverage. And, uh, you know, if you thought, well, Sam is manipulating the price of FTT and Serum and Solana, and he was, mm -hmm. right? That's illegal and unethical, right? Your pump, it's a pump and dump scheme. We talked about this before. But if you, if you accept the idea that crypto tokens that are issued by some offshore, you know, dude are okay, then you're thinking, well, I guess I want to go buy some of that and, and get behind Sam and Alameda because they're going to drive the price up. And I think Solana went from, you know, three bucks to, what did it go to 50? You know, it went, it went way up and FTT went to $50 a token or something. So you could have made a lot of money trading those tokens, but you probably would have wanted to go to the FTX exchange because, you know, guess what? Newsflash, it's illegal in the US. Uh, order your future looks bright hat. Click over here. Get more hats in the stock, Patrick. He's always out of stock over there at Value Tainment. That's my complaint. Oh, he wants to drive the price up a little bit. <clears throat> he's just scarcity. He's a heck of an entrepreneur, Patrick. Oh, Pickett. he is. He, All right. So uh, there's a couple of things with that story. You you got the gist that Sam Bankman Fried is taking people's money and dealing out a shit coin. And then he's borrowing money from himself and God mode for the trading. And he wins. It's like the house. It's a casino type thing. Yep. It's stacked in favor of the house. No. That's interesting because during that time when he's doing that, Elon Musk was buying Twitter mm -hmm. and SBF called Elon 
And he said, bro, you're buying Twitter. I'm in for 3 billion. And Elon said cash. And he said, word. He said, you got that much liquid. He's like, word. Elon said, hmm, red flag, buddy. Like nobody, nobody's rolling around with 3 billion liquid. What's yeah, up with liquid, that? That's in pot. Yeah, that's insane. Now here's the next step. Cause a lot of people know that the next step is whose money was he using? He was taking something. He was taking that shit coin, trying to make it exist long enough. So he and the people that he fronts for had ownership in, in Elon's new venture, right? That's a savvy move. Now, who is this? They that might've been using SPF as a front, because when I hear that he ripped off BlackRock and all these other big places and they didn't hunt him down with the mercenary army, I think maybe he did them a service. Maybe BlackRock who has customers money wants to steal some of their money. So they invest it through FTX and Sam Bankman fried loses it. And then over here, BlackRock has some slush fund that they can have global domination with. And I have a drawing for you. So let me, the reason very reasonable Twitter equity i covered that who? who who's the right down the drain all this money went down the drain down the drain that's what he just said right all this money billions and billions down the drain how do you lose it oh i don't know if he lost it let's look at the diagram 20 billion in it goes through this little machine here round and round and round i don't think it's a drain maybe it's a dryer system maybe it's some sort of laundry and out oh not so much money so 20 billion in and out not so much money it's like when you lose a sock in the in the dryer, you know, when you wash a pair of socks and only one comes out. Only in this case, it was 20 billion socks. So I would think maybe this dryer is broken. But if you had a slush fund over here, a black market slush fund, you would find like the balance of where the, that's where the other sock is. That's what I'm saying. And you might read One Nation Under Blackmail. I was just going to say it's a, a perfect group. analog to BCCI. Yeah. It's just obviously digital coins, crypto coins didn't exist back in those days, but they still had all these slush funds set up with all these subsidiaries that BCCI owned and set up the boards for and the shared board members with their own uh, board at BCCI. And that's what she gets into in volume one, specifically in chapter seven uh, that we reviewed for uh, uh, Maddie's. Uh, yeah. So in volume three, she'll have Epstein and Maxwell network connected to FTX. It's going to take a couple of years to get that yeah, information yeah. together. I'm sure, but yeah. just preview in the future. Tomorrow's books today. That's a good point, Rich, because it's a very reasonable hypothesis, knowing that how much he was investing in very dubious areas. I think a week or two ago, we showed that he was investing in pandemic brothers. Serious, man. And he was enjoying more drugs than just doobies as well. So, very clever to leverage himself, make it look like he's worth way more. That's, I mean, that's kind of, you know. Well, you know, I was thinking about his use of the transdermal patch, you know, because like it, it, you know, take something orally or to have it injected, it it like takes time. But like if he has the patch on, he could rip people off during that time. So it was was more efficient on his part for the workflow type of logistics. It also shows that this whole, uh, what do you want to call it? This sort of... uh, this propaganda campaign where he's going around doing all these interviews, acting like, oh, woe is me. I, how could I have seen this? It's like he clearly knew what he was up to. Like, There's this is a, a very sophisticated scheme. There's a term for him and his coterie. They are a very motley crew. <laughs> yeah. Shot through the heart. Well, that's Bon Jovi. You're talking about Dan Bongino now. He's the one. Oh, I'm wrote. thinking of uh, Kickstart Your Heart. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, they probably did have the kickstart their hearts with all those Dr. Fields and shit. Yeah. The name Motley Crew comes from a pirate movie. And the, the line is that's a Motley Crew. 
meaning they're disheveled and doesn't, doesn't look like they're like the bad news bears. I'll yeah. translate it in the 1970s for some people out there in case you're not involved with those black and white pirate movies. Swashbucklers. Swashbucklers. Now we have swashbucklers. They duel on stage like Fauci and uh, Dr. Rand Paul. That's the swashbuckling you see today. Rand Paul is the Errol Flynn of our day. I know I'm the first human being to ever say that. So you heard that today. <laughs> Let's go to, uh, is, do we have any more on FTX before we move on to the next one? No, no we've, we've covered FTX. All right. No. We covered FTX like it was one of their shorts. Oh, they got their position called. Um, did we hear anything from Jim Baker? Did he ever say anything about uh, his involvement with these these Twitter leak files? Has he made a statement since he got exodus by the Pharaoh mm-hmm. Elon? I mean, look, I, I don't have anything on the card, but uh, I just had a, I, I had a note from earlier. I wanted to check in, and, and I'm also curious. Uh, maybe uh, comment in the chat: Is the James Baker the former Twitter? legal staff employee is he related to the james baker of the rice university uh hw bush administration uh diplomat of saudi arabia james baker is there or is it just a common name a lot of people use biblical names for a first name james is a biblical name that's a new testament type thing and baker is a, a you know people like bread so lots of james bakers out there over the years just seeking to see if this guy's second or third generation in a meaningful way to any of the other ones on the, uh, so nothing new as of yet. Um, but I'm sure this upcoming week with, you know, Twitter files, part three or whatever, we might get more information than what was already covered by, um, Christy Lee or, uh, Luke Radowski or some of the other personalities you put in Jimmy door. This guy, James Baker, he's a real Baker street irregular. Hmm. I'm going to have to add him to that list, but I'm going to go for this one. Let's see. James Baker, the third is the one I was talking about of the Carlisle group, you know, Mm -hmm. mentor to Condoleezza Rice and Carl Rove. He runs the Rice Institute at the University of Houston or Houston, Texas Rice Institute. Yeah, it's a different Uh, James Baker. Yeah. And then he's also a facilitator friend of Fred Koch of the Koch brothers family. Uh, He is the chief of staff under George H.W. Yeah. Daddy yeah. Yes. The daddy. Yeah. And he also, uh, there was like uh, leaks about his dealings with the Saudis, 9 11, all that sort of stuff. So you'd have to yeah. read like House of Bush, House of Saud from back in the day. That's another one that goes with those Mark Crispin Miller books from four hours ago. So all right. The, you know, United Nations. So I'm guessing this James oh, Baker as well. I didn't know that. Enron well, Baker the third. Baker the uh, third. I'm we're just about. seeking like is does he have a nephew does he have yeah, yeah, yeah. a grandson that is yeah. in that position of power because follow follow my lead here for a second there's this ominous continuity of family dynasty power uh, mainly stemming from people who got away with funding the nazis in that coterie you got people like james baker the third who were great facilitators to families who had funded the nazis like the bush family now you've got this guy, former FBI PP Gate dossier fuck up from 2016 or whatever. He's involved in that. And then he's over here at Twitter when Elon's trying to like bring things right and bust all the pedophiles. He's in the middle scrubbing all this stuff clean for J- for J- for VJJ Gotti and uh Jack not so uh not so nimble. 
over there. There's Jim Baker, and it says on his Twitter, which looks like ends around November 30th of 2021, says not the former Secretary of State, but now a deputy gen- de- excuse me, now a deputy general counsel at Twitter. This is the James Baker the third. Uh, I can't find any sort of connection okay. as far as uh, relationship as of yet. So. Well, it's a reasonable inquiry, but without evidence, say no more. There's a video from Gutfeld from four days ago talking about this topic, but uh, mm. I don't know if it would bring anything new to the table. Well, Gutfeld occasionally it. can be funny. So let's see if he can make us laugh and deliver some useful information, almost as if he's a comedian in, on, in his garage on a podcast. Let's see if he can live up to it. Tonight, I once again want to talk about my pickleball partner and Twitter CEO, Elon Musk. So as you know, he just fired some dude named Jim Baker. I know there's like 100 Jim Bakers, not including the ones who cook pie in a stadium. Thank you. Jim Baker. All right, you're all jerks. This Jim Baker was Twitter's deputy general counsel who had allegedly suppressed internal documents about suppressing the Biden laptop story. Yes, he was apparently suppressing the news about the previous suppression of news. That's a lot of suppression. Worse than sharing a hot tub after eating a Chipotle suppression. You know what I mean? Huh? You do. But now he just got suppressed. Musk tweeted that in light of concerns about Baker's possible role in suppression of information, He was exited from Twitter today. Exited. I love that. It's like getting fired, but with a trap door that dumps you straight into a well full of poop. (laughs) That's been my dream. Now, this is the same Jim Baker who was a former counsel of the FBI who helped push the Steele dossier hoax. He was Jim Comey's legal counsel. But if you listen to the media, you'd think Elon just laid off a 68-year-old, legally blind, blue-haired cleaning lady with a prosthetic leg and stage three lung cancer. Get out of here, Gertrude, and take your oxygen tank with you. (laughs) It's true. Now, Musk is suspicious that Baker scrubbed the Twitter files before Matt Taibbi had unveiled them last Friday, perhaps keeping the FBI's name out of everything. And you got to wonder why a former FBI counsel is your censor. It's like having a fox do your chicken coop head count. So Musk's words are like music to our ears. Finally, somebody not just talking about free speech, but doing something to actually defend it. Once again, it's all about transparency, something the media hates more than our president does diaper rash. (laughs) And while the media is busy bitching about the changes he's making within the company, like ex-employees having to get jobs where the lunchrooms don't have a masseuse, Musk has been busy tackling a massive problem head on, child porn. It's been a problem on the platform for years, even longer than Dana's relentless pictures of dogs. (laughs) Just last year alone, there were nearly 87,000 reports of child exploitation on Twitter. Yeah, who'd want to expose that problem, right? There's not enough sunlight in the universe to disinfect that puddle of depravity. But under Musk, that's exactly what he's doing, instituting a zero tolerance policy, which should be the policy for every platform, person, and yeah, fancy handbag maker. 
Over the past few weeks, a cybersecurity expert has been working alongside Twitter's revamped trust and safety team. It's updated its ability to detect abuse content at a faster, more efficient, and more aggressive speed. And I, for one, can't wait to see the media's criticism of this. So what if you're stopping child porn? You're doing it for the richest white man alive. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> so far, the suspension rate on accounts that harbor this gross stuff has doubled. And I can hear the lefties now. Yeah, that's great, but some account with the handle GitterDone66 just misgendered Admiral Levine. What are you going to do about that, you transphobe? 44,000 accounts were taken down, including many that tried to bypass detection using code words and other tricks. Again, that's in a single day. By comparison, it took over a month for Twitter to remove 57,000 similar accounts in India. So he's done more good in the last week than all the media and DC polls have ever done. And don't forget, he's African-American. <laughs> South African. So under Musk, isn't it true that Twitter has done more to stop child exploitation in the last month than probably the last 10 years? It is true. Um, yes, uh, Twitter's done more to stop child exploitation in the last month than probably the last 10 years. Mm. Yes, an evil rich white man did that. And we should point out that the trade of child porn was well known. Twitter was even sued over it, which makes it amazing that the media looks at the pre-Musk period as the good old days. That's like bragging about your frequent you flyer miles from Jeffrey Epstein's jet. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know if you've been on Twitter lately, but it's Which better one? The one if you ignore the, the media who showed, cut and paste tweets to swarming bots yeah, My question is, is Yoel Roth in charge of Twitter safety at the time that the New York Post wrote that article? And when they wrote the thing about Hunter Biden, is he also the Yoel Roth who flagged them for this? This is not truthful information. It's Russian hack. So this is the article here. Twitter refused to move child porn because it didn't violate policies lawsuit. This is from January 21st, 2021. Trump didn't violate policies, but they can totally ban him. But he argues in favor of protecting this. And I want to point out that everyone who's attacking Elon, again, I'm not a big fan of Elon, but everyone attacking him, MSNBC, CNN, all those groups in that graphic that were around him, it's because Twitter's no longer with those groups. So everything that Twitter represented pre-Elon is represented by the rest of those groups who are like, bring it back, bring it back. Correct. <clears throat> Um, who are you looking for specifically in this article? I'm sorry. Yoel Roth. Yoel Roth. Yo. Uh, nothing, nothing about him. What, what's the, what's we the have date to just, on? We have to figure out the timeline that Yoel <clears throat> was in charge there. I thought he was out. one yeah. of the original people at Twitter no, that I don't, continued he up through the end. No, I don't think so. At least, uh, I have to go back to what I've... <sighs> because Jack didn't create Twitter. There was someone else that up until a couple days ago was right there alongside of Jim Baker and VJJ. Former head of okay. former head of safety at Twitter, PhD, University of Penn. Uh, joined May 2008, but I don't know when he became uh, former head of trust and safety. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Or it could be in one of the other clips we'll play tonight, maybe, because I'm, you know, I didn't go looking for these things. It's It's in one of the clips I previewed for this week. Um, it's an essay. That's him, actually. I want to see if he goes into his detail for my head. See if I can just Wikipedia should have his yeah resume to some extent. Know. I mean, you know, 
that's a thing that they wouldn't edit is their people not the not the rabbi because there is not joel roth i'm gonna check linkedin Yo, Roth, born 1987, is American head of site integrity at Twitter and social media personality. Yo is from San Francisco, California. Let's see. Career. Yo, Roth began his career in April, uh, at Apple Incorporated in May 2008 to August 2011, where he worked as Genius and he fixed Max. Yo, Roth worked as the researcher, Dangerous Speech Project at Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University where he developed and implemented protocols for collecting and evaluating large data sets studying online hate speech from August 2014 to June 2015. Then he joined Twitter. So he, uh, instead of looking for how to detect and protect children from pornography, he chose and got funded for and then got hired for safety because... I'm looking at his LinkedIn. This is this will make it cut very clear. Uh, Here, I have it. I have the same. He he joined Twitter in July 15th, worked as a product trust partner since February 2017. Later, he went on to work as senior product trust partner, manager, trust and safety, senior manager, trust and safety, and currently head of site integrity, which would have been in 2018. Okay. So was he in charge of trust and safety when that other article from the New York Post was published? It looks like he was in charge of head head of site integrity from July 2018. Right. But okay. you know, he moves from product trust to trust and safety. Yeah. And yeah, overall head of site integrity. Trust and safety, protecting groups of people who were clearly violating policies that are illegal, but also yep. in, he was in the decision chain to bust uh and, and take Trump off Twitter, right? That's kind of like that judge who used to investigate Epstein's network and then flipped and started working for Epstein, then ordering the Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago raid. raid. Yeah. Well, he would have been head of trust and safety because this article was written January 21st, 2020. So he made that decision that those he things didn't one. violate policies and it was all fine on Twitter. The, the national child trafficking organization that it was before Elon came along. Yeah, because it wasn't until 22. You know who else had a lot of child trafficking reports? It looked like that Facebook place, 22 million or something like that. And that's just reports of posts. That's Apparently not actually- he's a gay man as well. Not that that should mean anything, but he's, I didn't realize that he's, uh, he's married, uh, it's a gay marriage, American. He's also a Hebrew, English and Hebrew, white American, San Francisco, blah, 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 33 years old. And the news for the U.S. President Donald Trump threatened to shut down Twitter. That's when he started becoming. Yeah, like all those things you just read, he he doesn't really have any choice in those matters from how I understand human beings. But the uh, yeah, things yeah. that we're talking about that he did, the actions, the praxeology of what, what went on there, that is the only thing he's responsible for. Correct. It's the opposite of identity politics. It's the law of identity in reality. Politics is other people talking about how to take away your rights. So. All right, so now we've answered a few questions about that relevant topic. We can see more clearly. Yeah, apparently it was May 2020. Yo got involved. Obviously, U.S. president shut him down. Yo Roth spearheaded the social media company's new fact-checking initiative that has been characterized by President Donald Trump. The president said that he would not allow fact-checking site to stifle his freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. And that's when It, it would be interesting to take a poll on the Twitter as a parent, which do you think deserves more funding? Hate speech or the baby rapists? Maybe we yeah, can set that up. 
<laughs> Not on your account. I mean, maybe Elon would be kind enough to just put that that out on his account and gather that inf- intel for oh, us. It's, yeah, it was. He became no. Yeah, and then Twitter stuck up for him. Yoel Roth replied from his attack online, I guess by Donald Trump, by tweeting on May 25th, somehow regularly being told by internet strangers I'm a soulless corporate shill. It's still for less harsh feedback than it got from anonymous peer reviewers in my past academic life. Later in an interview with National Public Radio's Ari Shapiro, he said, quote, I think in 2020 we're facing particularly divisive political moment. Uh, divisive political moment here in the United States and attempts to capitalize on those divisions amongst Americans seem to be where Melissa's actors are headed. So he's responsible for not only allowing child pornography, but also spearheading the initiative um, in regards to President Donald Trump and the accusations thrown against Twitter and also the suppression of alternative viewpoints. In regards- if you're in charge of safety at Twitter and part of your job as safety is not protecting children against child trafficking, and all those instances we just detailed, uh, I'd have to ask, like, how are you in charge of safety if you don't know the difference between right or wrong? Because this isn't about right or left, as Burmis would say. It's about right or wrong. And I think that even Elon recognizes uh, just because it doesn't violate our policies, it's illegal. It's illegal. And it's predatory on people who can't consent. But we just spent two years with uh, 7 billion people being subjugated to decisions where they couldn't have informed consent and interestingly enough he had a guest essay right after he um left the company here i was head of the trust and safety at twitter this is what it could become this is what could become of it this is by yoel roth mr roth is a former head of trust and safety at twitter so he you know whitewashes the whole thing he chose earlier this month i chose to leave my position leading trust and safety elon musk's twitter it's like, you know, and he goes on just for a bunch of nonsensical commentary. Well, uh, this is interesting, Tony, because you would think that he's on the other side. Right. And so this article is written in defense. But what does it do? It attempts to gaslight us, but we see through it because we're like, oh, we, we see what's up. You know who it actually adversely affects the people on his side. Listen to this. Listen to this. They're gassing. It's like they're 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 putting like uh, uh, like a, one of those flashbangs into their own space with that. Look at this straw man. You're great. Like the only people like the only people reading that article and believing it are people who are on his side of the progressive fence that think that it's okay to protect pedophiles on the on the Twitter, but uh don't let Donald Trump talk about the coup. Exactly. That you guys clearly fucking did from a hundred angles at this point. We're only two years past it. What do you think people 50 years from now know? Listen to this, though. This is what he writes. This is from Yoel Roth. Um, this is November 18th, 2022. People can't see that. Right here. So if I scroll down a little bit. <clears throat> Advertisers, the truth is that even Elon Musk's brand of radical transformation has unavoidable limits. Make this a little bigger. Advertisers have played the most direct role thus far in moderating Mr. Musk's free speech ambitions, as long as 90% of the company's revenue comes from ads. As was the case when Mr. Musk bought the company, Twitter has little choice, but it's it's an incredible straw man, but to operate in a way that won't imperil the revenue streams that keep the lights on. This has already proved to be challenging. Almost Right, because at this point, 50% of advertisers on Twitter support the baby rapists and they pulled their money out of Twitter because... Elon's over there deleting their accounts. So they pulled their advertising money, which means at the old Twitter, at least 50% of the advertisers were down with the baby rapists and the baby bomb droppers, like the droppers of bombs on over in Ukraine and the warmongers and all the other people who appear to be soulless. Yeah, no, absolutely. Soulless. And here's a, 
damning sort of paragraph for the strong man. Almost immediately upon the acquisition's close, close, a wave of racist and anti-Semitic trolling emerged on Twitter, where marketers, including those at General Mills, Audi, and Pfizer, slowed down or paused ad spending on the platform, kicking off a crisis within the company to protect precocious ad revenue. So he's basically building up this straw man that Twitter makes its money from advertisers. Here are some major, major General Mills, Audi, Pfizer. They've slowed down dramatically since he took it over. And it's all directly related because of what of Musk's initiatives that he's implementing. So to your point, it seems as though they were more on board with child pornography and baby rapists than um, you know, supporting any sort of uh, free speech or um you know actually policing the the actions of unscrupulous individuals i think we those of us who are conscious of this milieu of news permeating right now we're like dante and (laughs) unlike the people in the 10th ring of hell we're about to see we're not staying here we're moving the fuck through we got we got plans with virgil and beatrice on the other side Mm -hmm. y'all doing this stuff uh you know to subjugate and subvert freedom you're staying in the non-freedom place have fun yeah i mean it's it's actually kind of interesting pretty fucked up article but it's all built around this whole issue of ad revenue anyways if elon can solve the the money problem without bringing back the people who support the baby rape i think the world would be a better place so maybe they should just stay off twitter Keep their ads over there at the New York Times and the Washington Post and whatnot. Yeah, correct. I agree with that. MSNBC's got a space for you. He's imploring a bunch of uh, national and international um, agencies in regards to hate speech and all this stuff. He should just ask people on Twitter, what would you pay 100 bucks a month for? What would you pay 200 bucks a month for? Someone like me might say unlimited HD upload with 4K clarity with guaranteed (laughs) distribution to 50,000 people. I got money. Make us offers, Elon. Let us tell you what we would pay for certain things and take us up on those offers. I'm just saying there's other ways to get it than the baby rapist revenues from Balenciaga advertising on your fucking platform. And let me take a step over here to the yay situation because the Nazis at Adidas drop yay. Oh, like he's Hitler. Remember that Balenciaga thing with Nicole Kidman from Eyes Wide Shut? And there is that purse with the three stripes on it on top of the baby rapist manifesto. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an Adidas purse, bitch. That's a, Beyonce, a Balenciaga Adidas purse. I didn't, I'm not up on fashion. It took me three weeks into that story <laughs> to figure that shit out. But it, I remembered Adidas was also in the news because they dropped Kanye just like Balenciaga did. Now, that's an interesting situation. Now, I'm not too sure what's up with uh, the brother Ye, but I did hear some more logical, reasonable, well-toned, placed commentary from him this week that kind of put the other crazy stuff from last week in context, which is interesting because everybody wants you to make, like, you got to believe Kanye's crazy, but crazy people make sense. I thought they don't make sense. That's what makes him crazy. When he starts making sense, makes me think maybe he's not crazy. Maybe he had a point. He said he, quote, trumped Trump. He out Alex Jones, Alex Jones, and he Elon Elon. He grabbed the third rail and made people talk about an issue that needed to be brought to the surface in his estimation. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you're about to hear because we're going to be able to find a quote some way, some shape, somehow, even though it might be on my wife's phone upstairs because that's where I saw it. She showed me. So if, if she didn't drop it in production earlier tonight. I couldn't find it, but. 
Let's look under media consideration in case it got dropped there. And that's a long scroll down. You said this two- is him in out, outside somewhere, sort of in the yeah, dark. Yeah, he's parking. outside. So he did a a clubhouse event and then it got censored and banned. I don't I haven't seen any clips of that. Um the one that's outside, there's I saw the entire footage, it's like long, it's like 20 minutes. But I also know that Anomaly took some clips of it. And from those clips, we could probably get the gist. Uh, we don't need all of his uh, observant commentary necessarily, but he does have the clips right there, and we'll give him a shout out because good for you for finding clips out of that and commenting on them. I've only seen the clips. I don't even see the the bigger piece there. Excuse me. Uh, all right, so the anomaly. Let me check. Yeah, that might be the page. best place to get it until I find the source material, and then we can post 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 the source in the notes. I'll just run upstairs while we're playing this clip to find the source clip, but it'll give the gist. So just fast forward to the parts in the anomaly coverage where he plays the the yay clips. All right, I'm getting there. I got slow right. fingers tonight. <laughs> well, there's a lot going on, and we have improved the stream quality. Hopefully, all of you seeing this live on the various uh outposts and platforms are seeing a bigger, clearer, more complete version of the stream. And tonight we had almost 50 people in the uh the the control room gallery, if you will, where they oversee the mission control. They can see and hear pre pre-production, post-production. That's exclusive for Grand Theft World members who were savvy enough to find uh, the the studio door instead of watching the live stream. So they always get a smooth stream on the, uh, the other side. So um, the anomaly clip will cover yay. And then I'll go upstairs and find the link for the original clip, which aired just in the past couple of days. So again, these are not supposed, you're not supposed to know about this. It's not supposed to be on your radar. MSNBC, CNN, Fox news. They don't want you to know about these things. But the internet's a wonderful place. And if you let your fingers through the walk and you can learn a lot that is outside of their narrative. And unfortunately, when things outside of their narrative exist in reality, you have to weigh those for consequence, even if they tell you and gaslight you and say these things don't exist. If you can tell with your five senses that something exists in reality from a law of identification standpoint, that is a logical, reasonable inference to start making and thinking about into reality. And uh, if we use that as our starting points, then I think we can gain a lot more ground in such interactions of uh, cognitive liberty. So let's bring some reasonable perspectives to some unreasonable thoughts. Let's see if these thoughts are reasonable or not from the the yay meister. Why why did Nike swoosh mean something to you? Why we want to be like Mike instead of wanting to be like Christ? You got to understand, like in one week, I went in Trump, Trump, Alex Jones, Alex Jones, and then I Elon, Elon, <laughs> like in a matter of 10 days, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where's the lies? You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> so, everybody's beholden to somebody, right? And I got to say, I'm proud of Trump. Hey, what's going on, folks? Is EA crazy or does he know exactly what he's doing? We're going to react to some clips from his band interview on Clubhouse. Uh, I went on Alex Jones and I said, you know, love everybody. I said, love everybody because they, they, I ain't gonna say who it is. I ain't gonna say what doctor it is. I ain't gonna say what hospital is, have been trying to make us love certain things, love the Grammys, love Nike, love killing each other, love opioids, love strip clubs, right? 
But it's like, no, you can't love this person. With hip hop personality WAC 100, he weighed in on fentanyl in China. China is shipping fentanyl into the U.S. That's one of our biggest crisis crises, and that's a part of China's takeover of the U.S. hitting us every way possible. See, I know people point towards China all the time. They lost the Industrial Revolution, and they actually have books about how they have a hundred year plan to become the new world order. How he thinks the power structure of the world really works. Oh, what? Oh, how does the power structure run? Okay, we got China headed to be potentially, if it's not for Jesus Christ, the new world order, the new America. But previous to that, we do have Christian ran families, the Medici, thousand year old families. They sit above the Vatican. The Vatican sits above the financial groups. How he thinks he out-Trumped Trump, out-Eloned Elon, and out-Alex Jones to Alex Jones. How he feels he destroyed the third rail to let Trump stand up for himself. Because I went and I grabbed the third rail and I lived. I lived. I went as far as you can go. And I lived. Now, let's open up the conversation and see that Jared Kushner. And how he thinks he's more autistic than bipolar when getting his message across. You can't love, no, you gotta hate this person. This is a demonic figure and you gotta hate this. So me, I'm like maybe a little, this a little bit autistic. I think I'm more autistic than I am bipolar, right? I, I think that's an incorrect, I, I don't think I'm bipolar, but I, I am like an autistic person because you've seen by me being on stage with Drake last year, Kendrick said he got more growing to do. I can't help but love. I love Ari Emanuel. I can't help but love. I don't have nothing but love. So then I said, I listened to this whole interview and I'm gonna play some clips so you can hear what the media won't show you. And people in both political parties wanna just wash away and throw off a cliff. I don't think he's crazy, but I do think he's bold, blunt, and an absolute risk taker. Hope you enjoy the show. It starts now. It's the Dream Rare Podcast, welcome to the show The way to get the news at the desk or on the road Let's go, God is great and success in our control The world is crazy but we get better from obstacles It's the Dream Rare Podcast, welcome to the show The way to get the news at the desk or on the road Let's go, God is great and success in our control The world is crazy but we get better from obstacles Yeah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hope you're having a good Sunday. Welcome to today's live episode of the Dreamer podcast. And I wanted to cover parts of Ye's Clubhouse interview he did with WAC 100, who's a hip hop personality. Uh, he addressed a lot of interesting stuff. And I feel like as a media source, there's always going to be people in the left wing and the right wing now that are going to try to bury Ye in the same way that they've buried a lot of people, just be like completely blacklisted from society. You can't listen to him. You can't think about him. He's crossed the Overton window. He's gone. He's crazy. He's mentally ill. They'll say there's nothing of value there. Says, you know, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but people like Matt Walsh are just writing it all off and just like he's nuts. So what I wanted to do was just bring a few clips and show you some stuff of his thought process, what he's doing, and also how he feels like he moved the Overton window for people like Trump to expose certain things. So I'm gonna go through a few clips. I can't see your comments till the end. Let's start it up. And here's the first clip where he says, I out-Trumped Trump, out-Eloned Elon, and out-Alex Jones, Alex Jones in one week. That's what he thinks he did. Let's take a listen. Uh, mental manipulation 
all the Edward Bernays advertising. Why what why did Nike swoosh mean something to you? Why we want to be like Mike instead of wanting to be like Christ? Why every half the numbers in the NBA is number 23? All of that is branding, mental branding. And then you get a brother like Kyrie, well-read information. And another thing, you take like Jalen Wright, take Kyrie, you take a couple people, right, who they family is going to be all right no matter what. You know what I'm saying? I got a couple family members that might ask me for a loan here and there, but my family got jobs, right? So that means that I don't have to listen to nothing nobody got to say. If I want to get rid of all my money and go to like riding skateboards or driving an Uber for the rest of my life, I can do that. But you know what they go and do to the NBA players? They'll be like, well, what about your, what about grandma? What about your auntie? You don't want to go back. You don't want to be shamed. You don't, cause they got a position. They going to give you some type of job, some type of Shaquille O'Neal job for the rest of your life. As long as you play the game. And with Kyrie, he got one year left. They question it. Like, will he even go, you know, would he go play basketball again? And it's interesting to me. I know you got a question later about Candace Owens. Man, you got to understand. Like in one week, I went in Trump, Trump, Alex Jones, Alex Jones, and then I Elon, Elon. <laughs> like in a matter of 10 days, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where's the lies? You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> so, everybody's beholden to somebody, right? And I got to say, I'm proud of Trump. So a lot to unpack there. First, the first bar he said, was, you know, they got you trying to be like Mike. Why aren't you trying to be like Christ? I mean, that's a pretty epic line. He also talks about how the sports industries control people and basically say, you know, do you want a job? And, you know, I thought about this on Twitter. Let me know what you think about this. I do feel even though I love sports, I love watching sports, playing sports. I'm an athlete myself. I do think the sports leagues are a form of control because back in ancient days, whether it's Rome, probably Africa, Greece, you know, it wasn't just philosophers. Of course, there were really smart people, but some of the greatest leaders in history were also warriors, physically strong men. I think people that are great physically, mentally, and they're taking all of the greatest physical specimens of our time. If you're not in the MMA, you don't have the right to speak freely. They're probably the only ones, but you get to play for this league and then they control what you say, control what you think. So they're taking some of our strongest men, which used to be the leaders of society and the leaders of war, and basically, you're being controlled by the Adam Silvers of the world into being pro BLM, pro, you know, rainbow flag, but you can't criticize uh, their agenda, you know. So I do think it is kind of a form of control. And he says, you know, they put these cushy, you know, Shaquille O'Neal jobs over your head and say, do you want this or do you want to speak your mind? I thought that was great. And the fact that he said that he out Elon, Elon, out Trump, Trump and out Alex Jones, Alex Jones in 10 days is pretty true. Uh, let's listen to what he said about Trump because it's interesting. He knows exactly what he did. And he said, yeah, I might have pushed the boundary, but me pushing the boundary got Trump to basically stand up for himself against certain Jewish groups where Trump listened to what you know Trump said. Apparently now they're coming after him for not condemning Ye. And Trump said, listen, I was the most pro-Israel president we've had. Like, how dare you guys come after me? Uh, like, I need to do something. Because everybody's beholden to somebody, right? And I got to say, I'm proud of Trump that he actually spoke up. And uh, Ari Emanuel put something out that showed that I had stretched the limits of the idea of anti-Semitism. 
So li- listen to this thing that Trump put up, uh, uh, I think it was this morning, right? So he says, how quickly Jewish leaders forget that I was the best by far president for Israel. They should be ashamed of themselves. This lack of loyalty to their greatest friends and allies is why large numbers in Congress and so many others have stopped giving support to Israel. He could have never said that had I, it changed in one week. It changed in one week. Cause I went and I grabbed the third rail and I lived. I lived, I went as far as you can go. And I lived. Now let's open up the conversation and see that Jared Kushner was standing next to Trump the whole time. And Rahm Emanuel was standing next to Obama the whole time. And then Rahm Emanuel went to my hometown and destroyed that city. So Ye's pretty much saying he's proud of Trump for standing up for himself and said, if I wouldn't have done what I did and pushed it as far as I did, you would have never seen that conversation. And I think that's true with the January 6th statement Trump put out as well. I believe that it was Ye uh, who put out a Twitter video before he got banned saying, why hasn't Trump done anything for his own people? And then Trump made a statement on it. I don't I don't think Trump makes either of those statements without being pushed. Which is, I mean, I didn't expect Ye in a black mask to be the one to push the boundaries. You know, I would have even thought that that was a possibility a couple months ago. But this idea in the Republican Party that everybody's so comfortable, like, you know, everybody's so comfortable going to donor meetings and passing speech laws and signing the CARES Act and Operation Warp Speed, all of that's okay. But the words, you know, you'll, you'll find people, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus now, but you'll find people at Daily Wire that will basically say, Ye is crazy, he shouldn't talk, he should just go away. But when Trump does Operation Warp Speed or print six trillion dollars, you know, all of a sudden only Candace Owens seems to be one of the only ones speaking out against that type of stuff. Everyone else. So that's this whole society we live in. I get that he pushed the boundaries, but he doesn't sound crazy to me. It sounds like he's purposely doing it. And I think whether he means to or not, it is kind of just showing that people really do care about words more than they care about actions. And I want to say this, too, with the Kyrie Irving documentary that I didn't even watch. Do you notice how they get more mad? And I'm going to play other clips of EA soon where he kind of explains this. They get more mad at Kyrie posting a link challenging their version of history or their interpretation of history more than they get mad at the fact people are watching like demonic shows about Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, people who eat people like everything is just evil, evil, evil in Hollywood. And he said this multiple times. He's like, why did they get to decide I'm allowed to love the evil that they're pushing out, but I can't love this? Whether people like it or not, he is exposing the hypocrisy. And I think a lot of conservatives, Christians and liberals have gotten way too comfortable in this evil, wicked world. And people have determined what you can and can't like. They'll let you love high fructose corn syrup. They'll let you love pharmacy pills. They'll let you love Je- Jeffrey Dahmer documentaries. But God forbid you say one word. It's like, Do people not realize that we are trapped? And sometimes, sadly, it takes somebody going, quote unquote, too far with their words for people to realize that they are enslaved in a system that wants to pretty much kill them, you know, or at least make them fat, weak, lazy and completely useless. So, you know, I I don't think he's crazy at all. I'm going to play a few other clips. I forget which one this is, but I'll figure it out after I play. I believe it is him explaining what happened on the Alex Jones show. 
within one week, you know, that's the whole thing. Oh, he lost $2 billion in a day. Then uh, I went on Alex Jones and I said, you know, love everybody. I said, love everybody because they, they, I ain't gonna say who it is. I ain't gonna say what doctor it is. I ain't gonna say what hospital it is. Have been trying to make us love certain things. Love the Grammys. Love Nike. Love killing each other. Love opioids. Love strip clubs. Right? But it's like, no, you can't love this person. You can't love, no, you gotta hate this person. This is a demonic figure. And you got to hate this. So me, I'm like maybe a little this a little bit autistic. I think I'm more autistic than I am bipolar, right? I, I think that's an incorrect. I, I don't think I'm bipolar. But I, I am like an autistic person because you've seen by me being on stage with Drake last year, Kendrick said he got more growing to do. I can't help but love. I love Ari Emanuel. I can't help but love. I don't have nothing but love. So then I said, I love meaning I love everyone. It's for God to judge. It's for us to love. And that's to be Christ-like. And then <laughs> our Emmanuel goes to his bosses at chi- in China and says, what am I going to do now? It's like, and they like, I don't know. Uh, uh, we love him too. <laughs> you got to understand that that's how China has taken over as they study his playbook. And so when what I'm dealing with, with my accounts, when, when, when they didn't. So I didn't feel like getting, uh, I didn't feel like getting this taken down. So I sent, I, uh, censored the H word, but you know, he basically said he thinks China's studying Hitler's playbook. And he said, you know, I'm saying I love everything. And I say that and people freak out. I mean, I get why people freak out. I understand the world we live in, but people need to understand, need to start thinking you know, why are you allowed to love Jeffrey Dahmer documentaries? Why are you allowed to love abortions? Why are, why are young girls being told to swallow pharmacy pills that pretty much make them sterile and destroy their body, you know, under the guise of, you know, safe sex or whatever? They're, like, why is all that allowed, but this isn't allowed? And I'm sorry, but sometimes it takes somebody that kind of challenges political correctness from an extreme angle to really figure out what's going on in this country and in this world. And I will say this confidently, as I've said for years, you know, if I run for and then I'm going to play this other clip, one more clip, excuse me, it's, it's like his uh, they ask him if he was president, what executive orders he would sign. And I'm just going to let it play. But if if you're a politician in the United States of America and you believe in the First Amendment and free speech and you're allowed to criticize the Democrats, the Republicans, the Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, you're allowed to criticize everything. Right. You're allowed to criticize a foreign country, our country, our own communities like that's what the First Amendment was supposed to be about. If you're an American politician. And you pass a speech law like DeSantis and Trump and most Republicans and even Democrats will do. If you pass a speech law that says you're not allowed to criticize Israel or foreign country more than other countries, that shows me that you are owned and controlled by that country. And then coincidentally, the speech law that you're passing into law says you're not allowed. It's now anti-Semitism to say that people are controlled by Israel or a certain group. Why else would you pass a speech law for a foreign country in America if you weren't controlled or lobbied by that group? Of course you are. If I pass a speech law for Poland, 
I'm controlled by Poland. If I pass a speech law in America for Saudi Arabia, I'm controlled by Saudi Arabia. If I pass a speech law in America for China that you can't criticize China as much as other countries, then I'm owned by China. And yes, the Republican Party is owned by the country that they don't want you to talk about. So I'm sorry it took Kanye West going too far for people to realize this topic, but it's been true for years. It's true now. And as much as they want to write it off because he said certain things, uh, I'm sorry, it's time to really reframe what we're allowed to think in this world because I'm not saying you have to think that or you have to believe that. I'm just saying, I don't think it's cool that they push pharmacy pills, abortion pills, birth control pills, you know, just uh, sex, demonic shows about like cannibals. And it's like, that's all very creepy and evil to me, but that's fine. But you can't post a documentary about black people being Jews. Like, I, do, do people not see the weirdness about it. And I don't even know what was in that documentary, but I find that mainstream programming is much more offensive and much more damaging than that. And also, if nobody ever talked about Kyrie Irving's Instagram post, barely anyone would have saw it. It's the reaction that created the response that millions of people saw it. So that just proves that self-accountability and self-awareness goes a long way. And sometimes when you try to quash a discussion, you end up, I mean, elevating it. I, whoever made that documentary made a cash cow. He's the only one who really won because the people who tried to silence it ended up making it more popular. You have to ask yourself, is that the purpose? Do, do they purposely do that to then play the victim card? Or are they just completely useless in stopping hate against their groups and they don't know the right strategy? Because really they made more of a problem by cracking down so hard on, on Kyrie in my view. All right, this is the clip that's perhaps the most controversial one I'll play. It is Ye saying what he thinks the real power structure of the world is. I mean, I don't even know a lot of stuff he's talking about. It's not like I haven't heard it, but I'm going to play the clip. This is not me agreeing with it, but I'm not going to silence this or, or let this get blown out of the water. This is Ye taking what he would consider a massive risk saying, this is how I think the world works. And, you know, nobody has ever said this in my position. Let's take a listen. Oh, because they keep on making you put them articles out because you at the lowest level of the power structure. Is that why you so mad, Ari Emanuel? Oh, what? Oh, how does the power structure run? Okay, we got China headed to be potentially, if it's not for Jesus Christ, the new world order, the new America. But previous to that, we do have Christian ran families, the Medici, thousand year old families. They sit above the Vatican. The Vatican sits above the financial groups, BlackRock and Vanguard. Vanguard sits above Putin, Kim Jong-un, Biden. And you know who's under all of them? Ari Emanuel, Hollywood. It is the first line of defense for the CIA for mind control. Come and get me. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> okay, uh, my, my, my other question for you, you know, what do you mean when you No, you, you understand, I said, I said, come and get me. What I just said is far past anything anybody in my position has ever said publicly. You understand that? So we just ride no God at this point. I ain't got no security. Y'all know exactly where I'm at. That I said, I have a God on your side. I appreciate you. <laughs> he ain't lying about that. Ride me crazy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know God. You know God got us because it's that time. Because they're seeing it, right? They're seeing it, and they're doing it every time. So he says, "Listen, I don't got security. I'm riding on God." You know, this is 
he didn't even put, you know, Jewish people at the top of the pyramid. Like, you know, I would say he put them rather low on his idea of how he thinks the world and the power structure works. He said, I don't care anymore. I'm riding on God, you know, try me. It's bold. I mean, say what you want, but do I think he's crazy? No. Do I think he's mentally ill? No. I mean, I guess I would say he's crazy in the sense of like, he's crazy smart. He's crazy loose. Um, you know, Roseanne is very similar. Roseanne Barr, where she'll say a lot of stuff and everyone's like, oh, she's crazy. She's also crazy funny. She's also crazy, not politically correct. And she's also crazy intricate when she talks about the world. She's not just another like clone celebrity who just says like generic stuff. So, I mean, depends what you mean by crazy. Like, yeah, crazy, bold, crazy, brave, crazy, not controllable, crazy off the cuff. Um, and a lot of us like that. We consider it crazy, honest, you know? So, you know, these people, no offense, I'm not trying to, but I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of content, the Matt Walsh's and the Ben Shapiro's who are trying to write this narrative of like, he's a lunatic, you know, like th this is what happened and anybody, it's like, bro, I get what you're saying, but I could easily just as well say like, oh, you're crazy mean to like kids and just let them, I like, I get, I get it. And I understand that, you know, in many people's eyes, yeah, he's pushed it too far, but I've listened to him for years, even before he went on this like Zionist tangent. I've always liked what he said. I always find his interviews are filled with gems and they always take the one part out of context that he probably says purposely, or he just doesn't have a lot of people think like, oh, what if I say that? Well, well, he doesn't care. You know, when he talked about slavery, he never said slavery was a choice. That's not even what he said. He said, how did it last so long? If I was a slave back then, I would have tried to free us so we weren't slaves for hundreds of years. That was the gist of what he was saying. And the same people who got mad at him are the same people that probably would have worked with the slave master and sold their own people out. He proved his point even then when TMZ and everyone freaked out. I, I listened to the full interview. I'm like, I get what he's saying. Uh, the White Lives Matter shirt. I mean, he just wore it and people freaked out. I mean, that says enough of what people think about what lives matter and what lives don't. So, and when he said, I love all people, it's like, if you really want to push the boundary of saying that, which everybody says all the time, you name the one person you're not supposed to love in history and you say you love them. I'm not saying it's like a great move if you want to keep your, uh, you know, Adidas deal. I'm not saying it's a, but I just think he doesn't care about the repercussions of what he says. And that's what's made him legendary. I just don't think he's like losing his mind or anything. I think he's on a mission and he's past the point of really caring about the repercussions. Honestly, here's the last clip I'm going to play. It's a couple of minutes long. They asked him, uh, what would you do if you were president? What executive orders would you sign? And he has a lot of interesting ideas, whether he could do this stuff or not, or how that would play into executive order. I don't know. But I thought he has some very interesting ideas on China, fentanyl, and uh, also manufacturing in America. I mean, definitely... I do not want this guy blacklisted from the conversation. I don't want him banned. Like, I, I'm not going to play yeah, into no this idea that he's like, you know, they tried to do the same thing to 20 conservatives and other people in history. And this guy definitely deserves a seat at the table to talk. I mean, he's pushing the boundaries, but, you know, tell me this isn't pretty solid. That was weird. Um, but when you become when you become president, um, what would be some of the executive orders that you'll uh, implement effective immediately? I think we we start by ending the most favored nation with China because of the coronavirus and fentanyl. China is shipping fentanyl into the U.S. That's one of our biggest crisis crises. And that's 
a part of China's takeover of the U.S. China. China. Well, if you follow the history of what happened to China, they got subjugated by the British Empire, the opium monopoly, uh, HSBC, Jardine Matheson, and then all that got married into the American Empire with the Anglos. So that's the Anglo-American establishment's the answer. And and Saki's back. Pardon me. I have hiccups, but we're going to go to intermission here in a second, and uh, I'll take care of that uh, that personal need. We're going to go to um, honor. Honorable mention of a true stream documentary on the Overlook Hotel, uh, Kubrick's The Shining. It's uh, two hours of a four part, eight hours series. And it's, and, it's uh, the first that's the first installment. There's, you know, the other three are coming out probably in subsequent weeks. So definitely when it, you guys get a chance, go and check that out. But we're going to go to the and then Jay Dyer also did like a anal- oh, yeah. analysis of the, of the Shining this past week. So watch those two together. It's uh, it's like milk and cookies. For now, we're going to go to Jason Burmis and his report from earlier today on the World Health Organization and their plan for your next pandemic. And uh, while you're treating that malady, I'll go treat my hiccups of the broadcast. So I want to play this Imperative 21 video. Um uh, it is along the same lines that we've seen before, and it really just continues to bring all the Johnny nonsense of human beings bad. Uh, we must give up our freedoms. Control uh, is the key. Uh, Widespread uh, system failure. Uh, 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 climate, climate. Oh, we're bad. Terrible. Uh, Shareholder primary has failed all of us. I'll tell you what I want to do. This is what I'd like to do. I'd like to see some accountability when it comes to uh, billionaires and their minions. All right. In a society that's not track trace database, that I have a Fourth Amendment again, that I can be secure in my persons and properties, and that every single uh, movement is not only in that track trace database society, but not moving towards one of digital command and control based on a full false system of social credit and carbon allotments. That's what I'd like to do. No, I no, I don't need to retreat. I, and the revolt. I'm glad. Uh, China's revolting, but I guess you want to hurt. Oh, reset. These are the days that we want them to be. These are the days that we make them to be. Green! Everything's going to be green. These are the days we can't wait to repeat. These are our days. These are Account for again, they're selling you all this bullshit stakeholder capitalism. Like somehow you're going to be invested in the company you work for. Now, some people already are in that system, and God bless them. I think it's a good system. I think profit sharing in reality is a good thing. Okay. It's a motivation for people that run your organization to do more and be more effective because then they make more money. 
rather than just a salary-based system or a salary-based system via bonuses. It's a positive thing. That's not what they mean with their stakeholder capitalism. That's you giving up any semblance of freedom with every transaction being regulated and them telling you somehow you're part of some Leviathan corporation that you barely work for in the first place because you've been automated out. And I'll wear a mask on the, uh, man, it, it was tough over on YouTube. I, I just want to dig so hard into the mask slavery and the fact that I got to hear on the radio constantly, you know, all these commercials for boosters and get your kid vaccinated and, and listening to this, you know, fake conversations where this dude's talking about how he spent the holidays alone eating a frozen dinner because he couldn't go anywhere. Get the F out of here. Roll that back. Not interested. Not interested in your slavery. Not interested in your hate and lie shots. And like I said, great that they're going to have hearings. Great. But, you know, I'm going to play a clip of Francis uh, Collins, who is effectively Fauci's boss and totally in on the whole thing, smiling and laughing and promoting that authoritarian Chinese model of control as an authoritative source, laughing in your face as he plays the guitar. That's who these people are. They laugh in your face. These are days people and planet respected. This is the new global religion. This is what they're pushing on you. Make no mistake about it. It is a religion. Egypt's Mount Sinai to receive climate justice, 10 commandments during UN summit, interfaith climate repentance ceremonies. And now we're supposed to play, pay climate reparations. No, I didn't vote on it. You didn't vote on, on it. Again, I want the UN out of the United States and the United States out of the UN as far away as possible. I don't want the United Nations regulating my content or the World Health Organization regulating my content, making everything hate speech. One of the worst things I had to listen to was this total and complete Jack Assery about trans kids. And again, if you oppose trans kids, then you're a bigot. And the and the science is over. And there are no, there is no debate. And how dare they even the New York Times question you generally mutilating children on behalf of thought leaders. Bring it back to thought leaders again. But don't worry, we're gonna have a people and planet respected. Respected. The same people, again, that caused all this, they're, they're unaccountable. It's your fault. You did this. The imperatives of economic system change. They want everything. See, again, the new motto is health for peace and peace for health. Health for peace and peace for health. That's what this is. And that's going to be, the, the again, th this was the uh, opening at the World Health Assembly. And let, let's just get right into They're it. They're bound to fall further back. So let's stop, stop. Let's stop and step away from our stagnation. Take a different route to a better destination. We propose a new path to goals of sustainability. 
So, again, out in some African nation, it appears, wearing a mask, walking around, all alone. This is what kicks off this World Health Organization 75th uh, Assembly. That's how they're kicking it off. This is the agenda. That's Imperative 21. They got a nice song for you here, right? And then this is the same exact thing. And they're screaming it at us in unison. And they're screaming at us that China is the model. And they're screaming at us they want to lock you down too. And they're screaming at us that you have to take a multitude of hate and lie shots. You get your booster. These booster commercials on the radio, man. Over the top. Over the top. One that supports countries' healthcare durability. Shifting, Shifting paradigm towards promoting well-being and health. So we're, shi we're, we're shifting the paradigm to well-being, health, and preventing disease. Why didn't that paradigm exist beforehand? What are we talking about here? Explain it to me like I'm a child. Oh, you can't. You're going to use word salad and talking points and then a, a nice big forum with a big podium and great media coverage. To try to sell me somehow that this is legitimate? Get out of town, Charlie Brown. And preventing the coverage undeniably fair. A new path that strengthens our systems and tools. Where, I mean, that, let me, let me tell you how much I hate the temperature guns, okay? So, aside from the fact that you're basically not only being trained to wear a mask, stay in line, stay away from people, put poison on your hands, etc., not work, and, and stand there like a slave with a, with a mask over your face, then they want to point something at you that looks like a gun, and they'd like to point it directly at your skull and pull the trigger. Gee, I wonder why I have a problem with that. And I, I, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, a piece of livestock that is on an assembly line and it lines up and they just look at that bolt one last time and the bolt gun just comes in and crushes their skull. Because you're, you're trained to do this and who's to say that 10th time, that 100th time, that 1,000th time that you do this because now you're trained, it isn't some kind of a weapon or a real gun or a bolt that just kills you, takes your life. And you're just like, duh, 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 duh. I mean, when human beings are referred to in publications by these people as sheeple and chattel, what do we expect? What do we expect? Am I over the top for suggesting that? No, I don't think so for pandemic preparedness and international health rules. International health rules. And notice now we're back at an airport. This brings us back to next gen 2025. This brings us back to what's happening right now with the parallax reality and the sensors following you right away. You get it? Okay, this is all part of the same agenda. It runs across nation states. The new world order that they want to build is not happy fun time. Once again, thank you guys so much for joining us on that premium portion of the broadcast that's now free. So please consider supporting the broadcast over at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. We're going to keep 
kicking out the jams. And I also want to remind everybody that I am a documentary filmmaker and all of my films are free and meant to be shared. Loose Change Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, and Shade the Motion Picture. Please watch them, share them, and come on over to Red Voice Media four days a week for the Burmese Brigade and shouting out some reality rants. All right, that was shorter than we thought. It's all right. Uh, that was, let me see, because I was doing some research on that earlier. Um, Imperative 21, I, I mean, it seems to be connected in some capacity to, so this is the website for it. Bring it up. It's a YouTube channel from which Jason was playing it. Let's Reset Together. This was from two years ago. It's a business-led network that believes the imperative of the 21st century is to reset our economic system so that its purpose is to create a shared well-being on a healthy planet. So, obviously, this is uh, one of those very dubious organizations. Let me see if I can find their connection with the health organization or World Health Organization. Um, either way, obviously, it's an incredible production. So, dubious in and of itself. And I'm sure there's a lot more to see about the network. Let's check this out here. Here we go. Representing more than 70,000 businesses, 20 million employees, $6.6 trillion in revenue and 15 trillion in assets under management. Imperative 21 is a business led network driving economic systems change. This comes directly from their website in the about section. Um, the Imperative 21 network. Let me make this a little bigger for everyone is united by our vision and shared mission to equip leaders to lead consistent with the imperatives for economic system change to shift the cultural narrative about the role of business and finance in society and to realign incentives in support of policy environment together and with others who have support business, blah, blah, blah. So another UK 21 is leading efforts to ensure imperatives and resets. So obviously in some capacity, it's connected with the exact same agenda as the, uh, uh, World Economic Forum, more specifically than the World Health Organization. So, um, is it a is Imperative Twenty One a global network? It should be. So it goes into, you know, all their connections. Also links to this. This is fascinating. UK Twenty One is a forum where people, organizations, and movements from a wide range of backgrounds come together to help accelerate the transition to a new economic system. We have different perspectives, approaches, and backgrounds, blah, blah, blah. Post-pandemic, the UK needs a new economic system that creates shared prosperity and addresses endemic social and environmental challenges. I mean, it's just some sort of front organization, seemingly, of the World Economic Forum, potentially. I'll have to look for that specific connection, but obviously, they're sharing 100% the principles espoused by Klaus Schwab and company in regards to stakeholder capitalism, uh, financial reset that's necessary in order to perpetuate the type of green world, which is just, just a euphemism for technocratic control, uh, utilizing the false narrative of global warming, anthropogenic global warming should be more specific, and climate change more most specifically, and obviously pandemics and other situations. Uh, that's in line, actually, if I can find this, with the fact that Peter Daszak was very recently seen talking about how the origin of the coronavirus is due to human environmental damage. And this comes from, if I can find it here, One Health, which was referenced a number of times of the biodefense security memorandum that we read, your document that we read on the record a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, whitehouse.gov. And right now, let me see if I can bring this up. This is from Substack by Jordan Schachtel. Top Biden officials to appear at conference endorsing COVID-19 zoonotic origin theory, quote-unquote, as science. Let me see if I can find the specific quote here, EcoHealth. Nope. Join EcoHealth VP of Science and Outreach, Dr. John Epstein, for his talk on risk reduction strategies for zoonotic spillover at the 2022 Global Health Landscape Symposium, December 8th. Uh, and on it, they go on to the panel description reveals an emphasis on rolling back human impact on the environment. So in other words, they're trying to sort of build the straw man that, uh, you know, this was not only of zoonotic origin, but it's specifically tailored to, unfortunately, um, the human impact on the planet. So in other words, is the outbreak of coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 and the disease it causes called COVID-19 is in due to a zoonotic outbreak, according to EcoHealth Alliance, like they have no invested interest in that sort of theory. And also because of human impact on the planet, that's what sort of precipitated or catalyzed this to emerge in the first place. So you can see they're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on this narrative and now tying this whole situation to the climate change. Now, we, if you juxtapose that and human impact, anthropogenic global warming, all this sort of nonsense. Juxtapose that to what we read, what Chris Martin said right earlier from the redacted Fauci emails, and you see uh, it's not so clear. But the fact that, again, at this organization, let's bring this back up here, VP of Science and Outreach, Dr. John Epstein, talking about risk reduction strategies at the 2022 Global Health Landscape. And I think this was sponsored by One Health. Let me see here. Hmm. Thought that was there's some connection with One Health, if I remember correctly, but not mentioned in this article specifically. The Global Health Council, an outfit funded by the U.S. government and the Gates Foundation, along with smaller private donors, will kick off its annual conference Wednesday afternoon. The GHC is a left-wing organization aligned with climate change fanaticism and the priority priorities, excuse me, of the degrowth movement, and seeks to promote ESG policies to facilitate these outcomes. Um, environmental sustainability goals, I think, or governance, if I remember correctly, that they're sort of forcing on to many corporate businesses to adopt. And that in itself, I know Derek Rose has done a lot of exposés in that, and it's very dubious as to what's going on in the corporate world. That's one of the mechanisms they're utilizing in order to facilitate this sort of change uh, in the corporate world. On Thursday morning, Jim Levy, a top State Department official will appear on a GHC panel that declares, quote, important new science strongly supports zoonotic origins for COVID-19. <laughs> oh, man. Adding that, quote, human impact on ecosystems, end quote, might be to blame for the outbreak. Human impact on ecosystems. So you can see how they're combining all these narratives into one in order to support the conclusion that they've already predetermined uh, with very little evidence. So... Or if not very little evidence, well, they have not been able to show any evidence in support of zoonotic origin, except for the fact that they say it's only 96.7% associated with uh, SARS-CoV-1 or whatever they were associated, or RAT TG13, RATG13, other coronavirus, I think found in rats or some other um, small animal, you know, maybe bats, I believe. So the fact that, and that's all they can say, but they have no mechanism they have no evidence beyond that so you can see how they're just saying nope it was definitely humans and that's the reason why it was caused and its impact on the environment so they now they combine all these narratives into one and continue to promote absolute and utter nonsense that is not verifiable 
lacks any evidentiary substance to it, violates the law of identity, violates the rules of evidence, violates anything that has to do with our ability to know and understand our reality. And that goes back to the attack on our ability to be able to understand fact from fiction, discern fact from fiction, as Rich always says. So that's continuing onwards. Uh, it's important to see that. And the fact that this imperative 21 video is sort of reiterating this, these same ideas. Obviously, this is two years ago. So the coronavirus pandemic was just kicking off uh, when this was probably published. Let me go back and look when it was. This says two years ago. Let me click on the video itself. And it just says two years ago. It doesn't give me a date. So that's where we're currently at in regards to what they're attempting to push, which is the combination of Climate change is the overall narrative, but they're not going to fit within this prescription that lacks consistent evidence as far as anthropogenic, global warming, and other sorts of narratives that humans then, through climate change, through our impact on the planet, reason for the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2, which caused the disease COVID-19. So now they're very conveniently stuffing it all together as they march to Agenda 2030 and whatever manifests after that. Uh, I think we've seen a rise in authoritarianism, and we've also noticed a rise in corruption. And I think it goes back to Anthony Burgess's Clockwork Orange. The the like the the rise of authoritarianism doesn't mean an absence of corruption. It's a direct proportion. It's like yeah. they're both going up at the same rate. So if we want less corruption, we're going to have less authoritarianism. If we tolerate less authoritarianism, we're going to have less corruption. Maybe things have gotten as bad as they are because too many people aren't touching their feet to the pedals. <laughs> put some blocks on your feet. Start put, moving those pedals in the car. There's a brake. There's an accelerator and a decelerator, right? So there's a brake and a gas pedal, however you want to see them. We need to start using our ability to steer our own lives and keep ourselves on track, independent of what these other shenanigans are going to be, going to be coming up with. Because Fauci, Collins, Dazak at all, uh, they need to stand trial for crimes against humanity. Right. And we, if we're self-respecting people on this planet, 7 billion people were adversely affected in one way or another by their shenanigans. And it's becoming more and more readily, easily provable to people of lower and lower intelligence quotients. So at some point, we're going to hit that part of the bell curve where everyone's like, oh, that's going on. Hopefully, we're not all in camps by then. That'd be nice if we could like nip it in the bud before... We have to meet each other in a COVID camps or whatever the next pandemic's called. Spars, spears. Oh, yeah. Let me bring that up. Sears, I caps. Just had that. Yeah, it's called um, severe. Yes. Sears. Severe. Sears. Sears. Sears is out of business. So, <laughs> no, it's the, yeah, this is classic. They repurposed, they rebranded, just like Kipling rebranded the swastika for Nazi Germany. But Not this Kipling is more, himself. This is he more was like, just using it. The Empire rebranded it for their project. Yeah. This is more like a, oh, a sage, like a seer, S E E R S. Do you remember Severe. that time in World War II where Rudolf Hess flew? to to britain because he had a secret agreement with mi6 and he's like hey what's up you guys aren't keeping up the agreement and then no one ever saw him again because they put him in prison like julian assange just saying where's assange in prison oh in a place he didn't spy on that's interesting too very interesting um yeah. max blumenthal of the gray zone um jimmy Dore did a segment with yeah. him because he approached uh uh, Seal, I think was his name was Seal, S I A L, something like that. I forget his first name. He's one of the lawyers that's going to prosecute, I believe, 
Um, I don't think he's part of the defense. I think he's part of the prosecution against Assange. And there's supposed to be some debate, some forum that was set up in he in DC um, for various reporters and journalists. And Max Blumenthal went up and is like, you used the federal government used testimony from a known pedophile um, that has been discredited. And he himself said that this was made up. And yet you use that to castigate Assange. Why would you be using that type of evidence? And why are you supporting? And in his own tweet that we, uh, the CIA and the FBI will use known pedophiles for information and, you know, all this sort of nonsense and help get them through the regulatory. Yeah. Right. And so of course they make fun of him for it. And it was very telling, very interesting sort of Jimmy Dore clip. It's on the show card, but I implore people to go check that out. It was pretty good. Um, Devastating, but good in regards to the reality, you know, what Jimmy Dore and Max Wimenthal are trying to. Yeah. Max sees clearly into a slice of the pie for sure. Yeah. Yeah. At times he can be quite good. So obviously, yeah. So I tend to agree with him much more than not. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And where I don't agree with him, it's just, you know, his superficial politics sort of stuff. Very close to the vast worldview. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That Jimmy Dore also expand out a little bit more beyond the, the narrative. It gets more interesting as you go. Exactly. So there's that as well. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, other things to to hit on. We mentioned before intermission was shorter than we thought it was. We mentioned the Overlook documentary. I was trying to think of what time codes we would even show you from that because if we show you the beginning, it's a little, it's it's cinematic. It's cinematic. It's it doesn't it doesn't it's not a flasher. It doesn't just here I am. It's a slow, slow roll. Yeah, slow roll into the that shining scenario over there at the Overlook Hotel, and they're going to slow roll it for eight hours. So I think a lot of us will watch all those eight hours too because we're interested. What's going on? What's being decoded? And um, certainly, uh, yeah, it's pretty late. Um, should I go ahead? Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I didn't know of any time codes off the top of my head. It's a, yeah. it's a hard thing to dip you into and give yeah. you context so that you actually appreciate what you're seeing. So I just encourage you to go True Stream Media's YouTube channel. And watch it for yourself. Yeah, it's an hour, one hour, 42 minutes, 42 seconds. Very good. I got through part of it. Uh, my girlfriend, I think, got through most of it and said it was very good. But it's almost like the, a movie in length. And this is this part one installment. Very cinematic. It uh, slowly builds up to the point they're trying to make in regards to the many different contexts in which we can look at the idea of overlook itself. What does overlook mean? What's the definition? How it's been used? And what is what's that type of terminology you mean within the context of the movie so that's just building out the beginning there's this uh shout out to the ggw community i think his name is he has a moniker tmm7 or something like that um he uh, made me aware of peter singer i was aware of this before he's the one that's credited with coming up with the fact of altruism and sort of the modern day saint of uh um uh, of uh, utilitarianism and apparently he was interviewed by Lex Friedman two years ago alongside McCaskill I'm forgetting the name first name is he related to Brian Singer I don't think so famous Hollywood director James Baker does have five kids by the way so um that that was an interesting probably Catholic that's my guess (laughs) anyways Peter Singer um and McCaskill were both interviewed by Lex McCaskill's interview is taken down curiously enough they're both Oxford University philosophers bioethicists or ethicists rather um 
since essentially espousing the Jeremy Bentham utilitarian ethics, just rebranded, repurposed these terms like long long termism. They they all they champion this idea of using reason and evidence as long as the reason and evidence concludes with their prescription of what their reality is and their ideals and their principles, mm. which just so happens to be collective over the individual. So there's also that I put included in the show card. There's a timestamp for at least the beginning. I don't know how, I don't know how long it goes on for. There's also a Jimmy Dore clip with Whitney Webb. We should have a place where uh, it's run, where the collective is valued over the individual. And that way we could send people of that belief system to that place. We learned about a place in the 20th century, the gulag. If we ever got that time machine, we might end up doing that with it. Just here you go. Yeah. You can experience what you so value and believe in principle and see if you actually want to continue looking for a hard labor camp. There it is. Exactly. Um, I should state this, and I'll just put this on the screen here real quickly. So as part of the show card, obviously, um, if you join the GTW community, which all you have to do is go to grandtheftworld.com. In the top right-hand corner, it says join community. You can then choose your donation tier um, and come and join us. We have Tuesday night town hall, which I'll get into in a little bit. Maddie Bannon is running the One Nation Under Blackmail book club. You have to be a community member subscriber to participate in that. You also get the Library of Cognitive Liberty. You can see it on screen there. I'll just scroll on through, showing where to go. And uh, also as part of that benefit, you get the show card, which oftentimes this one was extremely voluminous, a lot of news this week, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it. But there's some key highlights here um, I want to make people aware of. Chris Martinson and Brett Weinstein both did a fantastic analysis, particularly analysis of... Uh, particularly uh, Chris Martinson of this blood clot phenomenon from died suddenly. I think the interview or excuse me, documentary by Peters, uh, Stu Peters, Stu Peters. So he does more of the scientific, you know, not the very fear-based sort of uh, a lot of sort of uh, non sequiturs that are associated with that documentary gets into the actual science, what's going on. They are real, they're happening. And we still have a lot of questions as to their formation, a lot of other things. We did a really good breakdown. So I have a good timestamp for that. If people are interested, it's only four. Yeah, it's not a question of whether or not those things are real. I think there's a question on chain of custody, nature in which they're being generated, jumps to conclusions about what they are. Because Stu Peters brought us another story we didn't cover last year, the Cobra Venom. That was going on exactly. January, like 2022, probably. It was like almost a year ago. And we saw that and we're like, mm, don't know if we're going to cover that on the show in a favorable way. Because exactly. a lot of people just buy into it and they're like, you have to see it. And it's got 20 billion views and blah, 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 blah. Everyone takes it for fact just because some people slap some stuff together in the edit. Exactly. I like to take their claim and weigh it. And does it hold up to reality? And I can also take the claims made by the credible people in the movie and remove those from the hyperbolistic B-roll and narrative. Exactly. I'm a big boy. I can do 100%, that. 100%, which is why we didn't necessarily address it through that documentary. But I have it on the show card tonight. We plan to play it, but it's a little bit late. And we already played that. We need to get to the redacted Fauci emails. But I did a whole breakdown of Chris Martinson's presentation. It was very, very good. It's in the vaccine section in the GTW community. If you want to check out my breakdown and subsequent discussion with some GTW members about it who have been studying this phenomenon as well. I'm um, going back to the show card. Another uh, major one to consider. Ryan Cole, who's actually featured in that documentary, was interviewed, long interview, long form interview with Del Bigtree. Very good. And gets into more. See, one of the problems with that interview is it takes Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, Ryan Cole, these uh, scientists. The died suddenly documentary is what you're talking about. The died suddenly, correct. And sort of, you know, unfortunately, they can be sort of falsely assumed to be part of other narratives that the um, documentary is presenting. So it can easily, for individuals, 
that aren't in the alternative community easily dismiss it. So it's good to see him in a situation where he can just be asked about the facts of reality, not with all the other sort of uh, ideas that's presented through that documentary. So it was very good there. Another major one was Andrew Hall who's supposedly worked as a VP at EcoHealth Alliance, I believe. And he, he talks about his whistleblowing, going through the proper channels, how it was ignored, um, all these sorts of situations, the shenanigans that went on in the background. He was interviewed by Alex Jones. That was also about Anthony Fauci and Peter Daszak and EcoHealth Alliance, since he has intimate knowledge and documentation associated with that. So it's very interesting to get his take. Still needs a little bit more verification, but I think the reason, I think he's, or Thomas Renz, is that his name? The lawyer. Yeah. I think he's one of the key witnesses, hence why he hasn't come forward with all, all the information. And so it's been sort of, I've been sitting on that information for a couple, a year and a half or so. Um, but it's been good to see that he's getting out there. He wrote a book about it. It's featured on Alex Jones. Alex Jones did a good interview with him. So it's a, those are the two in the vaccine section that are really worth checking out. Uh, moving forward to culture. Hey, section. I was just thinking real quick on that point that we were just discussing there. Mm -hmm. uh, we could have like a cage match for charity and it could have Stu Peters versus Charlie Sheen and we could bill it as Cobra Venom versus Tiger Blood. Oh my God. It is I a comedy think. show, everyone. Go ahead, continue. No, we did. We did. We bookended it with bad jokes and now it's a comedy show. <laughs> See how that works? Continuity in between. Uh one, thing we, should get, your notes? one yeah. thing we should get to before the night's out, because this is somewhat quick. We have a couple of flavors here. Um, there's this whole issue of climate lockdowns that's actually going on in England. There's a and Sky News Australia also covered it in depth. There's a 14 minute. They're like the Fox News, if you will, of Australia. Um, but they had a good segment on it as well. Um, there's you should maybe consider playing these two. They're small clips from Paul Joseph Watson about four minutes each respectively where's monty python to make fun of this shit like back in the day if somebody was keeping somebody in a cage climate lockdown metaphor and he said why are you keeping me in a cage and the guy said oh because the for the sun for for the mother nature for for the climate yeah be you'd be like nice. oh you're a fucking crazy person but today <laughs> in the 21st century you have to treat crazy people with kid gloves just not the same kid gloves that balenciaga made for kanye <laughs> Oh boy, I'm not going there, but fair point. Yeah, it'd be I'm worth not playing. Going there, yeah, I boycott <laughs> both those companies, Adidas and Balenciaga. <laughs> be worth getting that on the record. There's there's short clips, both of them back to back. Will be a good follow up on what's going on there. It'll be fairly quick, and then we can come back and see if there's one or two other clips that we need to. We should have a Marvin Gaye segment. It's called "What's Going On." Oh, what's man. going on? With the Dazak and Eco Health every week, we just check in with them. Oh, they're are in they, the bad, are they bad wearing parties, so we play Lionel yet? Richie and like party fiesta, whatever you know, because <laughs> they wanted a party in a back cave. Fiesta, fiesta forever. forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. In their orange jumpsuits, their orange come jumpsuits. on and play along. She, Fauci, Dazak, they can play along all night long. Bang a gong. <laughs> Let's sing a song. Oh, God. What else do we have to cover in this episode? I think those two clips will cover sort of the gamut of what we talked about earlier in the show and give a good sort of panoramic viewpoint or view rather of all the various news that I think was you know worthwhile to make people aware of and preserve in the, the time capsule that is Grand Theft World. So. I just had a random thought question from earlier in the show. Did they used to take slaves and then chop their junk off to make them eunuchs? eunuchs. Is there a word called eunuch and what did it mean back in the day? And why were they... Why, why, why were they a thing? And they used to do rulers of old. What, what did they, what did they do with these these beings? What was going on? 
Or do they do it to be angelic because the angels don't have no junk? I don't know. Uh, there's don't that know. whole thing with opera singers, you know, young boys, they cut off their testicles and then they would maintain that angelic quote unquote voice. There was that, yeah. They they had that gangster show called The Sopranos. <laughs> Gandolfini can't do anything about it. He's not here anymore. I don't care if he likes that joke. That's true. All right. So let, let's check out. Not the eunuchs, not the people being chemically castrated back in the day as eugenics projects to be uh, punished. Like if nature wanted to punish them, wouldn't nature punish them? Why did the people from Cold Spring Harbor, the Anglo-American elites and whatnot, have to say, let's chemically castrate these people of this IQ in these states and, you know, extermination well, plan in the United the, States. Now they're doing it to the entire world. I have a Brian Wilson production on here. Sperm apocalypse learned by the world's more and more infertile. It's been something we've been sort of slowly tracking for a while. And he gets into the data and the evidence from the leading researchers and, you know, some of the very sort of apocalyptic sort of a veil lifted idea of what's going on by possibly 2050 with male virility reaching near zero or something extremely small sort of children of men. Yeah. Movie idea. Yeah. So the ideas that are so hated and like taboo to talk about, uh, they started in America. And uh, the the war veteran Hitler, who was mentally ill at the time, he sees Americans exterminating and sterilizing their own people. He comes up with some crazy ideas. He writes a book that later gets printed by Arthur Balfour's niece, I think, is the first English language printing of that book. So they brought it to uh, English vernacular. The Balfours did. So they don't just declare in 1917 and 1926. Yeah. There's two of them, two Balfour yep. declarations. Yep. 26 is the other one that's interesting. Uh, they also helped to bring uh, aid off the market in the English language. Kanye's new al- album is called My Struggle, I think. If he's, it's going to drop soon. Oh, boy. Yep. <laughs> he didn't I write saw it that. when he was. I think it was in Crowder. I saw an album cover for that, so that's not my joke. That's a translation of a meme I saw, I think. Or somebody's idea of comedy out there <laughs> yeah it's out there in the, in the ether in the ethernet uh other clips let's let's go to paul joseph watson and then uh we'll get through these two clips and we'll get toward the crescendo of this show what, like denouement but yeah denouement <laughs> that's french slang you know those french terms y'all love it <clears throat> Okay, Paul Joseph. Remember when the media said that climate lockdowns were just a baseless conspiracy theory and then India went ahead and imposed them anyway? Well, now de facto climate lockdowns for a major UK city have just been announced. Yep. They're actually doing it. The Daily Skeptic reports Oxford County Council is going to trial a scheme whereby the residents of the city are divided into seven zones with movement by car between the zones restricted to 100 trips per year. The plan is to use automatic license plate recognition cameras to enforce the de facto climate lockdowns. Electronic gates on key roads in and out of the city will confine people to their own area if they go over their travel rationing limit. Residents will only be allowed to leave their area a hundred times times a year. That's the equivalent of just two days a week. And I'm sure that limit will be reduced even further after this scheme is implemented. They'll need special permission from the council which will decide whether the journeys are necessary. Everyone will have to register their car with the local authority so it can be tracked and traced by smart cameras. Imagine if your job requires that you have to drive from your home to a nearby town or city every day of the week or even just three times a week. Government says no. 
That's a de facto climate lockdown. And don't think you can beat the system if you're a two-car household. Those two cars will be counted as one, meaning you'll have to divide up the journeys between yourselves. Two cars, 50 journeys each, three cars, 33 journeys each, and so on. The Lefty Council actually announced this 15-minute neighbourhoods policy last year when they were elected. But only now are we discovering the true scale of this draconian population control measure. Communist-style internal borders, internal passports, all in the name of saving the planet of course. They want it all in place by 2024, but the trials are already set to start soon. The Oxford Mail reports that local authorities have insisted the controversial plan would go ahead whether people liked it or not. You'll be allowed to drive far less and you'll be happy. Meanwhile, you remember those hottest day ever temperatures recorded on airport tarmacs back in July? Turns out the Met Office is now stonewalling questions about their dubious Measurements. Measurements that saw high temperatures recorded while typhoon jets were roaming the runway, but then dropped by over half a degree Celsius within a minute. Just outright making up crap and lying to the public on a regular basis to justify all this. I mean, yeah, why would they let that stop them? After all, it's for the greater good. Big update to the climate lockdown video from earlier this week. In case you missed it, local authorities in Oxford, England are trialling a scheme set to be launched in 2024 that would see residents restricted to travelling by car outside their designated regional zone within the city, being forced to register their vehicle and get permission passes from the government, which would then only allow them to travel outside of their designated regional zone twice a week and be hit with onerous fines if they violate that. Which means if you work in a different part of the city and have to travel there five times a week, if you make that journey by private car, they're going to fine you three times a week every week. Well, now the council has come out and tried to fact check the whole thing as if it isn't happening, while simultaneously admitting that it's all happening. The Oxfordshire Mail reports. Oxfordshire County Council responds to viral article claiming Oxford is going into climate lockdown. The council has issued a statement after an article went viral claiming the authority would implement a climate lockdown in 2024. The piece, published to a site called What's Up With That, alleged that Oxfordshire residents would be locked into one of six zones via electronic gates. The piece continued to say that people living in the county would be confined to their own neighbourhoods under the trial and would need permission from the council to leave. Now the council has responded to the claims made in the piece. Really? Really? Have they debunked it? Denied that it's happening? The filters will ban private vehicles from six areas of the city at certain times and are set to be introduced following the completion of the rail bridge works on Botley Road in 2023. Right. So it is happening. Contrary to the viral article's claims, there will be no physical barriers with the restricted zones monitored by automatic number plate recognition cameras. Oh, don't worry. There'll be no physical barriers. Your car will be tracked and traced for infractions via a network of surveillance cameras. So I guess it's okay then. Up to 100 day passes per year will be offered to residents and businesses affected by the changes, enabling them to travel through the filters without penalty. Right, so again, it is still happening. Everywhere in the city will still be accessible by car, although some private car drivers may need to use a different route during the operating hours of the traffic filters. When they are operating, private cars will not be allowed through without a permit. Right, so it's still happening. Just because you call it a traffic congestion reduction scheme and not a climate lockdown, doesn't mean it's not happening, it is. So yes, it's all true. If you exceed your government travel ration, every time you dare leave your allocated regional zone, 
they'll fine you. I love how they imply that the coverage of this is fake news or inaccurate by contesting a couple of details about how the scheme will be implemented, but then basically acknowledge that it's all going to be implemented anyway. Meanwhile, thanks in part to the current thing and the move towards net zero, which is going to make energy even more expensive for people already struggling through a cost of living crisis. For some people, it's cheaper to stay in a holiday home in Spain, where temperatures are still around 20 degrees Celsius, as part of a package deal than it is to heat your home in Britain. This poor guy's paying over a thousand pounds a month simply to stay warm, when he could be sunning himself on the Costa Brava for less money. And if these climate hysteria clowns get their way, not only will you be put under climate lockdown, but your energy bills are just gonna get higher and higher. It's almost as if they're trying to control people through the centralization and distribution of energy. I don't know if there's anything to that. We'll have to think about that for a second. But what I do see through that story is through those two stories, <clears throat> they have this argument. You can't use it now because we're saving it for the future. Sorry, you can't travel. We're saving the future. We're saving the, the about long termism. We're saving the people who aren't here yet. Okay, maybe I like people in the future. They're cool, right? I like people in the past, too. So let's just we'll work this out. You're saving the people in the future, but the people here right now, we're not the future. Okay. And then they got this big room full of food, yet everyone who's here right now is starving because they're saving the food for people in the future, but the food will be rotten by then. It doesn't really make any sense. Right. And oh, by the way, these people are not looking to populate this planet for the future. They're looking to depopulate, to sterilize, to prevent you from procreating in this reality, which is also interesting because it's contrary to the thought that they're saving it for the future, unless they're just trying to save it for themselves and get rid of us. Maybe that, nah, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> what was I thinking? That was silly. That's just the early morning talking. Mm -hmm. Woo. Let's go to really graceful because uh, there's been a lot of not purposeful coordinated attacks on the American energy infrastructure, and it might help them prepare for if they wanted to use all this electricity to run gates and cameras to shut people down, that maybe there would be eventually attacks on that infrastructure. And instead of waiting for those people to resist that plan of those climate lockdowns, they would just run a couple false flags themselves and beef up, beef up the security like that. Uh, Christopher Plummer guy says in 12 monkeys, you know, just uh, Jeffrey beef up the security a little bit, just be beef it up a little bit, just in case some people are working at a Wuhan lab, letting the virus out. Something like that. All right, let's go to really graceful with a report from this past week on this not connected story to the last story we just covered. Hey, Internet friends, I wanted to jump on here real quick and cover this developing story that's striking me as very off, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. My toddler is playing in the background, so if you hear ruckus, it's part of the listening experience today. But something strange is happening to our power grid, and we're discussing that today. So you remember this past week in North Carolina, around 45,000 homes and businesses in Moore County lost power last Saturday night that wasn't restored until Wednesday. And this was a result of what Moore County Sheriff Ronnie Fields described as a targeted attack involving an individual or group. 
firing upon two electrical substations. But no one was harmed, no one was hurt, no one was attacked, but they did do millions of dollars in damage. And there was a really weird narrative around the alleged attack, even though police have yet to identify a suspect or even a motive. But when it was initially reported, all news agencies fell into lockstep with their reporting, saying the attack occurred at the same time as Sunrise Theater in Moore County was hosting a drag show performance. So it was suggested that the attacks on the power grid were to bring down the drag show. There was an article published a few days before the drag show happened. It was published in the Fayetteville Observer that reported, quote, Organizers of the drag show had received violent death threats from far-right activists, prompting them to increase security by hiring private guards and enlisting the Southern Pines Police Department. It seemed too coincidental to ignore said District 4 Commissioner Mary Beth Murphy when asked if she thinks the substation attacks are connected to protests, which were organized by former Army Psychological Operations Officer Emily Grace Rainey, a January 6th insurgent and anti-vaccination activist, I mean, when I read this, wow, she's a fed, who resigned from her commission after what CBS News called a career-ending reprimand for 2020 protests. And on last Monday's episode of Steve Bannon's War Room podcast, Rainey called supporters and patrons of the Downtown Divas fundraiser, The Drag Show, demonic and blasphemers, end quote. But let's move over to Tampa, where local news stations just ran this story. Quote, just days after what officials are calling a targeted attack at two Duke Energy substations in North Carolina, News Nation has obtained federal documents showing evidence of at least six other intrusions at Duke Energy substations in Florida. End quote. So this whole story happened back in September. In September, Duke Energy Florida experienced at least half a dozen substation intrusion events, according to an incident report obtained by News Nation. End quote. And the report said it was likely someone who worked at the substation and had insider knowledge of the infrastructure. But okay, now let's move over to Oregon and Washington. It's happening there too. In this report published on the 7th of December, saying that both states recently had, quote, physical attacks on substations using hand tools, arson, firearms, and metal chains, possibly in response to an online call for attacks on critical infrastructure, end quote. The memo goes on to say that the aim is to cause widespread power failures with the potential impact of social disruption and violent anti-government criminal activity, end quote. It's very interesting to me that they've specifically mentioned some buzzwords like anti-government criminal activity, far-right, anti-vax, and who they speculate is responsible for these attacks to the power grid, even though it's looking like in all these reports, they haven't identified or nailed down a suspect. So how could they possibly know that? So I just wanted to point out this trend and point out that they're shaping the narrative around power grid attacks and failures. It's the conspiracy theorists, the far right, the anti-government minded, the anti-LGBTQ XYZ, the anti-vaxxers. That's who's responsible for them. It's very, very interesting and it's quite brazen. So is something strange going on at these substations? What do you think? You know, I always look forward to your comments. Thank you so much for watching and subscribing. Bye. The case of the crypto billionaire deaths. Yeah, it's very curious. Uh, hey, was, internet saw, friends. With all the yep. No, I saw a couple of a crypto billionaire. <laughs> yeah, I saw a yeah, couple. Yeah, she did another report. Yeah, we'll, we'll just look at them back to back and then we'll comment on both. Okay. All that's happening in the world, I wanted to report on something so it wouldn't get buried. 
No pun intended. Basically, it's a bad time to be a cryptocurrency billionaire and something really strange is going on. In previous videos, we covered the fall of Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX empire and whether it was an organic happenstance or a controlled demolition. And we also covered the rise of central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. But today I'm talking about the handful of crypto billionaires who have passed in the last few years, three of them just this month, the coverage of which has been overshadowed by the FTX story. And I want to know, are we witnessing an organic, genuine string of fatal accidents? Just a coincidence? Or is it something more? And if it's something more, what does it mean? Why should anyone care? How will you be affected? We're going to move backwards on this timeline, starting at the most recent incident. It was announced this week that 53-year-old Russian billionaire Vaya Cheslav Tehran, the co-founder of Libertex, a cryptocurrency exchange like FTX, had passed alongside his 35-year-old pilot after Tehran's helicopter crashed near Monaco. It was reported that another unidentified passenger was supposed to join him on the flight but canceled last minute. Coverage of this story has been limited, yet very interesting to me because Ukrainian press has alleged that Tehran was a spy. But so far, I've yet to see these claims substantiated. No citations, no proof, no nothing in these reports where they allege that Tehran was linked to the Russian SVR, Foreign Espionage Agency, and was responsible for, quote, laundering Russian funds through a system of cryptocurrency operations, end quote. But I mean, hey, it could be true. Tehran's net worth was around $20 billion. What happens to all the crypto funds in his wallet? Who has the key? Can the funds be traced post-mortem? This is a blanket question I have for all the crypto billionaires who have recently passed. On Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022, 30-year-old Tian Tian Kulinder, otherwise known as TT, co-founder of the Hong Kong-based digital asset company, The Amber Group, passed suddenly in his sleep. TT had a net worth of around $3 billion, and he previously worked at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs before founding Amber Group. TT reportedly launched Amber Group along with a group of pals from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. I have to wonder, what 30-year-old just dies suddenly in their sleep? On October 28, 2022, cryptocurrency millionaire 29-year-old Nikolai Mushigan drowned on a Puerto Rican beach just hours after tweeting that Mossad and the CIA were trying to murder him. Nikolai was co-founder of cryptocurrency lending platform MakerDAO in the decentralized DAI stablecoin. Nikolai's last tweet was published just a few hours before his drowning, where he was found fully clothed with his wallet on him. And his tweet suggested that the CIA and Mossad were going to blackmail him, and he hinted that the CIA was going to make it seem like his passing was by his own hand. The tweet reads, quote, CIA and Mossad and Pedo Elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean islands. They are going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was a spy. They will torture me to death, end quote. Since Nikolai's passing, news articles have published an anonymous source who claimed that the crypto developer was a loner and he lived alone with his dog. And the source also stated that after Nikolai and his girlfriend broke up, he was convinced she was a spy. These three incidents in the last month were the ones I wanted to focus on, but they aren't the only incidents and they aren't the only fatal accidents. 
Billionaire banking heir to Carnegie Mellon and Drexel families of the Bank of New York Mellon and Drexel Burnham Lambert, 54-year-old Matthew Mellon passed while attending a rehab center in Mexico back in 2018. Which is notable because even though Mellon was old banking money, obviously, he made his personal fortune in cryptocurrency. The vast majority of his assets were locked up in a cryptocurrency known as XRP, which is managed by the company Ripple. And if you follow cryptocurrency news, you know that Ripple is currently tied up in a lawsuit with crooked Gary Gensler's SEC. If you remember, Gary Gensler is barely one degree separated from Sam Bankman-Fried. Like Mellon, 30-year-old Gerald Cotton passed in 2018 without sharing the keys to his crypto wallets worth hundreds of millions of dollars. His death prompted the Netflix documentary, Trust No One. Cotton was the founder of the bankrupt cryptocurrency firm Quadriga CX, and he passed while on his honeymoon in India with his wife, having signed a will just nine days before, fueling rumors that Cotton may still be alive and living off the embezzled funds. On his honeymoon in India, Cotton complained that his stomach was hurting, he went to the hospital, and was diagnosed with traveler's diarrhea. One day later, he passed, and no autopsy was ever performed. Of course, the Tehran, Titi, and Nikolai incidents all occurred in the same month as the FTX collapse, in which a crypto exchange, which was ran out of the Bahamas, took customers' money and invested it in unknown assets. Then, an incredibly damning write-up about the company was published, only for FTX's main competitor, the CEO of Binance, while he decided to liquidate hundreds of millions of dollars worth of FTX's utility token and... That signaled to other crypto investors to do the same, but when FTX's customers went to pull their money out of the exchange, there was no money, robbing them of billions of dollars, which made the legislators call for further regulation of cryptocurrency. Just announced two weeks ago, the New York Federal Reserve has launched their digital dollar pilot program with the big banks, and the National Bank of Ukraine has released their draft for design options for their own CBDC. The Bank of Japan is experimenting with their own CBDC, the digital yen, in tandem with the country's megabanks. And the list goes on and on of all these countries announcing this in the last month, from the CBDC adoption in Africa to India's e-rupee. But the common denominator is that it's the Federal Reserve Central Bank's digital currency, unlike what we have right now, the current privatized industry. The central banks, the Federal Reserve, will have full control of the digital dollar, able to trace every transaction. But what happens when you make the banks mad, like what we're seeing now with the banks refusing to do business with who they disagree with politically? Unlike cash or silver or gold, I can't go bury my hoard in the backyard for a rainy day. With a click of a button, my entire life savings can be deleted if my social credit score isn't high enough the funds withheld from me and my family. Or my social credit score can be influenced by how I spend those funds that I have. Because every transaction is traced and analyzed for the fullest expression of control. So that's why I'm hyper fixated on this subject. That's why I keep harping on this. Because the average person will feel the ramifications of what's happening, of what's playing out on the world stage. And people still won't get it. We already have a one world government a debt slave system, and it was implemented in our country by the creature at Jekyll Island in 1913, the Federal Reserve Banking System. We're simply witnessing their next phase of control, but they can't operate without widespread ignorance, useful idiots, and consent. 
I really can only speculate about what's going on with these crypto billionaires in their untimely passing, if they really even died at all or went into hiding instead. So I turned the question over to you on Twitter. I asked, theories on why crypto billionaires are dying being or being killed recently. Welcome to the tribulation said, these billionaires were used to normalize digital currency and they became successful. The World Economic Forum doesn't want any competition. Everyone needs to be ushered into onto the CBDC train with no other options available. Chahuapov said, Centralization. FTX is was needed as the big bad boogeyman. Banks will say, your money is safe with us, and then go bust themselves. After that, central bank digital currencies will be introduced to fight the corruption, which will then be hijacked to become the new empire of money. Liberty Heretic said that the World Economic Forum and intelligence agencies want a monopoly on crypto going forward, so it can be used as global currency linked to social credit system. They can't do that with strong competition who aren't part of the agenda. And finally, Goose Girl said, Remember how all those millionaires died on the Titanic right before they set up the Federal Reserve? Yeah, basically the families who would have stood in the way of the creation of the Federal Reserve just happened to be the families who went down with the Titanic. What do you know? What a coincidence. What do you think, internet friends? Is something strange going on with these crypto billionaires? I want to know your thoughts. You know, I always enjoy reading your comments. Thank you so much for watching, subscribing, and supporting my channel on Patreon. A little known fact about people who died on the Titanic. It wasn't just folks like John Jacob Astor, the third, I think, who was the, because the fourth was a survivor. He went uh, to school with Bucky Fuller. So the third died on uh, the Titanic. Uh, he might have opposed the Federal Reserve, might have been a very powerful agent against the Federal Reserve. We'll never know he died on the Titanic. Another interesting person beyond that was William T. Stead or Steed, uh, Cecil Rhodes's literal conspirator for the takeover, the Anglification of America, the British Empire's takeover of America. He died in the Titanic, and subsequently he now has a, a placard in Central Park to commemorate his life and his uh, his work until he was no longer useful. Maybe he disagreed with the people taking over the world as well. So it's interesting that she brought up the Titanic, but even more interesting are... <clears throat> Those crypto billionaires, particularly the one who texted, tweeted uh, that he was going to be killed by uh, Mossad and or CIA, etc. And then he's found drowned with his clothes on and uh, had his wallet in his pocket. Maybe he should have had his swimmies on. Maybe. I don't know. It seems like a suspect situation, but uh, apparently there's nothing to see there because the big mean mainstream media doesn't need to cover things like that. Investigative oh, yeah. groups, intelligence agencies must not need to look into things like that. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it was Putin who did it. Yeah, I mean, there's been a string not only of that. I think it was there's a sister ship, the Titan. That, oh, and there's the the, the, the Titanic, the Olympic, and the Britannic the were the three ships of the thinking. White Star Line. I'm thinking of the book that yeah, yeah, the um, wreck of the Titan, the, the 1898. I was of, yeah, the the sister ship that was. For sure damaged on in the insurance company and want to pay for it and yeah so that we did a we did a, a deep dive into that oh man so between the crypto billionaires ago. and the electrical grid attacks right so they're doing this thing over in england and the obvious thing is if people didn't like that they might 
go after the electricity to prevent that surveillance and the gates on the roads and all that stuff, right? It it puts people back to like equal access again. They they might fight that. Well, they can't work that out over there. So what if they had some teams of not Americans just run some stuff over here to beef up the architecture, like put security on and already frame it out for psychological warfare. Here's the people that are going to be blamed if, when things like that happen, yeah. it's a convenient Hegelian dialectic being set up right yeah, in front in of fact, us. They're anti-vax and anti-this and right-wingers of some type, maybe, who knows? And there's also been a lot of people that detailed a lot of untimely deaths of doctors um, and spoke out against either the narrative or pharmaceutical companies, even pre and post COVID um, people have set up whole websites and blogs, essentially documenting just the very curious and strange deaths of whistleblowers, doctors. Nurses. And it's not just governments and cartels. It's also corporations. And oh, there's yeah, any the, number yeah. of movies out there. If anything, constant the gardener being one of them. I know I mentioned it last week, but yep. like the fact that corporations have millions or billions of dollars at stake, you don't think they're going to take out, you know, some exactly. of these people who are real threats to them. Exactly. Obviously so. my whistleblowing wasn't enough of a threat to get the, that, that real type of termination. You know, I just got fired. They didn't send a, a hit team or a kill squad or anything because they knew that they had the system, like the press, like no one was going to figure out, like yeah. no one was going to hear what, what, you what I had to say together. or do anything about it. So yeah. it's not a threat. What you'd piece together is too, uh, too detailed and intricate. And I think they just figured, let this one go. Um, it was uh, more abstract, difficult to follow, which is important, but uh, hyper important. They also but, didn't so. whack the guy who caught Bernie Madoff. Because so. he was he's super nerdy dude, he had to yeah. just you know let him go. Exactly. So they don't always do. That. I think that's sort of a last resort because they don't want to draw too much attention to themselves. But at the same time, they will go to those measures, and I'm sure some of them are probably coincidental, um, serendipity. But other ones are just uh, a little bit more raise a lot of questions. So you know, it's good to doc. It's tragic, but good to document. Remember, what's happening in regards to these crypto billionaires and you know and ftx's proximity to the dnc to ukraine oh, yeah. to oh, the yeah. throwing of the election to like you know he he's the second funder with soros for the democratic party for 2022 and i think he was second or third in 2020 behind bloomberg or something like that so he was he's been up in it for the past four plus or excuse me two plus years and knowing that you know carolyn ellison his her father went to MIT and has a friendship with Gary Gensler, I think, if I remember correctly. So there's that whole expose. And then the CBDCs are being announced by all these major central banks of the world all about the same time. And the call for more and more regulation. I mean, even Sailor in that Petrobet David clip is talking about like what you can and can't do in regards to regulation, some of which makes, I guess, some sense uh, in some capacity. But what they're utilize, they're going to utilize this as the uh, convenient narrative in order to bring about what they've been wanting, what Larry Fink, uh, what we played on the show many times, played on the town hall many times. What he Did he first. lose his job for putting money in with the FTX? Shouldn't he like get fired for that? Such a decision making blunder? Nope. Not in the post-causality world. No, of course. Consequences are no matter for the elite. That's why they're the elite. They're untouchable. Yeah, exactly. So managing trillions of dollars of assets. So nothing to see there. Nothing to see at all. And, um, you know, I generally agree with the, the hypothesis that that's obviously it's very all the writings on the wall. This is going to be used as a catalyst in order to bring about not only regulation, but then CBDCs around the world, which is something that the World Economic Forum has been fawning over. 
for quite some time. And that's just going to usher in the next stage of this sort of technocratic um, control grid technocracy that Patrick Woodaline has outlined in his various books. And that's the next stage to get us to 2030, sadly. And then we have to do whatever it takes to resist. But it's a slow boil method. You know, if it's a little, let's just do this little town in Oxford or whatever it was. Um, you know, let's do a climate lockdown here. Let's do a couple uh, substation attacks in America. Let's do whatever. There's some climate lockdowns that take that have taken place in India, some of which might be related more to pollution due to manufacturing. I'm not saying it is, but there's a little bit more going on there potentially. But still, it's it's very dubious and concerning. Um, obviously we know what's going on in China, at least to some degree. So yeah, you can see. Did anyone ask what the end metrics are for this climate lockdown stuff? Like we have to get CO2 to what? Like, what's the goal? Has anyone asked what the goal line is yet? It's like when you're at, it's like when you're being asked to get on a train, but you're not asking where the train's going. Well, I'm sure they're aligning with the net zero carbon emissions sort of initiative part that the world economic forum is. So from the people who want to save stuff for the future that they're not going to populate the future for the same people they're, they're the people bringing you the train in this scenario yeah get on the train you don't know where it's going they're taking you to a place where they don't need people anymore next seven years going to be very harrowing tragic apocalyptic in the sense of a veil lifted and it's going to be more and more um you know we're just going to have to pay attention to the narrative and know how best to navigate the new terrain that's going to be sort of rolled out and see if they i hope they what I hope is that they make some mistakes, that they push it a little bit too quickly at certain times. And a lot of the people, normies and individuals that are not a part of alternative research, and alternative communities start to get an idea of what's going on. But they've done such a great job of polarizing, especially over COVID-19 and the vaccine issue, polarizing the public in these camps. I mean, there's so many individuals that, you know, would be probably are so vehemently against, for example, Elon Musk and the whole Twitter thing and him banning pedophiles and and pornography and child pornography and all that stuff they, they don't see that they just see that you know they hear the narrative elon musk is supporting right wingers and they sort of go with that they don't realize some of the undercurrents that are actually going on so i hope they make a mistake become a little bit too conspicuous but then again you know the Blenciago is pretty conspicuous yet no mainstream media except for maybe tucker doing well, i think that brings in my point you hope that they'll make mistakes mm-hmm. i know they've already made mistakes that we can find and illustrate but i'm, and I'm talking illuminate. I, I know that yeah, you want mistake. them to make more i want them to make mistakes but that they might have already made enough and it just takes time for it to... well the, the goal it's sort of a ratio of like can we with the frog and boiling water sort of analogy like is there or, or metaphor like is there a certain way in which like they it gets too hot too quickly and people can find ways to get out or Violate the container and that sort of sort of thing but it's more for we know they've made mistakes hence why we can do a show like this and there's so many alternative producers out there i mean alex jones has been doing about 20 25 years and so many others um that we showcase on this show but i'm talking about mistakes that make it conspicuous for the average person that is not mm. at all in this this sort of mm. thing that's what i'm hoping for because that's where it's going to be much more problematic they need to it's right now it's an information war it's it's a knowledge war it's an epistemological war and it's a war on our perception of reality. And so if they can make it so that actually ends up hurting individuals that are not aware of what's going on and making it more, making them more aware, potentially it'll be enough pushback, but they, they know how to play that game as well. So we'll have to see, we'll have to see. I mean, there's also Bill Gates is warned about, well, there'll be pandemic too. So, I mean, next seven years, I mean, people need to just be aware, stay, stay informed, not with fear, 
but with preparation and understanding, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and you know, find ways to mitigate that struggle. We had Curtis Stone on last week um, that did a great job of presenting a white parent white uh, pill narrative in regards to what we can do to start preparing and how much alleviation that brings to the consternation and anxiety that paying attention to this stuff can can inundate a certain individuals with. So. Well, that's a solid six and a half hours on the secular humanist conspiracy saga tune in next week for what these crazy fuckers do we'll be here to break it down for you we'll be here to capture these little elements i'll still find that longer piece i did like anomaly had the audio for that that conversation i've seen video and i think it's the same conversation so there is more to be learned from that situation of free speech expression versus people who say you can't talk about certain subjects and it's just curious this is america we're supposed to have free speech it's a new thing we're all trying to struggle and understand what's going on here uh, but we'll continue to check it out this week and uh as always let's go to ld and mission control control troll, troll, on the other side of the country and uh let's see who we have to thank outside of our outstanding superlative members who make it possible for all those features and functions to be on the other side of the paywall to greet new members all the time all righty it's that time again let's rack this list up <laughs> i think i'm gonna have to change that out for uh the sound of uh cow uh sorry pulsators in a dairy <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, there's a couple late editions. Let me get those in there. But uh, while you're waiting, if you haven't been over to grandtheftworld.com, go check it out. Click in the top right. You can join the community. You can support us directly. You can get access to all kinds of goodies. In the Library of Cognitive Liberty and the Discord channel and the Town Hall and uh, many, many cool people inside there but uh yeah big thanks huge thanks to the grand theft world community supporters members and a big thanks to tonight's rockfin tippers we got tina hagen five dollars thank you tommy riley five dollars in 2008 matt tybee wrote a book called the great derangement where he covered the surge in iraq the 9-11 truth movement during his interview on c-span responding to host Responding to the host, are conspiracy theories popular? He responds with, accepts they're true in Russia. Uh, he gave, There's a link and a timestamp. Um, thank you, Tommy. Yeah, thank you, Tommy. I'll check that out later. Uh, yeah, let me drop that in the, over there. Another one from Tommy, $2. Excuse me. Uh, Twitter was a regime change Trojan civilian system. If you believe Vault 7 documents with Elon as figurehead, Twitter will, be, Twitter will be right of center compared to left of center with Jack. Overall, this right of center look at how, overall, this uh, right of center look at how the Claremont promoted Bronze Age pervert and Curtis Yarvin, like it seems though they want to move the U.S. to crossing the Rubicon moment. You guys That's familiar a lot to with, take in. Yeah. Need some processing. These are, these yeah. Are, <laughs> yeah. Um, but have you checked out? Uh, Johnny Vedmore had an article on. Uh, it, it, I missed that if he was mentioned in that. Uh, but 
he has an article on uh, part of that that query, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's more to be learned. Yep. All right, uh, Sir Dave and Dame Laura, twenty dollars. Thank you guys. I've been the land of on. cheese and venison. Yeah, the land cheese, venison, and maple syrup. Uh, thank you kindly. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I've been sipping on some Happy maple holidays. syrup that they sent me. <clears throat> um. <laughs> All right. Well, real quick, they sent me this nice basket of cheese and meats and and um, and maple syrup, maple syrup candies, and a, a bag, a bag of these moose scoops. And I was sitting with my friend, sharing some of the bounty. Ripped open the bag and took a bite, and I was like, "Oh, what's this antler dust?" So I was chomping on a very crunchy moose scoop when my friend said, "Hey, that's a dog treat." <laughs> They're not too sweet. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering. LD. I was yeah. wondering about the send them the, more meat, and the antler dust. Yeah, I hear it'll keep you up all night. But uh, <laughs> thank you guys, big brains, uh, three thousand trin, two dollars. Love you guys. Finalizing my Cairo doctorate's license, then I will hit you up. Right on. Uh, Ross guy, $5. Thank you. Good. Andy, $10. Oh, take it. Take it. Get one more in there. <laughs> that's, that's how it's done. Afix, $10. Can we get a Christmas New Year's drinking stream from the Grand Theft World crew? $100 a shot would be a great way to end slash start the year. <laughs> we should mention actually, um, <laughs> that's pretty good, but, uh, we are doing the Chris, we are doing the Christmas show on Monday instead of Sunday. Mm. Make an announcement for it earlier in the show next week just to make people aware. But yeah, because uh, only like 75% of the people make it to the end of the live show, like 25% drop off. So yeah, everyone right, else, we're right. doing the Monday show after Christmas. It's not Christmas Boxing night. Day for those Brits out there. Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk about that idea. I'll, I'll, thank, I'll leave thank the, you, Mike. I'll leave the boxing idea. Go ahead. Oh, the uh, yeah, the other idea. Anyway, Dallas Avad, $2. There are two reasons I don't fit into society. One, I think for myself. Two, I don't care what others think. <laughs> Thank you, Dallas. So shout out to Dallas. He's uh, been participating on the the uh, Maddie's um, book club. So really oh, yeah. good input. Look Words of wisdom that. don't have which, to rhyme. I like which, it. But, which, by the way, um, this Friday, for those who want to pop in, will be the next installment. We'll be reading chapter two and volume two. And is there town hall this week or not? So there's town. Oh yeah, let me go over that. And I'll. Uh, so there's town hall Tuesday night. It'll just run from seven to ten. I have an unbelievably busy next two weeks, so I can't run a very late town hall. So I'll be shutting it off at ten. And then the that'll be the last town hall for December. Um, the the twenty seventh is my birthday, two days after Christmas. So I'll be taking off for that. Uh, town hall. We'll be picking it back up January third with the first town hall of the new year. So the this Tuesday will be the last town hall for this year. And so come join in, share in discussion. It's an open town hall. There's no more presentations. We finished the Templar presentation. Senate did a fantastic job. And we'll get that two-part series. Um, uh, per, uh, it's already on the Cognitive, Library of Cognitive Liberty, but we'll get that with all the references and books she mentioned and as, as well as the slides that she shared during the first 
uh, installment. So we'll get that out to everyone, but uh, they are there. They're in the library of cognitive liberty. We'll make that a little easier for people to find. So, but this town hall, standard town hall, come ask anything, discuss anything with other like-minded individuals. And next week, Grand Theft World's getting an upgrade to the community. You guys are going to love it. It's like more feature functionality than you've ever expected because uh, we love you. Thank you. We're going to make the experience more uh, seamless, detailed, juicy, high definition. -y. It's going to be really cool. You guys are going to dig it. Now, LD, uh, I do have something to play us out. I dropped it in. Oh, wait. We're not finished with these, but. Uh... Yeah. I'm sorry. 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 Yeah. Uh, okay. It's a uh, gotcha. Yeah, I'll pull that up. And uh, I will. Did you want to hear Ye's tune? <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard it. So that will give you time better. to prime the other clip because it is something you have to download. It's not, a, not on the streaming site. And I do have to preface it. So you get and finish on your end. And then I'll cool. do what I have to do so you can do what you have to do. All right. Um, we got another one. Tommy Riley, $2. Ye sounds better. Uh, because of T Paul Town, uh, an e-write philosopher and programmer who was writing speeches for Fuentes, is known for writing for Ye. That's interesting. Hmm. I was trying to look that guy up, and I can't find anything. So if you got any links, uh, please share. Um, we had uh, Matt Green, $5, always educational. ARM $20, thank you very much. B1, $5, much love, GTW and fam. Keep the fire burning. Grant D, $2. Has China reversed its COVID policy? I saw one of the heads of their Ministry of Health or whatever they call their health services over there come out and say that Omicron is only like the flu now. They seem to be backtracking on some of the uh, lockdown policies. It's a lot of bad publicity associated with that. And so I don't know the full details, but it sounds like China's walking ways back. to navigate that a little bit. Yeah. They got to do the Kanye and walk it back. Yeah. Or the Michael Jackson. Stay um, forward, but walking backwards. All right. Walk it back. <laughs> and uh, we got a couple of nice comments from Orwell Huxley. Orwell Huxley. I love this show so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we you. Love you too. She's, she's really cool. Um, Dallas Savad, sorry to be the one to take tips from $69. I waited as long as I could, she said, because the, the tips were sitting at $69 for a while. It's just no a tip. Longer there. Just the tip. Um, looks like we might have lost the live stream, unfortunately. Uh, That's connect, even more connection. reason for people to go to this part of the replay to watch the end. Yeah, the go. connection to our computer is uh, not available. Already, then. at least it was at the end. Then, <laughs> well, so you want to hear the yay's yay's tune and then uh, George, uh, the uh, the other thing? Yeah, I'll tell you what. <laughs> let me set up the Jordan Page clip. You play the Jordan Page go. clip and then and then play yay to get us out of here. Because right. if I set up Jordan Page and then we play yay and then you hit Jordan, it's not going to work. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the gist is, last night. So let me let me back up on my weekend here. Uh, I taught Friday night from 9 p.m. until like 3 or 4 a.m. I got up yesterday, Saturday. I drove four hours down to New Jersey to the Mises Caucus uh, non-denominational holiday mistletoe party hosted by Canna Sense, which is a cannabis dispensary. 
uh, also run by a libertarian accountant named Neil. Very nice character. He's got a stage there. He had room for 70 seats, uh, two comedians, and the musical guest was Jordan Page. So a wonderful green room, pun intended, uh, situation that they had going on. Everyone was getting to talk. Mark Passio was there. We got to hang out and talk a little bit. Uh, and it's nice to be neither one of us had to headline the event so we could actually get to hang out. Whereas usually I'm helping him or vice versa, these sort of things. So uh, getting to hang out, talk to people in a real life, in real life environment is like a, a priceless thing. Among that, we had the benefit of having like a four hour balls out concert by Jordan Page just playing his heart out. And <laughs> this song is... Uh, <clears throat> He said, does anyone have any, any recommendations? And I was still setting up lights and stuff for him. It was the beginning of the night. Like we were going to start slow. And I just said, rabbit hole. And he's like, oh, it's a little dark to start out. And then everyone's like, yeah, rabbit hole. So then I walk away and he actually started playing it. So then I came back into the room. This is where I start filming. So you don't get the whole song, but you will get the gist it's an event that uh, Autonomy co-sponsored, so uh, you'll see signage in the background. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go to Jordan Page from last night's event in New Jersey. Something that started last spring at Porkfest manifested last night. That's a snippet. That's a sample. That's a slice of life from last night. And maybe next year you can make it to such a party. 
thank you for all uh thank you all for tuning in and not dropping out thank you tony thank you for yeah. ld thank you to cody who may maybe dropped out of the call earlier maybe yeah. that's why the stream dropped we don't know we'll find out next week we're doing yeah. it live this time next week and uh thank you all for hanging out tonight it's been a yeah. special journey and we appreciate it thank you everyone have a great night Con, now we pass three. Tweeted Def Con, now we pass three. You like the uniforms, but that's about it. There's a lot of things that I love, that I love, that I love, that I love. Conspiracy is a story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.